I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. It's 2018, folks, and I hope you have your roundhouse kicking feet ready, because we're here to talk about... American Ninja 1 and 2. The sacred heart of the ninja has been guarded in the East. Remember the day I found you. Now, it has come to the West. Remember what is hidden deep in your mind. He is the only soldier. Date of birth unknown. The only American. Who is he? Who is capable of defeating... The secret Black Star Army. The mission to hijack a U.S. military arsenal. Your destiny, my son, awaits you. The adventure. The confrontation. The invasion. The final hour. The deadliest art of the Orient is now in the hands of an American. American warrior. If you guys are new to Astro Radio Z, let me give you a little history lesson to start 2018. Every year, we pick a series, a long-running series of films, be it the Witchcraft series, which had 16 movies, Vice Academy, which had six movies, Howling, which had eight, and Puppet Master, which more than likely will have 67 movies. We start each of our years off by having a series of episodes where we run through the entire franchise. And this year, you guys on the Astro Radio Z Facebook group decided we were going to break from the normal exploitation, horror, and cult film mold and watch some chop sake, racist, American jangoistic nonsense with American Ninja. One through five. How there's five American Ninja movies, I'll never fucking be able to tell you. I wasn't even aware there were five American Ninja movies until late last year. (laughs) You guys picked these. So that's what we're going to be talking about here for the next three months. One episode a month. We're going to be talking about American Ninja one, two, three, four and five. And with me, as all of my longtime listeners know, is a huge group of guys. This is the biggest sausage fest you're going to hear on a podcast probably this month. Sausage. But they're back. We have Daniel Edenfield of the Night Keep. Say hello, people. 
Hello, people. Glenn Bittner, the big fucking deal has come back. It seems like he only comes back for the goddamn franchise episodes anymore. But, Glenn, I am so happy to have you back. Actually, Glenn, you were on the most listened to podcast of last year, the cop movie episode. So, oh, well, look at that. Maybe it's it wasn't about the topic. It was you. They knew you were on it. It, it could be or just I know what shit and I avoid it. <laughs> I, I thank you for letting me know every other episode of my podcast last year was shit. Yeah. Um, moving on, yeah. uh, Mark, the movie, <laughs> Mark the movie man, of course, is here. How you doing, Mark? I'm I'm doing okay. Wait, American Ninja. I thought this was Puppet Master Axis Termination. Shut the fuck up, Mark the movie man. <laughs> that make me yell and scream at the beginning of my goddamn podcast. I just started this motherfucker. <laughs> Next is Scott Davis. He is <laughs> come back to this show. We couldn't do a franchise without him because every single year we need to let him know how fucking awful the Vice Academy movies are. So Scott Davis, thanks for coming on. And man, those Vice Academy movies just fucking suck a dick, don't they? <laughs> I, 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 I love their work. <laughs> oh, last but not least, you heard his sultry tones on the last episode last year. My de facto agent in Baltimore, Mr. Seth Powell of CelluloidTerror.com. Seth, say hello to the peoples. Hi. And we're not going to fuck around anymore here, folks. We're going to get to the point as one of my uh, various <laughs> listeners told me. What, Scott Davis, you want to interrupt me? You go right ahead, interrupt my podcast, Scott Davis! <laughs> I was, I thought I, sh- I should, thought I should inject a, a couple of show tunes. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's hear this amazing voice you have. Please entertain the listeners. Uh, <laughs> not, 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 not when I'm this sober. <laughs> no. <laughs> The beach is alive with the sound of ninjas. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we're going to start talking about Sam Furstenberg's American Ninja made in 1985. He is the only soldier. Who is he? Who is capable of defeating the secret Black Star Army. A soldier who has become a master ninja. Your destiny, my son, awaits you. The deadliest art of the Orient is now in the hands of an American. American Ninja. If you aren't familiar with the fine, fine name and fine, fine work of Sam Furstenberg, he is the director of such fine pieces of cinema, such as Shokasugi's Revenge of the Ninja, Ninja 3, The Domination, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, Cyborg Cop 1 and 2, which we talked about on that cop episode that I made reference to about with Glenn before, and Delta Force 3, amongst tons of other schlocky, shitty, 80s canon action films. (laughs) And uh, I, I think before we really get into this movie, we need to talk first about the company that produced these films, Canon Films. And uh, Scott, I, I always like leaving this kind of thing up to you because you are a pure encyclopedia of exploitation films. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about uh, your knowledge about uh, the Canon Group and uh, kind of some of the history 
surrounding uh, how they made stuff like American Ninja and American Ninja 2. Oh God! Okay, let me think if I see if I can think of think of how this works. The um, Canon Group was originally founded, but it was per, but we the one we know was purchased by a couple of Israeli producers named Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, and these guys were like old style movie moguls. They just wanted to be make big movies, and they wanted to make films that tried to be big movies, but wound up just looking like big exploitation movies. And what they would do is they would find whatever trend was big, and they would uh, go with it. Uh, Breakdancing, they went with it, and they came out with the breaking movies. Uh, uh, they tried to capitalize on every toy thing, and one of the big things that they did, one of the first bits, at least in the 80s here, was Enter the Ninja. And at this point, it's hard to understand, but most people didn't know what a ninja was. So that's why all these movies well into the 80s, you have always some Yahoo there who says, ninja what's that you know when of course every kid watching is like like, what you don't know what a ninja is because these movies like kind of brought that in into the american consciousness of course these were really unrealistic uh, anglicanized ninjas to and the best of course after the original ninja trilogy folds uh with the show kasuji we have american ninja and it's like this white james dean spiked hair guy uh who also happens to be a ninja <laughs> and these films are insanely violent and uh but wind up being like harmless silly comic book of adventures so that you don't notice that the bodies are falling in the triple digits because it's just so goofy and that's kind of the raise became the raison d'etre of canon they had the dark action movies with charles bronson and then they had the rambo ripoff action movies with chuck norris and they had the goofy ninja american ninja with michael dudikoff i remember back in the 80s gobbling this stuff up Canon, for the most part, produced a lot of B-grade action flicks, as Scott had alluded to. Now, Dan, you were one of the people that really championed that we were going to do these movies (laughs) this year. Now, where did you start finding the love for shitty ninja movies? Um, probably the playground of my school. It, I mean, I make it no secret because it comes up all the time. It was, you know, I'm born in the 80s. I'm an 80 kid, 80 kid, blah, 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 blah. But it is, I mean, that is the story. It's, Nintendo came out and it hit the States, what, in 85? I got my NES in 1987. Um, American Ninja, just like every other. It's one of those when you watch Canon films, when you see the Canon logo splash at the beginning, you know you're in for a good time. And on the playground... Remember, this American Ninja was one of those movies that was always mentioned in reverence. And it was, you know, not necessarily hushed tones. Reverence? <laughs> yeah, it was one of those, you know, it's like American Ninja. You know, you want to be badass like Van Damme. Or you want to be like that guy, like an American Ninja. You want to be like Schwarzenegger, you know. And <clears throat> it was one of those movies that I honestly don't think people nowadays know just how much they owe to the American Ninja series. 
just from what it did. You cannot play a fucking triple A video game nowadays that does not owe something to American Ninja, be it multicolored bad guys from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, be it genetic manipulation like in Metal Gear or Double Dragon or maybe even Ninja Gaiden. It all owes it to American Ninja. And I guess it's just because I was a kid and we were always talking about, wouldn't it be cool if you could do this, or you could do that, or, you know, wh- who would kick whose ass, you know, Van Damme, who would kick Michael Dudikoff's ass and be like, yeah, he would, no, he wouldn't, well, yeah, but then Schwarzenegger would come out and kick his ass and stuff. Yeah, it's just, just <laughs> playground fodder that it only, in, it's only just enhanced by the fact that your little kids out watching movies about ninjas kicking people in the face. Derek, you've said it multiple times, you know, we can sit there, you give me a movie in 90 minutes of Van Damme kicking somebody in the face and I'm going to watch it. Oh That's yeah, I'm going to watch that shit. You name, name oh, yeah. a movie American Ninja and you show me on the cover, you got a ninja and a dude, like an army dude with a katana aiming at the other ninja and they're like, they're fighting. Okay, I'm going to watch it. I'm easy. (laughs) Exactly. Look, I mean, I'm a man of simple pleasures. Beautifully illustrated in the title American Ninja. Well, hot damn. Okay, let's watch this. I actually started watching ninja movies at a far younger age before this stuff came out. And when. I finally started seeing stuff like, say, Revenge of the Ninja or Enter the Ninja. And uh, you saw all those multicolored ninjas, like the white and the yellow and the the red ninjas. It always threw back to the Godfrey Ho movies. And if you're familiar with Godfrey Ho, he was a schlockmeister from Asia that literally took hundreds of movies, recut them, (laughs) and threw the most god-awful ninja, most impractical ninja outfits, like on what planet would a neon blue ninja work anywhere? This planet, buddy. <laughs> a neon yellow. Watch it. <laughs> I mean, these ninjas stuck out all over the place. Or let's talk about uh, Franco Nero in Enter the Ninja, oh where God. he's wearing a white ninja outfit, and you can clearly see his full fucking mustache. Now, to be fair, these ninjas could have blended in perfectly if they were at a breakdancing competition. <laughs> so maybe they just got the sets mixed up. Uh, <laughs> I always loved it. I, I think it was funny. It was ridiculous. It was fantastical. Um, Seth, when you think of these weird, like multicolored ninjas and all these, t- like Godfrey Ho and and the uh, Shokasugi movies and stuff like that, were you ever into this stuff wh- when you were younger? Did you like grow up and cut your teeth on some action films with these really shitty ninja movies? Oh yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, late '80s, you know, into the early '90s watching this stuff uh, on you know cable whenever it would come on. This and cheesy sci-fi like Godzilla would always run back to back to back. So entire weekends would spent with this crap. And uh, like Dan said, it reminded me of old beat em up Nintendo games, especially with Ninja Turtles and, you know, the foot clan always having the different colored uniforms and going back. It really hit me watching it uh, this weekend. It's like, man, those ninjas are training, and every one of them is at a different level of being a ninja. Because what asshole is running around in a yellow ninja suit? He's got to be an early ninja, you know. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Another game, and it just dawned because I made a list of games that owe this. Shinobi. Oh yeah, Shinobi oh yeah, great. big time. Uh, please continue, Seth. I just I had to mention Shinobi. 
I will uh, allow a shinobi interruption anytime because that was fantastic, <laughs> especially three. Um, Fuck yeah. Just moving on. It, the whole thing felt like a beat em up video game, which really struck me now more than it did when I was playing them. But it all it all just comes together in this big childhood mishmash of cheese and action. And it was great. It's just it's what kids should have fun with because it's not overly gory or uh, exploitative with nudity and bloodshed and everything. It's just kind of good, wholesome American ninja fun. <laughs> Jangoistic <laughs> nonsense. That's the vast majority of what American Ninja is. The movie we're going to be talking about tonight, American Ninja, to start this off with, stars Mr. Michael Dudikoff, who the vast majority of my listening audience should know who he is. I mean, he was in tons and tons of schlocky action flicks, never really made it into the big time. I mean, he may have had one-off roles here and there, but the majority of his stuff was direct to video and direct to like Cinemax and late night cable type stuff. And uh, Steve James, who you should know from the warriors and vigilante, and I'm going to get you sucker and a whole slew of black exploitation flicks. These two guys are complete badasses. And the movie that they get to star in, the plot synopsis goes as follows, folks. Joe Armstrong, an orphaned drifter with little respect for much other than martial arts, finds himself on an American army base in the Philippines after a judge gives him a choice of enlistment or prison. On one of his first missions driving a convoy, his platoon is attacked by a group of rebels who try to steal the weapons the platoon is transporting and kidnap the base colonel's daughter. Mark, let's let's start this off right and let's start talking about let's break let's get into this movie real quick here. We got uh the movie starts off and uh Julia Arnson, who was, if you guys remember, the girl who wants to get laid by her boyfriend in Friday 13th part four. Instead, Jason skewers her through a life raft. Um, always had a, a crush on her ever since I saw Friday 13th part four. She pops up in this thing as a colonel's daughter who needs to be escorted away from the base in which for some reason there's this really intense hacky sack tournament going on. <laughs> between a bunch of the army dudes now mark what did you think when the movie started and you have michael dudikoff the obvious protagonist the american ninja the man with the smallest face in this entire movie he he, he, he doesn't speak for almost like 12 minutes of this movie he's sitting there working on a car and you got these dudes playing hacky sack and being dicks to them what did you th think about this guy that was just totally busting his balls? What's his problem? I don't know. It's a new guy. He just got here yesterday. Excuse me. Throw me the bag. Then you can go back to sleep, okay? Mark, what did you think of these guys and how they were treating the Dudikoff? Oh, they were, they were riding the Dudikoff, but he was just playing it cool. Dudikoff is like one of the first people you see, and, and he's just all silent. So you're like, oh, that's the American Ninja, even if you didn't see the poster, you know. So, you know, I'm like sitting here going, okay, it's the typical new guy thing. Uh, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but the, the story of why he's in the military still, I'm like, talk about fast track. Holy shit. <laughs> There's a lot of things that happen with convenience at the forefront. <laughs> 
this is a kind of movie and most canon movies are this way where you really don't want to have the brain set in the on position when watching them <laughs> and uh the beginning of this movie as i said is, is mostly about you know these uh army guys are to lead a convoy to lead the general's daughter off base they needed and, and some weapons yeah for some reason at the same time they thought it was a good idea to put the colonel's daughter in with a bunch of weapons that possibly could get stolen by a rogue v- uh, band of ninjas she needed protection so they got weapons <laughs> <laughs> it makes it, it makes it makes even less sense as the plot goes on <laughs> that they put her in that spot too well, yeah, because they talk about real early on how they've had troubles with bandits all along. Their weapons. Let her let her drive off in the freaking convertible. She's gonna be fine. They are on an army base. They don't have a fucking helicopter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what the fuck? So so they lead her off base. They they're driving this convoy. Uh, Michael Dudikoff who is basically like the action version of Tom Matthews, looks almost exactly the same for my for my money. He's driving one of the various vehicles loaded with weaponry, unbeknownst to him, of course. And they get stopped by, shocker, a bunch of bandits. And then in the midst of them trying to hijack all these weapons, all of a sudden, the trees just become lousy with fucking ninjas. There's goddamn ninjas. <laughs> everywhere and of course you know because he's a silent type that dudikoff at some point is going to bust out and start kicking people in the face glenn now let's talk about the dudikoff before we get into his interactions with the ninjas let's let's talk about the dudikoff as a character in american ninja the man whose whose date of birth is unknown his parents are unknown his next of kin unknown because he has amnesia <laughs> big shocker to everyone what'd you think of uh joe armstrong the american ninja in this glenn well he's got a chip on his shoulder doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> mr i'm too cool to talk to anybody else i'm just gonna sit here and fix engines too good to play hacky sack well that one dude was totally you know, giving him fuck busting his balls for not playing goddamn hacky sack I, I mean, I he did look thought. at the hacky sack as if the guy had actually thrown his balls at him. So, <laughs> I know. thank you. I mean, thank I mean, you. like, way, way to make friends there, Joe. It's like, okay, I get it. He doesn't want. I think because I, I get that he's doing the whole the wild one type thing, and he's, and he's, and he's trying to act all cool, and I'm, I'm a loner and stuff like that. Throw them the freaking sack back. What the fuck? Why are you going to be? A, I thought he was being a tr- tremendous dick. In the beginning. But Scott, he's a bad boy that's been shipped from foster homes and reform school his whole entire life. Oh, please. <laughs> but of course, he is. His amnesia doesn't tell him he gets glimpses of this. But he is a white man trained in the mystical arts of the ninja by, by an Asian teacher. <laughs> What a shocker! <laughs> but let's let's move on, folks. So so Dudikoff, who is this enigma, which you obviously know through watching tons and tons of these exploitation, you know, chop sake flicks, exactly what his character is. It's nothing new. Nothing in this movie is unpredictable. 
you know this is the kind of movie you put on and passively watch and enjoy because it's familiar to you and at the same time it's goofy enough that you have a lot of fun with it so Dudikoff eventually blows his top and starts kicking all the bandits' asses, starts uh, dodging all the ninjas, catching arrows in mid-fucking-air. I don't know what designates a badass more than a dude that can literally catch arrows in the fucking air, but he eventually takes uh, Judy Arnson and runs off in the middle of the woods. And in one of the best lines in this entire movie, the head ninja looks at one of his his uh, lower ninjas and goes, He possesses great skills. laughing at that. I feel horrible for laughing at that. Let's not forget Dudikoff, out of all of his moves throughout this entire film, his top move, he, he must have took the art of diving to the ground kung fu because he dives to the ground sometimes without needing to dive to the ground, like to avoid a truck that was nowhere near him. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't believe that. You watch him during that fight before he takes her off into the forest. And at one point he dives to the ground. And I'm like, why? Why are you diving to the ground? There's nobody shooting at you or anything. And here comes the truck and it drives around him. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> what the hell? Well, like the typical canon ninjas from all of these movies, they're all just a bunch of bumbling fucking morons run by some rich white guy who has, for some reason, some ninja training facility <laughs> in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> I just love the fact that there's ninjas, man, that first opening scene when Dudikoff's driving the convoy leading him through and there's this one goddamn ninja just standing out in the middle of the fucking jungle. Eh, just it's another like, day. It's like, not in Japan. We, we're we're not in Japan. We're Wasn't not, it the Philippines? It, this takes place in the Philippines. Philippines. It was in the Philippines, you know, so it was just this jungle, this scenery, this vista of beautiful tropical lowland and a fucking ninja in black garb just standing there like he has a perfect sense like he's supposed to be there looking at me like i'm the asshole like i'm the one that has a problem (laughs) (laughs) driving by and then of course you know he raises his arms and then the other ninjas start dropping out the trees like you said Derek. the place just gets lousy with ninjas (laughs) it is it just everywhere and the funny one of my uh, (laughs) one thing that made me almost die laughing was that you know after you know the whole confrontation is wrapped up and uh, Dudikoff is run off with uh, the colonel's daughter into the middle of the woods, and he's uh, cut her dress up and broke her heels so Rips that she can remain in the stone. Sorry, yeah. right? And, and all that shit. They get back to the base, and he, you know, he saves the daughter, but gets court-martialed. And they start talking about the aftermath of this. And one dude goes, "Jackson, yes, sir. Did you get a chance to check the wounds? Yes, sir, I did." What the hell did you find out? Have you ever heard of ninjutsu, sir? What's that? The secret art of assassination. Yeah, of course I have. Well, according to witnesses' testimony and evidence, this massacre was the work of ninjas. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) That was Jackson. God, that was so beautiful. What is it? Well, sir, have you ever heard of ninjutsu? (laughs) The secret art of assassination? (laughs) By this time, he's like, well, yeah, of course I have. Well, this was done by ninjas, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Seth. What did you think? When, just, just so nonchalantly, they're just like, oh, of course, it has to be ninjas. 
Well, I mean, they must have uh, had every previous encounter with ninjas because nobody's surprised at these Filipino jungle ninjas jumping out of fucking palm trees. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cover does a palm tree give you? You hide behind a pair of coconuts. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I love the uh, the brief description of ninjutsu every time they say it. <laughs> the art of assassination. <laughs> every time they say ninjutsu, it has to be followed up with it. But yeah, uh, they uh, they play it cool with ninjas. Oh, what the fuck? Ninjas? Okay. <laughs> it has to be, of course. And, and of course, they know about this, but don't tell any of their soldiers no. that there's a possibility of a ninja <laughs> hijacking. No, they're this quiet. <laughs> we don't want to tell our, our army who may have to come into contact and combat ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> roaches or vermin or mice or in the Philippines, you get ninjas. I mean, it happens, you know. They just kind of just don't. It's like in the South, you know, when you get the big water bugs, those big-ass cockroaches. Oh, we just don't talk about deer. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me smush him with my shoe. Oh, no. Well, in, in typical action movie conceit, of course, they get back to the base. Michael Dudikoff isn't thanked for bringing back the colonel's daughter. He's basically almost court-martialed, and he's he's set to be like a lowly runner. He has to take things back and forth to places, and uh, for some reason, the head boss of this island who runs all these ninjas, of course, there's got to be some dude that runs an entire team of ninjas for no reason whatsoever. He wants Michael Dudikoff dead because he possesses great skills, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason all of the heads of this army base are in cahoots together to try and off Dudikoff but in one scene uh, when uh, we had talked about Steve James being in this movie and if you know who Steve James is you're cool <laughs> because Steve James is one of my favorite action dudes he's he's this force of fucking nature the guy is humongous he's ripped like a motherfucker and he looks like he could rip the head off of anyone that comes near him so there's a scene in which he heard that he accidentally that because the word around the block is dudikoff flew off the handle and got a bunch of their army dudes killed in this uh standoff with the you know the lousy ninjas in the in the middle of the forest and so Steve James, who's the martial arts expert of this base, decides to have a sparring match with him. And Dudikoff shames him completely. And of course, they become best friends. This makes no freaking sense when this happens, too. Okay. <laughs> this, 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 <laughs> I mean, none of this makes sense. But first. First of all, it doesn't make sense that everybody blames Dudikoff. I know, okay, I know he's, his name is Joe Armstrong. I'm calling him Dudikoff. I, that everybody blames Dudikoff for this. It's like, oh yeah, Dudikoff got us all killed. Wait, no, no, he did. It, there, I think there weren't there still enough witnesses left to say uh, that's not what happened or anything like that because it's not every single army guy that got killed. It's like four, and it was the, <laughs> it was the colonel's daughter who actually started everything by running off. 
And it was the colonel's daughter that started everything by running off. That guy, you know, that guy is. There's lots of witnesses. There are lots of witnesses that are still alive. <laughs> That's it. Uh, no, he's not kicking ass. And everything. And then she gets all bitchy about it, which because she has to because she's an uh, a woman written into an '80s action movie. Um, so, and then. The word gets around, yeah, he's the bad guy in this, not the ninjas, not the killers. No, this guy, he's this is the bad guy <laughs> in this. And it's like a blood vendetta when he's ready to beat the shit out of Dudikoff. But Dudikoff's like, you know, as you say, he like the, the very playful thing. He has the whole thing with the bucket on his head and everything. And they do this great little this great action sequence and then Dudikoff puts out his hand and they come up there and he says like, all right, everybody, Joe's all right. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> this makes sense. Okay. First of all, it makes sense for you to blame him. And then second of all, why is he suddenly all right? Because he kick, could kick your ass. You know, he might just be an ass still kick your ass. <laughs> well, he respects the skills because he obviously could tell that he was trained in the art of ninjutsu, the art of assassination, <laughs> which, which as Mark had described before, is mostly rolling around on the ground and avoiding things. I think what we have to do is step back and get into the 80s mentality of this sequence. Okay, because you're right, Scott. It is absolutely absurd. However, if we were to inject ourselves into that paradigm for a second now okay so marines have died people are dead you know that happens and then we blame the dudikoff and you are right scott it's not joe armstrong it's michael dudikoff this is it, this is his actual life it's an autobiography we <laughs> <laughs> so, can refer to him as dudikoff everybody knows who we're talking about okay so he gets blamed for it and sure the whole scenario is stupid however this I feel that <laughs> it, trying to find you know like trying to find the uh, the good and all the bad. Steve James and Dudikoff have a chemistry like between them, and I think it actually falls down to the scene because I was when I was watching it again the other night, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, wow, this is just horrible and stupid. But when you see them fight, because Steve James comes up and he's a heel. You like you don't like him, and it's psychological because the way they've set the movie up. You he's also like a, a foot taller than him too. You don't like him. He's intimidating. He's a heel, and he goes to bully Dudikoff. Well, Dudikoff, you know, he just he passes it off. He just uses the momentum against Steve James, takes him down, uses the bucket, humiliates him, but he offers his hand and helps him up. What he has done is what has happened psychologically is they have taken the face and the heel dynamic, and they have completely overturned it now because you don't know what to do. You wanted the Dudikoff to kick his ass, but no, he extended his hand and held him up. It was like, well, what the fuck is this? Well, now all of a sudden they're friends. And now is giving you that 80s buddy cop mentality for the rest of the film because I will say the chemistry between Dudikoff and James on screen, like, I really love those characters. Like seeing both of them together when you've got Armstrong and Jackson together, it's just, it's a team. I mean, it's like Tubbs and Crockett. It's just one of those you see one, you see the other, and they're friends, and it, you feel good. And that's the mentality you need to go with. So, Scott, you need to don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Show respect, goddamn it, Scott Davis. You're sleeping on the playground, okay? I, 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 no. I, I, I get, I get, I get, I get, I get the eighties when turning your 
Marino for eighties action is, especially from Canon Group, is absolutely agree with you. I'm just pointing out. I cry for this day that actually has weight. I think has way too much scrutiny when it comes to films like this. But I do have to bring up how that doesn't make any sense. God, is people like you that keep me grounded? Because just imagine people like me out here. And people like me were running the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you bring up a real good point is, is that this movie in general, I, I think if it, it's kind of funny that we're going to sit and really like pick apart these movies, because these aren't movies you're supposed to really posit too much. Like think about way uh, they're movies that are breezy. You're, you're supposed to just go into them, watch a bunch of, you know, high kicking nonsense and hijinks and just walk away having fun. Now, Mark, when all is said and done, did you have a good time with this movie? Oh, it's a blast. I, I totally agree that Dudikoff and James have fantastic chemistry. They have that buddy cop chemistry that you got in the 80s. You know, that unlikely you know these two characters the way they paint them in the beginning you're like there's no way they're gonna be together and you know pretty soon oh yeah just you know one fight yeah we're good you know <laughs> it's like and you're like okay <laughs> you know that's how they roll and uh, yeah this film oh this film's a lot of fun man i used to watch this one so many times it was such cable fodder it was always on cable somewhere. And I used to watch it constantly and I forgot how many times I watched this film till I watched it again for the podcast. And as I'm watching, I'm like, holy crap, I remember all these scenes and that music. I'm listening to the music going, holy crap, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 totally ripped off the score to American Ninja. Well, let's be honest, Mark. The the music in this movie is as stock music as it fucking gets. Oh, yeah. This oh, movie, no. this music could have been lifted from 15 other action movies and just laid straight on top of this thing. I, I think Canon had its own library of stock music that it just said, OK, action movie. Let's see. Ninja track one, Ninja track two and action scene three. There we go. You know, <laughs> just wait till the next American Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you gotta you gotta disregard that kind of stuff with this one because on a whole, I thought this movie had a lot of really decent ac- action scenes. Some of them oh. weren't the greatest, and they usually involved Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> they, if you ever noticed, and I don't know if you guys noticed this as much as I did, but during a lot of the action scenes, because there was. Obviously, we had made reference to this ninja clan that are on the island, and there was this big bad ninja. I believe his name was Black Star, and uh, he was, you know, supposed to be this ninja from the old land. And he's this dude that just like is a cat with nine lives who just never dies, and he's just a total badass. There's this entire sequence in which we finally get introduced into the training ground for the ninjas. Of course, the big bad in this movie has an entire kind of like enter the dragon where you walk in and there's just ninjas training 24 fucking hours a day all the fucking time i you know at some point in my life i would love if i were rich enough to just have a lot of land where i had ninjas training all the time where i could walk out 
and I would just sit and be able to watch ninjas. Welcome to beautiful Astro Radio Z Ninja Training. <laughs> ninja, welcome to the Astro Radio Z Ninja Training Facility. Come watch the blue neon blue ninjas kick each other's faces. Watch the yellow ninjas scale up rope. <laughs> it would have to be higher quality than what we saw in this movie though right because it was just a bunch of monkey bars and seesaws that they were running across <laughs> yeah they went down to the local park isn't that kind of, that kind of why we have the show that's actually called american ninja warrior and it is a bunch of monkey bars and seesaws on that show as well <laughs> did you know it is hilarious shit is hilarious and my my main thing is that the action sequence in this uh, sequence where you you go in and you see this training ground um black star puts on a demonstration and this happens in both the movies we're going to talk about tonight where he just wholesale starts killing dudes <laughs> like for some reason it's okay for these guys to like build these or take the time to train these ninjas and they, they literally they're training all day long every day they recruit these guys but it's okay for one guy to come in if there's somebody with money to demonstrate how easily they can be killed. <laughs> That's what I loved about it. Just, uh, look at our, our killing machine ninjas <laughs> and how easily they're disposed of. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> this unfortunately isn't the only series where you've gotten the main head boss guy just going about killing his lackeys for no apparent reason outside of showing that he's the badass but the rest of them yeah are fodder I, it's been it done seems kind of counterproductive don't you think what I love you mentioned about the monkey bars and stuff I love how there's that chase between the Dudikoff and Blackstar and how they deliberately go through instead of running around the um, swing set the swing set with the spiked logs that swing on cables <laughs> instead of running around it the Dudikoff chases Blackstar through this when they could have easily <laughs> ran around this obstacle and meet Blackstar at the end no no he has to go through it as well well yeah that was Dudikoff's backyard he was familiar with it <laughs> he took him through it he took advantage of the situation and led Black Star through his backyard. You, you know, we got to we got to talk about Dudikoff. You know, because I, I think I think I think Dan, your your, your biography stuff, stuff is hilarious. I know you know it's BS <laughs> because, <laughs> and I love Dudikoff. I love Dudikoff. Let me go on the record saying I am a big fan of this guy. I think he's great. And uh, on. Um, Dudikoff actually talks about how he became this action star, which was totally not planned um, on the uh, extras to the Avenging Force Blu-ray, which is an amazing movie, by the way, Avenging Force. I want to watch it. Uh, oh, it's so good. And um, he's on there. And he, remember, he was not known for action stuff. He was known for comedy player in comedies. He did a lot of TV. And um, he talks about it. He's just like, yeah, and I... Uh, they had this big, you know, casting call for all these people and they just liked my look. And all my friends are like, oh, man, duty's in an action movie. I can't believe duty's doing this. And he really should have said this. Him made duty? It. Yeah. That needs to be his book. I can't think that of a worse nickname possible. That's his book. Exactly. That's his book. I, he should. 
he should not have said that because it advertised his nickname was Duty. But <laughs> he said, yeah, I know Andrew Shearer is going to like that factoid. But he, yeah, his, his, he was right. Think it was and he was it was not planned. And he went on the set. He was hired for you know he could you know read a line and he had really good looks. He was very photogenic um, and zero martial arts. And he was in the cast <laughs> with people who did know martial arts. So they had to shoot around this and. Thankfully, uh, and you know, I, I'm fine with him not knowing m- much martial arts because I thought he, I thought he did, played the carried the part well. But Sam Furstenberg is such an incredibly good action director. That stuff is blocked so well. <laughs> okay, I don't good, know if I, I don't want I you don't to blow know. Sam Furstenberg too much here. He's a he's a good no. He he he. My buddy Austin actually pointed it out to me when he when we were when we were talking about Revenge of the Ninja. He says, "Look at that that scene. That is covered, man." And but um, and he he's he shot it well enough where you're watching this and you're like, "Ninja." Why not? Yes. <laughs> yes. You know what? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'll, not to jump too far ahead. There's a fucking sequence in the next movie where Steve James and Dudikoff jump off of a fucking rock and land right in a boat. <laughs> so you yep. Tell me how wonderfully blocked some of these scenes are. <laughs> I, want, I, I want that quote on the when they release American Ninja, like uh, in, in a few years, they'll re-release like a multi-pack or something. I want that quote from Scott: "American Ninja, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, that's the Sam Furstenberg way. Seriously, I mean, the movies are are light on logic. It's a and, comic book. Yeah, they're high on camp and fun. That's that's what really rides this movie. Now let's talk about the final epic fucking battle where okay. black star and the ninjas are taking on the uh, american um army force at the big bads hideout and, and glenn let's talk about black star and his secret weapon that he pulls out out of fucking nowhere glenn what did you think when all of a sudden a goddamn laser gun starts shooting all over the fucking place yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a thing. Can't be, can't be more eighties than that. I remember when I was a kid, and I'm like, huh. And then as an adult, I was like, huh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it it kind of like ruins a lot of the the mystique of of a ninja. Where it's like, just kind of fucking lit. Why didn't you open with that? Yeah. yeah. Why didn't you sneak it around all over the fucking place? Why didn't you just take that laser and mow over everybody? Yeah, just done. Done. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's what I, what I call uh Voltron syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, just be the giant robot at the start with the huge sword and you're done. Why are you fucking around with this? You know, oh, I'm going to throw these little stars at them. Maybe try to kick. No, no laser. Just use your laser, dude. You're done. <laughs> Well, I guess that's what you call building to a climax. (laughs) (laughs) So you got Black Star who's shooting at the duty. I'm going to call him duty for the rest of the fucking podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll be able to, but I'm sure as fuck going to try. So Black Star is shooting at duty with a goddamn laser gun. Then you got Steve James who comes in guns a blazing, has to fight (laughs) roundies Bolo Young 
and is oily as fuck. <laughs> And then fucking pulls out a goddamn bazooka and starts shooting it all over the fucking goddamn place. This final sequence, the the final act of this movie is classic Sam Furstenberg nonsense and literally almost saves some of the middle section of this film that just goes through the numbers of your typical like duty is this guy who's got to run and hide from the authorities because they all are trying to pin him for murders that ninjas are doing all over the place. And the only person that believes him is his good buddy who he humiliated in a fight in front of everybody, Steve James. And (laughs) it all culminates in this huge ninja battle where all of a sudden uh, duty finds out his, sorted past in which he was a little boy that was uh, adopted by this mystical teacher our paths will meet again what do you mean your karma and mine they are connected learns the secret of ninja magic of course he does of Go course he does of course he does <laughs> so this this ending battle is literally it, it's worth the price of admission it's stupid it's so ridiculously over the top and um it ends the movie at an hour and 20 minutes long. Victory! That's what I call a fucking goddamn movie, folks. Don't linger around. This ain't no two-hour gimmick. This is a goddamn hour, hour 20, hour 20, hour 25-minute movie. That's how you fucking do a movie. Sam Furstenberg, it's not his action blocky, that's for sure, because he doesn't know how to edit worth a pinch of shit. But he sure knows how to bring a movie in at an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> so that's that's a big thumbs up for me in this. So let's go ahead and let's let's wrap this one up and give our final thoughts on, on this movie. And uh, any anything you think we missed that we need to talk about with this. Seth, we're going to start with you. Final thoughts on American Ninja. I'm mad we never got a spinoff of uh, Duty and Steve James doing their little gimmick wrestling match that they talked about for money <laughs> i would have loved to have seen their pro wrestling tour across the philippines <laughs> i love that steve james is not he just wants to sit and make a uh, make some paper and, and exploit <laughs> and do a good old wrestling gimmick but uh duty's not having any of duty, it duty was not impressed by that idea no the movie's a blast just total cheese ball camp fun turn your brain off it doesn't linger like you said there's a fucking laser gun. Why not? And, uh, you know, Black Star. Why is he Black Star? Because he's got some makeup on his face. So the movie works for me totally. Big thumbs up. Yeah, he's got some bullshit tattoo on his on his fucking eyelid. There he is. You said somebody should came up. Hey, you got some bullshit on your face. You don't want to get that off of it. Like, good luck getting a tax paying job in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the service industry or washing dishes, folks. <laughs> Scott Davis, final thoughts. Oh, it's it's fantastic. I love this movie. It's uh uh, you know, of course, I'm kidding around, joking around about how it doesn't stand up to scrutiny and everything like that, because, well, I did a whole web series about stuff like that. But <laughs> I mean, but yes, it's it's great. I mean, it is total canon. What I love about this movie is that I mentioned before how you had different types of action movies in the 80s. There was a, a trend of a very... Uh, different kind of action movie uh that this was kind of following and that was a very grim 
revenge-themed action movie. Films like uh, The Exterminator, which which also had Steve James in it, incidentally, which were just Death Wish 2, which were really sadistic and everything. This one has like ten times as many bodies, but it is so goofy it is so silly it's it's basically what this movie is is that it was like a gi joe cartoon come to life where we said man don't you wish gi joe was just there a lot more badass i mean they've got all this stuff and they don't do anything with it well here comes the movie they didn't have all the stuff but they had all that spirit that you wish they put in those gi joe cartoons and they turned it into a great r-rated action movie and it's just a lot of fun i love american ninja yeah, I wouldn't even I, it's well, at least now to our sensibilities, this I think would come out as a PG-13. There's really not much that makes this an R movie. There's the occasional blood. I think it's mostly just the level of violence. There's no nudity in this movie. Yeah, but ch- you check out the body count on IMDb, dude. <laughs> well, but still, but still. 14, I think they said. Nope. Yeah, it's harmless. It's not like it's not like it's not like you're watching, you know, I, I would. I would say this is far less harmless than a lot of the PG-13 action movies, in fact, these days. The ones that where, you know, entire cities are getting wiped out and stuff like that. This is way sillier and way much better and much higher spirits than that. Mark, the movie man, go ahead. Your, your final thoughts on this one. This was a lot of fun. Watched it a lot when I was a kid. Watched a lot of these type of action films when I was a kid because they were cable fodder and VHS fodder. And and yeah, you know, I looked at it today, even watching it, even with the body count, though, I'm watching it going, man, it's like, why is this rated R? (laughs) I'm like sitting here going, even with the body count that they supposedly have, nothing is really that bloody. The, the, the action and the deaths are like, if bullets actually hit people in a team, but not always because some of the guys just would fall, even if they weren't being (laughs) shot at, Oh, you know, it's just it's it's very cheesy 80s action films. And it's so much fun because it know these films, you know, people who criticize and shred these films. And then I'm like, you realize they knew what they were making. People, they're not under some impression. They're making some fantastical blockbuster. Oh, this is going to make me the next Rambo film. They know what they're making and they're having fun. And you can tell that it's got a lot of charm and a lot of spirit and just a lot of stuff that, yeah, you turn your brain off and you just enjoy the crazy because, you, you know, and the coincidence, you get that wonderful 80s action coincidence where the, 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 the guy who the caretaker for the bad guy just happens to be the trainer of the Dudikoff. And you're just like, wait, what? You know, out of all the Singapore islands in all the world, they two ended up together on the same <laughs> island. You, you know what I mean? So you got all kinds of crazy stuff like that that you don't want to think about. You just you just <laughs> enjoy it for what it is, which is a crazy action film where you get to see some very talented people make Dudikoff look really good in the action scenes. Oh my God. Old duty. Good old duty. Glenn Bittner, go for it. Final thoughts. Uh, <laughs> ninjas are the most ineffectual fighting force to ever be devised. Apparently, if you go by this movie, um, why anyone would have ever thought these were something to be feared or something cool. I can't imagine it. 
Um, I mean, now don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, the action Jackson man is, uh, I mean, he's got muscles and he's awesome. Uh, which makes sense. Cause seeing as he knew more, more martial arts than Dudikoff did. So, um, <laughs> just not, I mean, I, I I'm not going to say I, I hate the movie. Um, it's, it's a piece of 80s nostalgia for me. I mean, I remember watching as a kid along with, you know, as I think Daniel mentioned, you know, 88,000 other Canon action films that were made. And I gobbled, <laughs> I gobbled the stuff up. I did. Um, going back and rewatching it. It's a lot more fun watching it at one and a half speed. Um, <laughs> and then watching it a second time at, at double speed. Um, <laughs> it makes the fights, uh, much better. Um, so I would highly recommend watching it at super speed. It's great. So in that case, go for it. You can watch the whole movie in you know, in 36 minutes <laughs> and you don't oh. miss anything with the, with the amazing dialogue. So, Oh my God. Glad you're starting to sound like me watching. Can't, can't watch anything if it's not 1.5 speed. Exactly. <laughs> Let's round this out. Dan, your final thoughts. I, like I said at the beginning, I'll bring it back around. I mean, this is a movie that was spoken with reverence on the playground at school for me. I mean, this is in that, this is that perfect time period, 1985 with a video game. And if you doubt me, listen, just let me see if I can break this one down for you. He's driving a combo. So we're going to compare the movie with a video game. You're driving a combo. There's state the uh, convoy. So there's stage one. You fight ninjas. There's stage two. You run through the woods. There's stage three. You have to jump your motorcycle over the fence to get out of the base. There's stage four. Ninja training ground. There's stage five. Fighting the Black Star as your final boss. There's stage six. But when you get him down to low health, he pulls lasers out. So there's your... (laughs) Oh, then you're back-to-back with the old guy, and you're fighting, and then old guy disappears. You find out, holy shit, magic is real. This, this Korudetsu stuff was actually real. So then you have to fight some more. And then your final boss fight is on a fucking helicopter with a dude shooting a gun at you. And you're still just moving around, wiggling around, fighting him. And then it gets blown up with a rocket launcher from your best friend. Case closed. It's a fucking video game. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's a movie. So it's American Ninja. It's a classic. I mean, like I said, this is every fucking triple a video game that we have now metal gear i made a list ninja gaiden arcade shinobi ninja gaiden nes final fight streets of rage tmnt target renegade bad dudes double dragon wrath of the black mantha metal gear mortal Kombat, and street fighter there are plenty more all owe something to this movie and if it wasn't for this movie we would not have and you know the other movies that came before it but american ninja is the cool one because that's the one that has you know my time and place my paradigm when I was a kid, it was this movie. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> three thumbs up for me. <laughs> I don't know where the third one came from. We'll call it Ninja Magic. We, we, we don't. <laughs> well, I definitely agree with all you guys except for Glenn. Glenn, Glenn's being a crotchy old fuck this episode for some unknown reason. So what fun is? There is but uh, can I say funny though? I'm sorry to interrupt again. <laughs> And when he's talking to the old guy and he says, you know, the old guy's like, sight, seen, see, like that, telling him about it. And they're contorting their fingers into that fucked up thing that ninjas do, apparently, in movies that gives them stuff. And then the old guy. <laughs> the it's old the guy ninja goes, magic. Yeah, he says, follow the Bushido. And Joe's like, I will honor the code, father. I will follow the Bushido. 
Well, if you go to IMDb and click the goofs section, the first thing says, Ninja, do not follow Bushido. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the world of Sam Furstenberg, folks. And with that, we're going to move on to the second movie of the night, American Ninja 2, The Confrontation, made in 1987. He has been taught the mystic arts of war. He has mastered a thousand years of secrets. He has learned the way of the ninja. Now, a soldier on a suicide mission. They have been sent to paradise. Excuse me, ma'am. Wow. To defeat a conspiracy that threatens the entire world. Who set me up? I said who? The lion. Who's the lion? He's a millionaire. He made his money on drugs. He's doing the search. The super ninja. <laughs> the ultimate fighting machine. Like a predatory tiger who will feel no pain. Miracles. And no, no emotion but hate. It's ninja <laughs> against ninja. Tommy, it's ours! Together, they must destroy the most powerful criminal empire the world has ever known. He must defeat the most lethal assassin alive, and they must not fail. Michael Dudikoff returns as the American Ninja with Steve James in American Ninja 2, The Confrontation. Now, I'm going to leave the plot synopsis of this one up to Mr. Mark the Movie Man, because uh, pre-show, he really did a great job saying this so mark will you do the honors and uh tell the fine folks in astro radio zealand what is the plot of american ninja 2 the confrontation on a remote caribbean island army ranger joe armstrong investigates the disappearance of several marines which leads him to the lion a super criminal who has kidnapped a local scientist and mass produced an army of mutant ninja warriors you heard that correct folks an army of mutant ninja warriors <laughs> don't get too goddamn excited yet though that happens in the last 15 minutes of the movie <laughs> the rest of the movie is essentially duty and steve james show up in an island where they've been kind of commissioned to go there from the army because there's a bunch of marines that are turning up missing and uh, the commander on this, of course, some island yet again, uh, who who looks like basically the most stereotypical 80s dude imaginable with a Hawaiian shirt, green wife beater, cop mustache, fucking spiked mullet. <laughs> this guy, you see him, you're just like. This can't be for real. Did this guy just walk out of Miami connection? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Looked exactly like one of those dudes. But anyways, he has them come in in order to figure out what's going on. I'm losing Marines left and right. I need some help. I was hoping I was going to get Marines, but no, I get Army Rangers. You guys, pff, I guess I'll have to, you know, put up with you guys. So <laughs> they, for some reason, then get taken by to uh, you know shown the town by these guys 
and get <sighs> bear with me folks how they did not see this coming i have no idea they take them out to go skiing in a boat and go swimming and scuba diving and all this other shit and they all of a sudden get stranded on a beach somewhere where the engine just goes bad and on this beach all of a sudden this beach is lousy with fucking ninjas all over a goddamn game. <laughs> all the fucking ninjas come to this goddamn beach to fight fucking Duty and Steve James. And it is literally one of the funniest fucking goddamn sequences <laughs> of the, that when they're riding this boat, this boat ride to go wherever they're going to go to do this one shot. They're all wide awake. And literally with no transitional element or anything to tell you there was a span of time between one shot and the next, the next shot immediately, they're all fucking asleep. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever in continuity, but bear with me. Supposedly some sort of time space barrier had been broken and they all fall, fell asleep. So uh, they wind up on this goddamn peach and they start going into this ninja battle. Now, now, Glenn, did you not expect this turn of events where this beach was completely lousy with oh. ninjas? <laughs> no, of course I expected it. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's so I mean, not only do they not know what subtle is, they, they couldn't spell it. They couldn't they, they they wouldn't know it if. You know, if it was, you know, on a beach covered with ninjas. Um, yeah, no, it's it's so obvious what's going to happen when they go up here, especially when it's the, hey, the boat won't start. What? Oh, my gosh. Well, let's just go for a swim. Apparently, faster than, than a fucking dolphin, because those three guys are gone, like, instantly. Like, just disappeared. <laughs> I mean, like, they're freaking mermen, and they just went down to Atlantis to hang out with Aquaman or something. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is it is the least surprising thing ever. Well, I mean, it's the I mean, I know that they don't really stress the ninjas uh, like art of stealth in these movies. But I mean, out of the only time when wearing multicolored ninja outfits wouldn't matter. <laughs> all the ninjas that come in all wearing black and everything. I'm like, guys. Broad daylight on an open freaking beach. <laughs> we see you coming. <laughs> How would we know they were ninjas any other way, Scott? <laughs> my my main thing was this: is that Duty and Steve James start battling these ninjas, and all of these ninjas have katana swords. They sit and fight these guys. They're dropping their swords everywhere, and they never pick a fucking sword up. Dan, <laughs> what the fuck is going on with these guys? All they could have done is just picked up the swords and start chopping people's heads off. Why? Why didn't they pick up a goddamn sword? I guess is the terror of facing. Michael Dudikoff one-on-one. <laughs> um, no, Dudikoff didn't pick up a goddamn sword. He doesn't need to. He's Michael Dudikoff there. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I can say that, like, with the first movie, that was reverence. The reverence is gone in these. <laughs> this, is a, <laughs> this is a shit show from title card to credit card. I mean, this thing is just it's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Jesus fucking Christ, man! Yeah, once they hit the beach, and if, like Glenn said, did I did ninjas are out there? And what's funny is I'm watching. I was like, oh holy shit, ninjas are back! <laughs> it's 
did not. It just comes out of left field with the rubber swords. And they're just dropping swords left and right. Hell, Michael Dudikoff, what? He doesn't even use a sword to fight. He uses a wooden pole for yep. to take one of them down. And then the one like uses a rope for another one or something. These are the most inept, clusterfuck ninjas I have ever seen. Might as well have gotten <laughs> Larry and Curly to be professional assassins. They would have been a lot more effective. <laughs> I think you're dead on about that one. I think that that's indicative of this entire movie. Like the ninjas, of course, completely just fodder to be kicked in the face. Um, I had spoken about uh, a weird editing snafu earlier. There is one scene during a debriefing in which Steve James and duty are standing in front of eighties mullet Marine. Wild Bill. Wild Bill. (laughs) 80s Wild Bill Hickok. And uh, they literally turn and start leaving. And they must have not had duty to shoot that day. And they had a stand in. They turn. The guy faces camera, looks into camera. Obviously not Dudikoff. (laughs) Walks off off screen. And in the direct next shot, is Michael Dudikoff again? <laughs> He's a ninja boy. You never see him come and go. Okay. Well, maybe it was the same. Maybe it was the guy who the original army jacket. Because when you the first you see Dudikoff in this movie, he is wearing an army dress jacket that obviously is too big for him. The sleeves are just going over his hands, <laughs> and it's uh, like seriously puffy. Shot. It looks like that's that's just because he's a ninja and he's partially disappearing. That's the ninja magic. He's popping in and out of bodies. I mean, I had literally watched this shot multiple times. I'm like, that did not just fucking happen. They did not just use a stand in, have him walk straight towards camera. And the guy looks in fucking camera. (laughs) Another one I thought was funny. And it had nothing to do with poor cinematography because we've already, we know that just by watching this, but whenever they're on the beach, and uh, the, getting back to the beach fight, when uh, Steve James's character first jumps on there, so Jackson is walking on the beach, and he's just—he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go look for him." So he's going to look for Armstrong, and he sees a ninja. It's not, "Oh my gosh, there's a ninja," or "Oh golly gee willikers, look at there's a ninja fixing to attack." No, he sees the ninja and immediately squares off and kicks his ass. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a day in the life of Steve James. It's like, well, you're talking, baby, I'm going to Walmart and I'm going to get some milk. And he walks out to the car, fights a fucking ninja. It's like, honey, are you okay? Yeah, baby, I just had to kill him. This is, this is a day in the life of Steve James. Yeah, I, this is just another fucking day. I, what I loved about this, and Mark, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, is when, when the ninjas start appearing. I mean, we haven't even got beyond this first action sequence with them on the beach. <laughs> these ninjas got is that that when duties finally sees the, the fucking ninjas coming toward him they're all running with their arms up in the air <laughs> like like it's too bad ninja are silent otherwise you could have heard them go <laughs> they they try to stealthily stealthily drop the net on him but they don't have it quite ready yet and he's out sooner than they expect but 
he just grabs that net and knocks pulls them both off. I'm like, how effective was that? I mean, they they weren't stealthy at all. He saw his shot. The, these guys, these ninjas are supposed to be part of the mutant squad of ninjas, and these guys, I think, got the you know back into the genetic gene pool because these guys are worse than the ninjas in the first film <laughs> oh man they're just ridiculous and what ends up happening is of course they get away they kick all these ninjas asses they jump from a cliff into the boat and in one miraculous edit and then get back and uh, tell their the uh, the 80s uh wild bill hickok marine that uh what's going on uh sir we think it's ninjas. And then, and then he goes, this is really beginning to get on my tits. <laughs> Seth, let's talk about uh, the 80s Marine. Uh, what did you think of this dude? He is a complete cartoon character as far as any type of authoritarian figure goes. He doesn't wear any outfit until two thirds of the way through the movie. That's not just a beach attire. He yells about his tits when he's upset. Uh, his name's fucking Wild Bill. He lets everyone call him Wild Bill. And he's apparently the best friend to everybody because anytime you mention Wild Bill, there's just background shouting of, oh shit, Wild Bill? Wild Bill! <laughs> so he's turned the entire Marine uh, base into a goddamn frat house. <laughs> Which, oh, which uh, for the record, I think is hilarious. I would love to party with Wild Bill. <laughs> he reminded me of like Goose's brother. You know, he totally looks like Goose. Goose from Thank You from Top Gun. I totally looked at him going Goose, and I'm like, no, it, yeah, uh, it, it looks like you know if Goose didn't die. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> that's what he'd be doing. He'd be like rocking the desk at some like at like some Caribbean island uh, army base, and you know he'd be like sitting there and you're just like you know complaining about his tits and like waiting to get home to Meg Ryan. That'd be it. <laughs> <laughs> I am confirmed that. What well, it doesn't confirm it, but it it confirmed my suspicions when I was watching it because I had the GI Joe Wild Bill, who had a hat mm. and a blue life preserver and a blue shirt underneath with a yellow scarf and the pants and stuff. I because whenever I saw the movie and I was like, holy shit, it, you know, it looks so familiar. So checking IMDb and sure enough, you know, it's rumored that that character Wild Bill was modeled after the GI Joe character Wild Bill, who basically had the same role in the G.I. Joe canon. And so you just you just know that that was a movie that didn't get the rights to. You just know. I mean, couldn't you just see that ever a G.I. Joe movie? I know there have been G.I. Joe movies. Let's pretend they don't exist. But if there ever was a live action G.I. Joe movie, you just knew that canon wanted to make that movie. Oh, I would rather see a canon G.I. Joe movie oh. all day long. <laughs> but oh, no, that's same here. They, they, were the, they were the only people who could do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> well, these movies obviously are off of that mold. And the story yeah. of this one. It is seriously the exact same story transposed into a new environment. It's uh, there's an island owned by some white boss who has a team of fucking ninjas. This time they're mutant ninjas that are the, the Marines that they're stealing and they're bio uh, chemically modifying them like Captain America, like the Winter Soldier program. <laughs> this is even more ninjas. And then uh Joe is set up again for, uh, for a murder. 
They have to prove his innocence. Again. And then about 53 minutes into this movie, he meets a love interest in a horrible sequence in which duty and this love interest with the most cheese dick fucking music spout off a ton of nonsense about curing cancer with bio ninjas and a bunch of other fucking stupid nonsense. So really this movie is the exact same movie. Yeah, only it's far more of a buddy cop movie with Steve James and duty than the first one was, if you can believe that. Now, uh, when we said, did this, Glenn, did this bother you that this was basically the exact same movie as the first one? I didn't miss anything. (laughs) (laughs) What speed did you watch this one at? (laughs) 1.5. And then, and meh, yeah, most of it was 1.5. Some some scenes I, I bumped it up to uh, to 2.0. Um, but I mean, you know, I've also, I mean, I've seen all of the American Ninja movies multiple times in the past, too. So this was just refresher for me. And, you know, obviously this one was just, you know, refresher of the first one, um, for the most part, just in a different country. <laughs> oh god it's essentially all this fucking thing it, is it, it, it is it is the same movie but it's done a little bit sillier because it's lower budget because instead of being you know in the jungles and all this stuff now it's like you know in whatever you know back street of this you know country we got to film in and um and then of course they add the whole they add a lot of curveballs to the plot to make it more and more ridiculous so as if to up the ante for the sequel. So this one just isn't about a rich guy who is, who wants to fund a arms deal uh, race with his ninja army. No, no, no. It's about a drug trafficker who is kidnapping army people and turning them in and using their DNA to genetically engineer a race of ninja warriors. I mean, that's goofy shit. Some <laughs> major goofy shit. And again, we are shown another amazing sequence in which now Black Stars transpose for this other bad ninja, okay. which I'll just call Big Bad Ninja. And <laughs> another sequence in which we're shown, of course, the lion, who's the big bad in this movie, the lion who has his own emblem that is basically <laughs> everywhere in his own house. Trademark uh, is drug. Yeah, he's trademarked his fucking place. And we we are shown what's essentially a bootleg blood sport set where a bunch of ninjas, multicolored ninjas. I don't know if there is like a class system within ninjas in which, you know, like you had said, Dan, before, where certain ninjas are white, certain ninjas are red, certain ninjas are black, certain ninjas are brown, whatever the fuck they are. But there's another sequence in which the big bad ninja has to demonstrate for a guy that's trying to, that's, you know, they're trying to woo him to put more money into this program. And uh, the big bad ninja just starts killing all of his ninjas again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow, the big bad guy's holding, waving his arms and smiling like this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted my <laughs> mutagen <laughs> ass ninjas to get their asses kicked by my number one lieutenant. See, and he's just holding his hands and grinning, looking at all the spectators with him. He's like, see, what did I tell you? <laughs> He's Look just, at my amazing ninja army. Oops, you just killed half of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead. Between this and the beach sequence, the vast majority of my ninjas are dead. <laughs> don't don't Will forget you please fund my program. Don't forget <laughs> yeah. the epic bar fight with the 
paid help for the ninjas. Oh god. <laughs> that wonderful bar fight oh where he was like, oh <laughs> it was like they looked and go, wait, I didn't break that piece of furniture yet. And someone would just run into it. <laughs> well, I, I mean we know well I, I mean by the way, but but I mean, well, don't we kind of know that we're dealing with low rent ninjas? The what's the first time we see ninjas in this movie? What's the first time we see them? It's the very very beginning, before Dudikoff's even off the plane. Beginning and big fight in the bar, and then the guy just like clandestinely opens the back door and like some bunch of ninjas pile in. It's like the guy was like the cool older brother underage kids he was sneaking into the movie <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're all underage ninjas they just want to get their drink on this is, this is, these are not threatening ninjas. this place has a ninja infestation like the philippines like oh do we got those ninjas sneaking in here hold on let me get my shoes and step on him dude i got the ninja spray let's just spray a little bit over here and over there <laughs> oh my god so of, of course there's a lot of hijinks where they're running around trying to prove innocence trying to figure out what the hell's going on they all know what's going on there's some stupid subplot with a bunch of homeless kids and blah 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 none of it matters of course it all culminates into this big climax in which steve james shows up at this fucking budget blood sport set in a, in a fucking leather outfit <laughs> in the 80s wild bill guy literally becomes a cowboy and shoots his way into this place and then almost immediately steve james rips his shirt off and who can fucking blame him because the dude is fucking ripped <laughs> it, everyone just starts punching each other in the face now instead of there being a laser in this movie the big bad ninja because obviously the budget's shorter for some reason, pulls out a fucking shotgun. <laughs> now, Seth, describe to me how in, in what world did ninjas utilize weapons like a shotgun? Uh, in Duty's world. <laughs> <laughs> also, he had a very limited amount of ammunition for this shotgun. It was four shells and he was done. And then I was half expecting him to just chuck it at Dudikoff, but uh, the shotgun caught me so off guard i was fucking losing it <laughs> i don't understand why didn't they just take his dna to make these super mutant ninjas how else would they have no, no, duty no, onto random, that uh, random island? and random marines yeah, it has to be random marines. random marines that are set up by this jackass marine that just hides in the corner the entire movie yeah that's all he does he's like he literally doesn't even show up in the movie until halfway through uh, I don't know, but uh, luckily Steve James is there being Fred Williamson as Rambo. <laughs> Have, <laughs> the thing I like the most about... Day. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, just just saving the day with his thumbs up. Oh my God. Let me tell you, Steve James in this movie kills Steve James in American Ninja One. Oh, like yeah. This is obvious. This was right in the heyday of the main 80s action movies because all of a sudden Steve James has one-liners left and right in this movie. Like Every time he's kicking someone in the chest, he's got to pull out some stupid one-liner. <laughs> the entire fucking movie. Uh, Scott, what'd you think of Steve James? 
I loved Steve James because uh, he brought out those gigantic Ginsu knives. Uh, <laughs> they didn't look they, they did they didn't look like they didn't look like swords. They didn't look like knives, and he had two of them. <laughs> and he just started wailing around with them. They almost didn't look real. Okay, they they really didn't look real. But <laughs> he was just Ginsuing people left and right with that. And so no, Steve James is awesome, and he was having the you know the the uh, chemistry between him and Duty are is much better this movie, and uh, they are have this camaraderie. So they have that bar fight scene together, and Steve James is like you know knocking people out, pile on them, and then he throws them all off with a bowling sound effect. James is awesome. He we, he left us way too soon in this world. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's depressing when you're looking up this movie and you realize, oh yeah, Steve James died in the nineties. He Terrible. died at 41. Yeah, yeah. at 41. Yeah, really sad. Yeah. Watching this movie because he actually, I think, like I said in the first movie, you know, he his character, the way they build the character for that 80, you know, cheese ball movie style did it very well in the first one. But I think this movie, we actually, for split seconds, it, you know, interspersed in the movie, we get to see Steve James. I, I think he's actually himself in this movie. I don't think he some parts he's not actually playing a character. I think he's being himself. The most point the part that I really think that is whenever he uh when he's getting the number from that girl. Oh. And she's like oh, yeah. she goes, call me and he gets and he's like yes. <laughs> <laughs> Little moments like that that's totally just like cause you can tell whenever he's trying to act like Jackson. But then there's other parts, especially in this movie list. I think he was actually being himself. And that's the tragedy because he seems like he would be like my best friend. He's like the kind of guy that you want to be friends with, that he would just be so cool to hang around with. And that's the tragedy of it, I think. Well, you get to this point in this film, too. Actually, you look at the way Steve James is. He's immortal. I mean, he's not even trying to play like he's afraid of getting hurt. He's like that. The series has suddenly become Steve James is the American ninja. You know, duty almost takes a back seat to Steve James as far as his fighting, because, yeah, you get the pylon scene where he he dumps everybody off with the bowling and, you know, almost anyone he fights at no point. (laughs) Do you believe at all he is going to get hurt? (laughs) (laughs) He's just smiling and he's like, yeah, come on, come on. Bat, 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 bat. And you're like, yeah, go Steve oh. James. <laughs> he, takes, he takes time to flex. Yeah. Each <laughs> yeah. Yes. Every single time you, you watch him in this movie and you're like, man, that guy would get his ass kicked so quickly because his entire fighting style is to flex <laughs> before yeah. and after every punch thrown. There, there has not been that much unnecessary flexing since the volleyball scene in Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, regardless, Steve James rules. And of course, we have yes. this ridiculously over the top, stupid action scene at the end where 
for some reason, the guy who had given his scientific secrets over to the lion decides to blow up the entire bootleg Captain America super soldier program and the entire place goes up in flames. The end. Uh, So American Ninja 2 for my buck, not as good as part one. But still just as fucking goofy and just as fucking light. And I got to say, for stupid 80s action movies, a big thumbs up from me. Dan, when all is said and done, give your final thoughts, your thoughts on American Ninja 2. Right in line with you. I mean, it's not as fun. It's not as, as I had said before, the reverence is out the window. I mean, that, you know, the first movie, that was it. That's its own. It has its place on the mantle. This one is just fun. It, it's almost a complete retread of the first one and yet completely different. And I'll broken record just like the first one. It's a it's a video game. Only this time they went even more. Think about it. Metal Gear, Fox died, the genome soldiers. And then all of a sudden you've got a cyborg ninja that was Gray Fox. And now look at American Ninja 2. What do you have? Mutant ninjas that they're making. I mean, it just <laughs> seriously, this is it, it's a thumbs up. Just freaking watch it steve james just being cool and michael dudikoff oh yeah and we get a little more ninja magic whenever he's like walking when they're doing the assault on the georgia welcome center at the interstate and he's like going in the stairwell and he just all of a sudden sits down and contorts his fingers into that fucked up thing and then he has a flashback and then all of a sudden this firework goes off in front of him he's like kododetsu yes and then all of a sudden he's got the ninja magic but we never get to see him do it but it was there. It's a thumbs up and watch it and enjoy it. It's great. I, I love that you you brought up the fact that, of course, we have to have a flashback sequence of all the stock footage from part one explaining <laughs> yeah. the backstory of Joe Armstrong yet again. Um, it's, I had I had a witchcraft flashback to all the times we had to watch that one fucking shitty blood pouring out of the mouth sequence over and over again for six movies. <laughs> I wonder how many times they're going to milk that fucking gimmick through this series. Oh, God. um, I'm guessing every single movie. So, Glenn, final thoughts on American Ninja 2. Yeah. uh, Watch American Ninja 1, and you have seen American Ninja 2, um, minus the laser, unfortunately. So, you don't get laser ninja or or whatever it is in Japanese. I've forgotten now. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's traditional 80s popcorn action silliness so if that's your thing ooh, grab a tub of popcorn and uh flex in front of a mirror and watch this movie i hope you were doing that while watching this glenn <laughs> <laughs> that's like every day all day oh of course of course mark the movie man yeah it misses a step as far as any type of story that may have been more more coherent in the first one but at the same time we're talking 80s sequels here which 90 percent of the filmmakers out there had no idea how to do a sequel so in this one they just they just winged it it felt like it felt like they just came up with a reason to get james and duty together so they could fight uh really poor ninjas i mean these these guys were worse than the first one and they're supposed to be more advanced i'm not sure in in what way but it's still fun they're special mark they're special ninja they're special ninja they are special all right Uh, (laughs) but it's still got the spirit it's still got 
the a bit of the charm that the chemistry between James and Dudikoff help move this film along because those are the two people you actually care about. You give a rat's ass about anyone else in this movie. You just want to see these two beat up a bunch of low rent ninjas for 90 minutes. And, and that's what you get for the most part. Uh, you know, you actually, I think you get a little more action in this one than in the first one. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's what it is. It's eighties action camp. And it's still entertaining at this point, uh, though, like I said, it does miss a step a bit. Scott Davis. Love it. It's a it's a goofy little movie. And it's, you know, as a kid, here's the one that I have not seen this movie probably since the 80s. I'd seen the original American Ninja a bunch, but I've never seen this one since the original the 80s. And I, I remembered that when I saw it, I saw it like about five times within like a few months time that this movie was better than the first. Well, watching it again, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. But it's got enough fun about it. It seemed like, okay, it was done cheaply. It was done as a follow-up. It was done as a cash-in. I'm fine with that. It's, you know, how can you... You can't really get too sane about exploitation film. And it's... I had thought it had a lot of fun to it. I thought Michael Dudikoff and Steve James were having a blast in this film. I liked that they filmed the uh, big battle was seen to be in the corridors of, like, an old high school. And <laughs> where... where duty is like meditating in like the stairwell not enough evil masterminds let you do that now and i just thought that this movie was a blast from beginning to end so ah okay it's not as good as the first one i guess but you know what i'm cool with it i i think i'm gonna probably be watching it again really soon actually I probably will be as well. Uh, last but not least, Mr. Seth Pollen. This one makes me wish that I encountered ninjas in everyday life. Because, <laughs> I mean, it would be like, you know, a bit of an inconvenience coming home from Walmart. Like, uh, I think it was Dan that said it. And uh, just encountering some shitty ninjas. But you take out half a dozen ninjas, that's an ego boost, you know? <laughs> you a little swagger for the rest of your day, put a little spring in your step and... <laughs> that would be cool, uh, especially because even when these ninjas hit you with their weapons, they're completely ineffective. Like the, the blow <laughs> dart, <a> rubber. <laughs> <laughs> he, he hits uh, Dudikoff in the hand with a blow dart. Apparently, it's not poison. So, <laughs> what's the point? But no, I. It's not as good as the first one. If we can talk about these movies in a, a sense of being good movies, but I have just as much fun with this one. It's goofier. The chemistry between Dudikoff and Steve James is amazing. And it's just a, a fun cheese ball flick. I mean, it's American Ninja 2. It's fun. Can you even fathom, boys, that we still have three more American Ninja movies to watch? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the fact that there's five of these movies just blows my fucking mind. We get um, some so blood in the next one, so... Oh, I haven't even, I've never seen any of the other ones. So this is all a first time thing for me. Oh, see, I so haven't I'm, seen I'm five. excited seen, about yeah, this because I loved three, these four. first two movies. I thought these were great fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen three. I haven't seen four or five. I started watching five a while back during the turkey challenge. 
And then that's how I think Dan and I started talking about putting American Ninja on the board for this year. I binged all five of them. It was almost a year because I think it was like last February or March where I binged the entire American Ninja series. <laughs> and I didn't know you seen them all, Derek. <laughs> I have not seen them all. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And I can already tell you two movies in this blows Vice Academy out of the goddamn water. Oh, <laughs> this may be the happiest Derek has ever been doing these goddamn franchise episodes, especially compared to last year. Holy fuck. <laughs> and the fact that we got to <laughs> see the new thing here, folks, on Astro Radio Z is we no longer are complaining about witchcraft movies because thankfully right now nobody's talking about making any more of those fucking pieces of shit. There's still going to be 15 million goddamn Puppet Master movies, though. You've got a new uh, Evil Bong movie coming out, too, Derek. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I was waiting waiting on Derek to be like, fuck off, Daniel. But then immediately Mark comes in like, yep. (laughs) That's because Mark, Mark has a big boner. About talking about evil bong on this podcast for some unknown reason. No, my no, just just my sight. Just nope, me. you got a boner. <laughs> got a huge boner. It's just raging at at a good two inches. Just fucking so hard. <laughs> Thank so you for giving me some hard. credit, Derek. <laughs> Folks, let's get on with with the pageantry that is. Oh yeah, American Ninja Three. Blood Hunt that was made in 
Now, American Ninja 3 Blood Hunt, we see duty is gone. <laughs> didn't come back for this movie. And who we have in his place is David Bradley. And you guys in uh, Astro Radio Z-Land may know him from our Cops episode as the guy that starred in Cyborg Cop 1 and 2. Yes. He has taken over for duty this time. And him and Steve James are about to kick a whole lot of ninja ass. Now, the synopsis of this film directed by Cedric Sundstrom is as follows. Jackson is back, and now he has a new partner, karate champion Sean, as they face a deadly terrorist known as the Cobra, who has infected Sean with the virus. Sean and Jackson have no choice but to fight the Cobra and his bands of ninjas. Now, that synopsis kind of leaves out the fact that he doesn't get infected with a virus until the last, like, 20 minutes of this movie. And the first mm -hmm. hour and 10 minutes of this movie is essentially just a rehashing of the first two films. <sighs> All of the one thing that you'll need to get used to, folks, when you're watching American Ninja films is that every single one is the same exact fucking movie. Almost. Well, I take that back. When we get to number four, there's a little bit of a difference because it's ripping off two other movies for that one. but. Let's wait for that. Um, this movie starts off with almost in kickboxer style. If you've ever seen the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic kickboxer, we have a tournament, a, a karate tournament where people are in, in a squared circle getting the shit kicked out of them. And we have a bunch of really horrible kid actors in the crowd clapping their ass, asses off and for some reason um they're overdubbed <laughs> really poorly but uh, one of them is sean and his buddy and they're cheering on waiting for sean's dad to come out uh because he has a big match that night now side side plot of this intro is there's a group of goons that come in to rob the bookie office at this tournament and one of these goons, I love the, this group of goons in this movie that started off. We have a dude that looks like a 70 year old Italian guy that was a reject from The Godfather. We have one dude that can't for his fucking life figure out how to use a butterfly blade whatsoever. He takes it out and whips it around and it just looks like, holy shit, I didn't practice this before he did this take. <laughs> he goes to cut a mute guard and then for some reason all these guys have fully automatic pistols that they're shooting <laughs> it was fucking hilarious so so this they go and they rob this bookie audience and of course they accidentally take sean's dad hostage and kill him and that is the motivation for our lead character through the rest of the film i can only bet and i hope you guys i i trust you enough that you can figure out exactly where this fucking movie is gonna go after this so let's start with this beginning sequence with the little kids the bad overdubbing and the dude that has no idea how to use a butterfly blade seth what did you think of this opening sequence i think you just nailed my notes for this entire opening sequence <laughs> <laughs> The overdubbing started out just cracked me up. Yay, go! Come on, Dad, go! Who, who is, 
Who's doing these voices? <laughs> Who ever heard a kid talk like this? And then the butterfly knife. Why is he even butterfly knifing? Why didn't he just kill the guy? Instead of he handles him like nunchucks, like he didn't cut his damn finger off. And how lucrative were karate tournaments in the 80s that they're getting held up by gangs? Like, was karate ever that big? <laughs> how much money could this thing have made? There's like, like four dozen people in the crowds. <laughs> what are they getting? Five hundred bucks? <laughs> Thirty bucks max. Yeah, I did. amazing opening scene. Just baffled me though. On every it was, level, it was something else. Let me it tell you, so it, it definitely gave me flashbacks to fucking kickboxer. Glenn, what did you think of this? This movie, wow, yeah, um, <laughs> it uh. It definitely shows its age. It feels so, so goddamn 80s. Just everything about, I mean, I, I'm watching this and I'm making up my own story that's going on because, like, I mean, Cobra, dude, that's Larry Bird. And and his partner, <laughs> Captain Steubing. Uh, and I'm sorry, but Sean, I mean, come on. that That's Derek Zoolander. <laughs> the, the, the dude is doing blue steel the whole movie he is you're right about that yeah so i mean yeah i mean blue steel fred from scooby-doo and apollo creed are going to take down larry bird and captain steubing that's what's going on which is in my mind a, a better movie than this was i still had fun with it but i watched it once regular and i'm like okay but I watched it a second time just to see if i missed anything and the second i watched it at at one and a half times speed it was still fucking slow. <laughs> there's so there, there's some cool stuff happens, but the thing is that it's a long time in between any cool shit happens. Well, I, I think a lot of that can be attributed to that we've kind of seen this movie already twice before. Yes, and I think also in a lot of ways, uh, the more I go back and watch a lot of '80s action movies and actiony type movies. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of action in a lot of action movies back then. Um, there's just, uh, yeah, no. I mean, com compared to the first two, this one is like, for me, it was like a giant step down. Um, yeah. See, for some reason, and I found this out probably about like 20 minutes into this movie, um, where all of the sudden... Uh, we we flash forward to Sean in the future, played by David Bradley. Wow! And he his fight scenes were better than any of the fight scenes that were in the previous two movies. They were. I started going, "Holy shit! Do I like David Bradley better than Duty? Mm. Is this really happening right now?" I mean, I want to hear opinions on this. Scott, you obviously have opinions. Well, <laughs> God, maybe I got to re-examine the fight scenes or something. But, okay, the, now the fourth movie is going to be another story. Yeah, completely. But just focusing on number three right now. David Bradley, first of all, I remember, I don't know when I first saw the ad for this movie. I'm like, oh, shit, they did an American Ninja 3. And I immediately saw the poster and went, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> I'm like, who took away my Dudikoff? And I was like, oh boy, okay, I'm going to still watch it. Who am I kidding? And um, I, of course, watched it as soon as it came on DVD or video. Oh, 
Oh my fucking VHS. Sorry, time traveled there. Um, but um, and of course the guy came on screen. I'm like, again, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And I was watching this movie again, like knowing full well and actually appreciating David Bradley in movies like Cyborg Cop, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. And I'm watching this and like thinking, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> because in this movie, American Ninja 3, maybe I need to reexamine the fight scenes. I don't know. But I wasn't more impressed by the fight scenes. And the guy, it's, I thought he had zero charisma. Oh, man. Zero. I don't know. He all. didn't do anything in this movie. He had no personality whatsoever. He barely spoke, which is something that will be reversed in the next movie, incidentally. Um, he barely spoke. And when he did, you didn't care. So I was just kind of like, no, he just doesn't have any. He just doesn't bring it in this movie, which is too bad because, you know, immediately, cause even though I was saying, who the hell is this guy? Even at, like I was a B movie fan from way back. So I just looked at that. I first thought was, who the hell is this guy? And the second thought was canon. <laughs> you know, just knowing that Canon would totally do something like this and pull a switcheroo and say, okay, we have to get somebody new. He said no. Uh, <laughs> and that's what happened this time. And uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I just didn't I didn't think David Bradley he just didn't bring it. He just well, didn't bring see, it this is movie. this I'm is sorry. Well, this is why I think I like him better because honestly, especially not to jump the gun and, and go to number four, is that they're virtually interchangeable. <laughs> There's really no difference between the two of them. I mean, duty was not. Oh, let me finish. The duty was was not an action guy whatsoever. <laughs> no, In, he never was. He was a comedic actor. David Bradley actually knows martial arts. Exactly. So his fight scenes aren't just cut fests. They are cut up he's allowed to actually have choreography and actually have fights. Okay, I'm researching. While you talk, I'm going to research. How much martial arts did David Bradley know going into American Ninja? <laughs> I think that they Duty. actually knew an equal amount, honestly. Well, Dudikoff didn't know any going into the first he didn't know any. I don't, think, I don't think David Bradley did either, did he? <laughs> he must have had a basic knowledge because... Um, it's much. He's, he's a former karate champion. Is he really? <laughs> ding 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 ding. No, trained, I will, no, I will trained totally in karate, agree. Shotokan, Kempo, Tai Chi, and Aikido. Okay, I, you know what? I theory on this. I admit, I I can admit when I'm wrong. Then I'm surprised, but I didn't think he brought any. I didn't think he brought brought any charisma to the role, but I will completely admit when I am wrong. Well, uh, well there's, there's a difference between karate skills and charisma. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree with that totally, Glenn. I'm, uh, <laughs> he does, he does, and he does not have he does not have duty's hair. Well, he's that so, that is true. He, he has like a big bowl on his head with just fucking hair. But there's a difference when you're dealing with in film, when you're dealing with somebody that actually knows martial arts and you're you're trying to make someone look like they know martial arts. And visually what that is, is that and you can always tell the difference between American action films and Asian action films, because Asian action films, at least old school ones, <laughs> used to allow. What are you laughing about, Scott? I'm sorry. I was looking at 
looking at I was doing I I I no go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to hijack. I was doing research while I was while you were saying this so I could find out. And has anybody looked at David Bradley's uh, Wikipedia page? Under personal life. This is why Wikipedia, why the editing things of it. It says, and I quote, and to prove myself wrong, David Bradley is chained, is trained in Shotokan karate, black belt, Kempo, Tai Chi, and Aikido. He retired from acting to join the circus for his ability of one hand juggling and for his superpower of eating muffins. <laughs> Well, the, the case closed then. I say, I Maybe swear that, to God, that is what his Wikipedia page says. Okay then. <laughs> Thank you for the facts. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that knowledge came out that David Bradley <laughs> has a superpower of eating muffins. I did not mean to interrupt. I it. also have superpower for eating muff. I did not mean to interrupt or anything like that, but I'm like reading this researching. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have I'm a sorry. superpower of juggling with one hand. I apologize. <laughs> Mark has a superpower for juggling balls <laughs> with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> While the other one's <laughs> tightly on the shaft. <laughs> what else are you going to do with it? <laughs> Okay, anyways, what the point I was trying to make is that when you're shooting with people that actually know martial arts, you can have wide master shots where people actually fight each other. And it looks good because they know how to deliver punches and how to choreograph that in a way that it looks genuine. And when you're dealing with somebody that has no idea how to do that, you have to fake it with editing and camera angles. Mm -hmm. And the difference between this film and the previous two films is obvious. It's in the editing. His action scenes and his fights breathe. You can tell he's comfortable doing this shit and can do more than a punch or a kick here. So that's why, for me, action movies that are martial arts films where there's people that are actually like attempting to do roundhouse kicks and all this other shit, when you can see what's going on and there's not this frantic energy of editing going in the action scenes, I tend to enjoy them more because there's artistry. It's like a dance. There's artistry to it where most action films now just like drive me fucking nuts. It's like the Lord of the Rings syndrome where all the fights are like one second cuts and you have mm. no fucking idea what's going on. So Daniel, we haven't talked to you. You're the American Ninja super fan here. What did you think the duty versus Bradley debate that we're having here? Well, this is a, I mean, th this is a joining of the two halves. This is yin and yang. We have the biography of Michael Dudikoff. We've already been through the. <laughs> I like how you're still trying to convince us that the, these are actual biographies. These aren't narrative <laughs> fiction in any way. Just listen now. We've had two movies of the nativity of of uh, Michael Dudikoff and we've learned his story. Well, he has to stay and save the U S because apparently the ninja threat has not subsided. I mean, we have NES games to tell us about that. I mean, you just, you can go and pick, pick your poison and enjoy it. World heroes, bad dudes. I mean, what do you want to play target renegade? Okay. So Michael Dudikoff has to handle that. Well, we need a protege. The world is not safe. We need someone else before he became cybernetically enhanced and decided to go into law enforcement. <laughs> David, Bradley. David Bradley 
has now joined in the fight. So what we're seeing is the nativity of David Bradley as a kid. It's very unfortunate times. Some people would laugh and call it kickboxer mixed with Beverly Hills Cop 2. Thankfully, we didn't have uh, Eddie Murphy, to, you know, with a anything like that. We just got the unfortunate thing of, you know, people getting killed and whatnot. The fight sequences. I will say this, and I actually did make a note of this because however, whatever you want to say about the movie, I will say this with the fight sequences. I see what they wanted to do. The main thing, and I think this is the problem just to bring Steve James into this too. The problem with him and with David Bradley, they didn't have enough time to get familiar with it. And the other problem is they were having to hold back. That was what I got. Like if you watch American Ninja three and watch those fight sequences, they're cool, but you can see that they're not giving everything in the fight. And I think that's because they didn't want to kill the ninjas that they were fighting. <laughs> if you watch, they have to hold, you can see them, especially Steve James when, when he's wielding a sword, but um, David Bradley, sword. Most of his kicks, like you can see with his kicks that he'll, you know, he can, he can go high with his kick, but you can tell the angle that he's not really hitting him. However, as soon as he goes for punches or grabs and stuff, you can see him hesitate slightly. I think he has to hold back. So that's one problem. I think what that they had with the fighting sequences, but ultimately, Hey, He's an actual martial artist, which is something that we can actually have. Michael Dudikoff is just the manliness. Okay, so now we have to have somebody else with the training. When these two people meet, y'all motherfuckers watch out. Okay, I'm just... Well, let's not jump, let's not jump the gun and, <laughs> and uh, talk about what a bait and fucking switch the fourth one is. Yes. <laughs> um, but we still got to get lousy with some ninjas. And I'm oh, just yeah. glad that the world had David Bradley. The world needed David Bradley, and he was there for the world, and I'm glad. <laughs> so, speaking of which, so we go from this opening sequence where Sean then, of course, trains to become a ninja by a dude with this ridiculously huge goatee in a, a training sequence, not unlike the montage in Bloodsport, where he becomes David Bradley and a ninja. Now, uh, Scott, you have opinions about this huge goatee. Let's talk about this huge fake goatee that uh, the dude that trains David Bradley has. The thing that uh, amazed me about this is that, okay, I I was watching this movie and I I realized it was like about, God, more than 20 years since I had seen this movie. And I remember watching it back then. And even then I remembered that beard was out of control. (laughs) <laughs> I remembered that. The thing was that I remembered them immediately going ahead and showing the transition in time to like, you know, 15 years or 20 years or however long it is from when the time Dave, there's a little American ninja to the time there's a big American ninja, David Bradley. At the beginning, it just says one year <laughs> and he grows this gigantic goatee. <laughs> which is obviously just glued on in this time period. And then thank God they have the presence of mind to just keep the goatee for as long as they have it. But it would have been easier for them to, instead of like showing him older and gluing the goatee onto it, it would have been easier to actually show him 
in quick cutaways as he was younger and then cut to an older actor. They didn't have the presence of mind to do that. They instead glued this thing, which was, and I'm talking about something where if you saw this in a community theater production of something, you would say, wow, okay, your guy called in sick, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, it's a really bad beard. Please, somebody, come on, somebody please get my back on this. This is a bad beard. It's a canon movie. Yeah, I was just no going to gonna pay a second actor when they can slap a 50 cent goatee on this guy. I'm just saying that why not, I'm just saying that why not get the, why not get like, do it in like cutaways as a younger act getting in the, in the younger crowd like just like give him like a bad wig in the younger thing since we see because like because then you bitch about the bad wig because what well, we see like 20 <laughs> but we see 20 seconds of him in the bad wig when he he would be younger here we're stuck with him for the whole freaking movie with this I, bad beard. i'm far more concerned with a scene that comes in later because eventually what's up <laughs> happening is is david bradley of course goes to an island for a fight tournament so that the Cobra, who's the big bad in this movie, I mean, there's always some white dude that has a ninja training facility on his premises that is looking to get superhuman <laughs> ninjas for some unknown reason for world domination. Anyways, he <laughs> is hosting a, a fight tournament in order to find people to turn into superhuman ninjas. And uh, this karate championship, for some reason, <sighs> David Bradley is there as an ambassador for the Americans. And he meets Steve James. And then they meet another dude. And while they're out trying to scam for chicks at some diner, he notices that his ninja master is kidnapped. So he goes after him. And the scene I wanted to talk about is he follows him and finds out i mean we're not going to talk about the switcheroo yet but he finds out that the bad guys are keeping his ninja master captive in a 14 year old girl's bedroom <laughs> <laughs> so I don't what the fuck is going on why why is the guy with the really shitty goatee hanging out in a 14 year old girl's bedroom <laughs> So I think this is more of an indication of the fact that they really didn't have much to work with <laughs> in this movie. I mean, there. let's talk about just the ridiculousness of some of the stupid padding in this movie. There's a lot of running around. There's not much for plot. There's not much for character development. The relationship between David Bradley and Steve James is flimsy at best. There's an entire sequence in this fucking movie. <laughs> they have to use motorized gliders <sighs> to try <laughs> and infiltrate this fucking compound and all it is is a bunch of fucking stuntmen or stock guys wrapped up in vo i mean this could have just all been stock footage we don't fucking know <laughs> This whole fucking movie is literally people running around doing nothing. There's an underwater fight scene with stock footage of sharks. 
I mean, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of malarkey in this motherfucker. Dan, what did you think about the vast majority of this movie being padding sequences? I literally didn't like add anything to the movie. I hope you like piano. And I hope you when I say I hope you like piano scores, I hope you like one six second little ditty of him (laughs) running up and then down the keyboard. So, in other words, let me see, because I could do 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 it for you. And it's going to be the same impact as you're going to hear in this goddamn movie 30 million times. The underscore was cool because I'm a synth nut. So that underscore was really awesome. But that fucking piano lick i swear to god i was reading because i actually looked it up and it was something about the american ninja 3 didn't even have a composer they ripped the uh, or if it did they didn't have much of one they ripped just like one little sound sample from opposing force and <laughs> just looped it over and over in this film so that right there just kind of kicked me in the groin as far as you know so if there's no music then why do i care so i'm still gonna watch it and then we get all the running <laughs> and all the looking and then the stopping and the running and then the sighing, the, <sighs> and then Steve James being like ninjas. I mean, we're done with the whole secret art of assassination that he's explained to us in the first two movies. Now it's just <sighs> ninjas gone. And then we ride ultralights with the VO segments. And then we hear the piano lick again and then they fight. And then they run and then we'll hear the piano lick and then they'll fight a little bit more. And then, you know, the fight's over whenever you hear the low synth kick in. So it'll be like, (laughs) and then the fight's over. And then, you know, they're going to sneak because you'll hear the hi-hat kick in the (laughs) like that. And then they'll walk around a little bit and then somebody will jump out and be like, and they'll be like, I've seen this. And I can't tell where my imagination is ending in the movie's beginning, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) This movie, I I love that. Let's bring up Steve James. Let's talk about his role in this movie a little bit. (laughs) Because, uh, like you said, Steve James just is kind of like thrust into this because he was in the other movies. And his role, again, is just to be the sidekick that once ninjas. show up and he doesn't know sean for shit from anybody uh and sean explains when his master gets kidnapped and put into that 14 year old girl's bedroom that this that all of a sudden david bradley goes look i have a master izuma he raised me since my father's killing no way i'm ninja you're a ninja yes so that explains a few things. <laughs> by this point, by this point, the, the the scripts were openly. Steve James's dialogue in this movie is openly common, uh, is an open commentary on. Can you believe how fucking ridiculous these movies are? <laughs> I mean, even in the towards the end, he's like, "Why does it always have to be?" <laughs> Oh my god, that was so funny. He's constantly calm. I mean, he is the he is the voice of the audience in this movie, which I love. Steve James is the MVP third time running. 
after he you know he finds out that there's a master there's ninjas they're chasing him he they just go down the street of course they run after him and down the street is uh ninjas a fight and he goes well got no choice it's another day of fighting ninjas James. <laughs> in every single fucking scene he's in it takes him all of 30 seconds to take his shirt off I don't think he has his shirt on in this movie for more than five fucking seconds. Which is too bad because the first shirt he shows up in is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> We're laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> fucking love it. I fucking Glenn, do you think Steve James was totally just wasted in this movie? Of course. He's wasted in every movie. <laughs> they never utilize him to his full potential. They come close, close. Why is anyone in this movie? It, it didn't, it's, I mean, take out the padding, and yeah, it's. I mean, just let's just skip to back to two. Can we do that? <laughs> well, the the bad thing about Steve James in this movie, besides you know the fact that all he is is just like a one liner machine, and the one liners are fucking ridiculously up, overdone at that. But he is basically relegated to the buddy character. But most of the movie, he's buddied up with an even lesser side character. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. not even buddied up with, with fucking Sean or David Bradley the entire movie. He's buddied up with some dude that just unceremoniously gets offed <laughs> toward the end of the movie. So he just, like, the entire fucking series of American Ninja, he is just some background nonsense. It's so fucking disappointing. So anyway, is not to just make this a I'm crying because Steve James is wasted yet again. So the boys have to try and make their way into the Cobra's lair to get his master. And they infiltrate it with, as we had said before, this ridiculous scene with motorized gliders and a bunch of other fucking nonsense. And um, of course, we get to the compound and what color are the ninjas that are guarding? <laughs> they're not black. It's at nighttime. You'd think they would be black. No, they're neon blue. <laughs> guarding this place, which is basically uh, the blood sport set from the last movie, just been upgraded. Now it's ninjas and karate dudes, and the big bad that's leading them is a female version of Vinnie Vincent, who is a, a, a double-crossing secret agent who's trying to take the Cobra down. The rest of this movie is just a bunch of fucking stupid nonsense where there's people being clumsily thrown downstairs. Steve James calls the Vinnie Vincent female um, a ninjet. (laughs) (laughs) They're just, it's just fucking stupidity. Um, Seth, once we get to this fucking complex and it's just all out ninja hijinks, what are your thoughts? I, I don't know how anybody did not see these gliders coming. <laughs> like, this is a secret compound guarded on all sides by God knows how many ninjas and security guards, and nobody sees a fucking glider coming over the fence? Man, I appreciated the scene where it kind of starts on the, the outskirts within the building, like the outskirts of the... The building, it's like an office setting. And we get like really shitty ninjas there guarding fax machines. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the more powerful ninjas are towards the center in the arena, Bloodsport Arena, until you get to the Cobra and the uh, 
like the dead center of the the building, the complex with the uh, science lab. I I don't know. I just like the I like the the office ninjas that are guarding you know, reams of paper and ink. It's just it's complete ludicrous nonsense. Steve James is wielding swords and doesn't have a fucking clue what to do with them. Uh, the sidekick guy that is ba- being babysat by Steve James is just in the way of everything. I, I love it. It's ridiculous. I, I love how not Remo Williams is uh, he's infected yet he's not. Oh, I'm sorry, David Bradley. Um, how he's infected yet he's not. I was trying to figure out, you know, the virus that he had and why he was chosen. And I'm watching and I'm like, okay, no, he's a little ill. No, wait, no, now he's not. Now he's fighting fine. No, wait, now he's ill. And so we get into this final sequence of, yeah, it's ridiculous. And it makes me wonder, in the American ninja world, is there like wholesale ninja? Like, like there's one company farming out all these ninjas that are like, oh, we lost these guys in, in, in the first American ninja. Well, no, we still got this stable of guys. We'll send those out to you. It's like the same freaking ninjas. Yeah, they go to budgetninja.com. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they go there on Black Friday because you get the best deals on ninjas. And for some reason, blue ninjas were really dirt cheap at that time. <laughs> they were. So they, they ordered 100 blue ninjas and they got them shipped. Amazon Prime, free shipping all the way to the Cobra's compound. Well, it's, it's either that or it's the fact that it's the same, like, massive group of ninjas and they're just traveling ninjas to the next bad guy, kind of like minions. It's like roadies. <laughs> they have a talent. They need to use it. <laughs> well, you know, it's you know, it's amazing. Is that, of course, um, now I'd read this somewhere. So don't you know if it turns out to be wrong, just you can just point at me and laugh. But uh, the we'll uh, anyway. but yeah, true. <laughs> but the um, but you know, of course, the whole idea of ninjas being clad in black and everything like that—that's just actually a misnomer. It comes from the uh, Kabuki theater where they would have people clad in black who were there to, you know, move sets around and stuff like that. And that was where that came from. And ninjas didn't look anything like that. But here's the thing is that still we have an idea that ninjas are supposed to be clad in black so that they could blend into the night. And then of course we see things like GI Joe, okay, storm shadow, but Obviously meant to blend into the snow where he's going yes. to, you know, blend in. When it got into, you know, red and blue and yellow ninja. And this is what I'm going to always think Whoa. about when I think about the American Ninja movies is I will think about the the multicolored ninja is that that was what it was. And it, you kind of look at it, you shake your head, you say, man, can you believe how goofy this is? And of course, almost on a dare, you know, Joseph Lye and, and Godfrey Ho <laughs> come up with ninja bandanas and everything like yeah. that in their movies. And that's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that uh, if I was to watch an American ninja movie and it didn't have primary color ninjas, I would leave disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, these ninjas in general, not even just their color, they are just. We aren't dealing with ninjas anymore that are that are the masters of stealth and assassination. The, let's list off some of the traits that they have in this movie. Every single time they jump into a fight, they scream announce themselves. <laughs> um, they drive cars in this movie. 
we learn that female ninjas are the masters of impersonation and can change into different people like Dark Man. Including voices. <laughs> Two different voices. I'm going to hit on that later because that's, to me, one of the cool things about American Ninja is their, the use of that. Is the ninja magic. It's like just the same way that I was intrigued with Puppet Master, how they flirt with the magic and stuff. That's the same way with American Ninja in every single movie. We get some little three, five second little hint. And it's whenever like she uses the disguises and stuff, which I thought was kind of clever the way that they edited it to make it look like, you know, it was a different actor. But then, you know, she peels the face off. So that was cool. But then eventually was it David Bradley season. He's like, Kobayashi or whatever the fuck he says, like Japanese. In other words, <laughs> like ninja magic. And I'm like, I was like, Holy fuck, just like part one, whenever old dude disappeared and laser ninja shot him, and then part two, it's like they contort their fingers and then they do the ninja magic. I just sorry, that's I just I love how much of a pop you get out of that. That is just so fucking awesome to me. Is that all they gotta do is say say that whatever fucking bullshit Japanese, and all of a sudden Dan's like, I'm fucking in. <laughs> that's part of the why i liked it is that it's so much the movie is so mundane and yet they do that one little hint and i mean all it takes is one word and you have already implanted that suggestion into everyone watching the movie and so that anyone following it has just opened up now the american ninja has magic plus Again, so he turns this, into a bat, so he turns into a ninja after this nonsense. And what what does he do? He shoots a dude with a pop gun. Hell yeah! <laughs> I mean, no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's this is all. I mean, they build up this stuff, and I I totally get where you're coming from because I also like. There's something about, you know, the romanticism of, of some of this stuff that that I, I really dig and I could let go of the ridiculousness. But then it just like it just shits the entire bed. This sounds like I'm hating on this movie. I really liked watching this movie. But let's be honest when we talk about this. There's some stupid shit in here. I mean, we just said, Sean, you know, he's fighting this virus. He's been um, kidnapped. And they're trying to find the antidote because the B team shows up in order to rescue him with Steve James and the lesser fucking side character. So Steve James is going into this place. He hits a dude in the dick with an AK-47 and takes out a big sword that turns into two, which I thought was actually one of the coolest shots in the entire movie when he takes that sword and turns it into two swords. I'm it's like, on the, the poster. Way- yeah, the way they show him and they do it and they blocked it. I'm like, fuck that's badass that's awesome and then what ends up happening he barely knows how to swing the fucking sword <laughs> they just kind of run into him and blah 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 so eventually steve james kicks uh this lesser minion's ass and gets the antidote and uh catches up with sean but sean for some reason has to fight a group of nude dudes that are superhuman ninjas that's right, that, mutant ninjas. The mutant ninjas that all of a sudden turn uh, the new dudes turn into red ninjas, Fuck and yeah, uh, Sean gets blinded by a white light, getting his ninja mojo shit back, and it culminates into literally one of the worst final battles I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it was just fucking, just 
awful. This is a terrible fighting sequence. It's just this so cool. Mutants, Ninja, Matt, this is a fucking video game. This is everything that we have played since we were little kids. I'm serious, dude. You just walk around into a compound and what do they have guard? Just random ninjas. It's like Wrath of the Black Manta. Who do they have guarding the compound? Oh, just random ninjas. Why? Who the fuck cares? It's the 80s, man. It's like bad dudes. Ninjas have kidnapped yep. the president. Are you a bad enough dude to rescue him? <laughs> you know, that's the only story I need. That's the same with American Ninja. This dude that go into a compound that's guarded by Renta Ninjas and they fight him. The closer they get, the tougher the ninjas get. It's so it's like when they start on the outskirts, yeah, they're blue, but then they turn red and then they turn yellow and then they get stronger. And then the more you beat them up, the colors change. And then he eventually does. You remember in the first American Ninja how they caught the arrow and then rolled and then tossed the arrow into the shoe? Yeah. Shooter? Yeah. Ooh. Think well, see, he does that in this film to kill a dude. He kills two ninjas with two hands. Mr. Cyborg Cop, David Bradley, before he becomes Cyborg Cop, shows you how it's done. And dude, goes, I, I popped big when he caught those fucking arrows and th- literally throws them at the fucking ninjas and they get killed. And then what does he do at the end? He fights mutant ninjas. They were dudes standing there, but then they've been mutant enhanced, and then they come on, and then they cast ninja magic, and they're red ninjas, and he has to fight four red ninja bosses. I mean, dude, we are watching a video game. Ninja magic. (laughs) Ninja magic. Holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> my aspirin? I think I said that very dude, thing dude, I was watching the movie <laughs> dude broke it down yeah <laughs> dude, I gotta say even though I'm complaining a lot all of this shit made me smile made me laugh I had a great time watching this these movies even with how this movie literally had no plot it was a series of scenes of people running in one direction this could have been this is like the American Ninja version of Fury Road, where it's just a bunch of dudes running to one destination the entire fucking movie. I still had a lot of fun with it because it's the kind of brainless, not canon nonsense that we've all come to kind of love as shitty action fans. So um, last thing I want to talk about before we give final thoughts is... Perhaps the greatest final song on an end credits I've ever come across. Hell the Cobra yeah. Strikes. Now, uh, <laughs> now, I want to hear Seth Paulin talk about how hard he popped when you heard this fucking song. <laughs> I've heard this song like a hundred times before. I had no idea it was from this movie. I popped the Blu-ray in and the menu starts playing. And wait, I wait, wait. This, this is on Blu-ray? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, someone put it out in the UK. I think oh, shit, I'm going to fucking Amazon right now. I think it's on the in America too. Uh, no, not quite. I don't think it's America yet. Someone put out at least the first one in America. Yeah. But one through four on Blu-ray from 88 films. Because that's how I've watched them. They look pretty good. Anyway, oh, menu's yeah, playing. Awesome. Menu's playing. The Cobra Strike song comes on, and I fucking mark out. I am so amped. <laughs> And I'm just watching the movie, and I'm like, oh, man, it's coming. And, you know, they introduce the Cobra character. And I'm like, oh, there he is. He's going to be some badass ninja hiding in some old guy suit, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, 
he gets done kicking the, the mutant ninja's asses, and then it's like the Cobra's got him. It's like one on one, and the Cobra just fucking sucks. Oh man, he, he <laughs> he's sucks just like an old guy. Him. He's like he's like an old guy. I was expecting him to pull out some like mystical ninja kung fu shit. I have just, opinions about that. He doesn't do anything, <laughs> and to make it worse, the song isn't even playing. And then Steve James, you know, comes in, rescues him. They have like the little antidote thing and fucking arm around the shoulder, closing shot and the credits hit. And then the song plays. And I'm just like, man, this is some bullshit. (laughs) I've never been so dissatisfied with hearing that song. Why didn't that song play two minutes earlier? (laughs) Man, I mean, I still love the song. And the ending is really dissatisfying because I thought the whole movie was a lot of fun. Man, that song would have been fucking sweet over a badass closing battle. <laughs> that was far more fucking epic than I fucking was expecting. For real, dude. <laughs> was, I feel that. That was that was some real shit right there. Probably worked up, man. Sessa, man. <laughs> so, so, Scott, what were you talking about? Your opinions on the Cobra? My opinion is about based on the guy who plays him. This guy, now, when he comes on screen, he's very subdued, and he's a businessman, and he has some really awful, sleazy, cheesy, lounge lizard, erotic wall art, (laughs) you know, and he's just very subdued, and it shouldn't be like that, because this dude is played by Marjo Gortner. Guys, do you know about this guy? This guy is amazing. This guy is amazing. This guy started show business career at four years old by his abusive parents who were part of the evangelical uh, uh, Pentecostal circuit of uh, preachers who used to tell people like about faith healers and shit. And he was primed as the world's youngest ordained evangelist. Jesus. There are like records of this guy. I'm here. Hi, my name is Marjo Gortner. I'm here to give the de- devil two black eyes. And he would introduce himself. And he was like six years old into town. He was primed as this and was beaten by his parents, was abused by his parents while he was taught to be this person who would swindle people for their money. Get this. Get what this guy did. He then. Went out and on his own after he got away from his folks. And then it appeared like oh, he's coming back into the fold. He's going, to te- he's going to preach the word. He's going to all the Pentecostal things. And he has a lot of love for it still. But in truth, he was you know, getting to know himself. You know, He was smoking dope. He was getting to know the world. He was getting to have a bigger outlook on life. You know, Spiritual healing, that kind of shit. And he brought a documentary crew with him. And he says, this is going to be my documentary about how I'm coming back and I'm faith healing and I'm meeting with all these people and everything. And what he did instead is he used it to expose all of these faith healers and evangelists as the hucksters and carnival tent swindlers that they were showing him counting the money and showing his conflict between part of him that still had a little bit of faith and his absolute disgust with the abuse he had faced and how he knew it was a sham. And he released it as a documentary called Marjo. 
in the 1970s that won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. And it is the most amazing fucking thing you've ever seen in your life. And then he went on and became a really bad actor. <laughs> yeah, he has tons of B-movie credits. Yeah, in like films like Earthquake, Star Crash, you know, films like that. Mausoleum. And- mausoleum oh amazing mausoleum i love that movie and you know films like that where he's just became he said okay well i know show business i guess i'll be an actor and he was in an actor movie. the thing about this that i think they ruined a really good opportunity is that he's supposed to be is he's this very he's called the cobra and he's this very subdued person and he should be preaching he should be like i'm gonna take the ninja magic out of you he should be all of that but he's not but man seriously look this dude up this guy is fat you know say what you will about his acting talent this guy is fascinating as hell what he did so i was really stoked i'm like yes another marjo gordner film and then it came up and i'm like oh (laughs) <laughs> i just knew there's nothing i mean his character's barely in this movie he's barely in the movie and it's like i mean come on if you have and it's even says special appearance by marjo gortner but you know he's in the, even though he's in the movie a lot i mean think about this if you could say and marjo gortner as the cobra good god that's b-movie gold right there <laughs> and he's got his own fucking theme song yes that's a great theme song too they'd squander it they totally squander it but not a great fan of the of the performance not a great fan of what they did with the character big fan of the dude <laughs> big fan of the dude very interesting very interesting well folks let's go ahead and let's wrap this on now let's give final thoughts to american ninja 3 blood hunt uh mark the movie man what were your final thoughts uh you know, as the series goes, uh, you missed the Dudikoff, uh, but it was appreciated that there was talent there that David Bradley was showing in in some of the fight choreography. You could definitely tell the the fight scenes were handled differently. As far as the story goes, though, I didn't think they could get more wafer thin from, you know, number two and number one. But holy crap, they did! I'm like. Wow, this all seems really familiar, but it's not nearly as deep as, <laughs> and that's saying something. Uh, but you know, you get to see Steve James, but yeah, he is, uh, you know, he's more of sidekick now, James. For where it sits in the series and and the one we're going to talk about next, it's watchable. <laughs> it, it's definitely not, you know, especially if you've made it first per, past the first two films this one's definitely watchable you just miss dudikoff because of those steely blue eyes <laughs> well that that sounds like uh boner jams for mark the movie man he was missing out on his boner jams from the duty so um glenn final thoughts uh american ninja 3 much like the multicolored ninjas in the movie is a bag of jolly ranchers sure you can eat them you might actually like him a little bit, but there's a lot of better stuff out there that you could have that doesn't get stuck in your teeth. And this one is just hard to chew, man. It really is. It just, there's so much nothing in this movie. Even the fact that you do get some better fights a little bit with Zoolander than you do with the dude. It's not worth it in the end. Did anyone ever tell you, Glenn, that you're not supposed to chew Jolly Ranchers? Uh, Fucking America, dude. I can chew whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Good answer. I, I didn't realize this was Communist Ninja 3 that we were checking out here. <laughs> this is Burka, damn it. I'll chew him if I won't. <laughs> so, Dan, old final thoughts. Oh, man. This is just... It's... <clears throat> All right. Truthfully, it's obviously not as good as the first two, but I mean, that's like saying a cheese pizza is not as good as a three meat pizza. It's still pizza and it's still fucking good. It's just the movie's got a lot going for it. I mean, despite the low budget, I mean, you we can see the pacing just like a video game. 80s synthy ish type styled underscore when it plays and now that stupid piano check humor check. Martial arts, check. Ninjas, check. Gunfights, check. Mutants, check. Mutant ninjas, check. Magic, check. Evil company that wants to take over the world via terrorism using mutant ninjas, check. <laughs> Ninja versus the army battle in the parking lot at the end, check. And a cheesy ending credit song that's bad as fuck, check. If I mean, seriously, what more can I say? <laughs> the movie was checks. <laughs> that's it checks and balances man we're ninjas <laughs> uh seth if you've made it to american ninja 3 it's because you enjoyed american ninja 1 and 2 you're gonna enjoy it i don't see how you are a fan of the first two and watch this one and go hmm, no it's <laughs> lacking but even the lacking spots have silly shit going on the underwater fight i don't know if, if underwater kicks and punches would hurt but it made for a cool scene. The gliders are still as hell. I don't know about you, Seth, but I had a flashback to Lucio Fulci zombie for a second. I thought we were going to get a shark versus fucking David Bradley. Scene. Hey, if, if it would have happened, man, this would have been some legendary shit. <laughs> and it's not legendary, but it's still pretty fun. So I think as of uh, now, it's my least favorite in the series, but it's still a good time. I I'm going to agree with you on this one, Scott. No, I'm not going to do this. I'm sorry. I know I can't. I'm sorry. I, you know, I think that Dan is absolutely right when he put, okay, it's cheese pizza, but it's still pizza. Okay, I can get that. And there are still parts that I enjoy. I like how goofy a lot of this stuff is. I really do. I'm not that dead inside quite yet. <laughs> but... but but this is not my but American I am ninja. dead inside <laughs> but this is not my American ninja it's very obviously not thought through it's just this really shameless say attempt to keep it going for as much as possible I mean by that now we're in the waiting uh, years of canon uh, Golan Globus not even allowed, uh, uh, involved it's now a uh, Harry Allen Towers that was producing, um, or as Tom Servo might say, Harry Allen Towers, and just a little reference there. Anyway, but it's uh, it's just not up to snuff. I'm sorry, everything about it seems like a really poor imitation. I could not stand the glider scene. Uh, it goes on for fucking ever. It and goes it's all on just voiceover. It goes on forever, and it's just voiceover, and. I just didn't have the sense of humor to stand by it this time. So I said, at the end of it, I said, almost, 
but I just can't. I just can't quite recommend it. I'm sorry. No. Give me a Vice Academy any day, man. Yeah, you're just trolling at this point. <laughs> I, I, that, that's some bullshit right there. I'll, I'll tell you, like Dan, I agree. This is pizza. I could watch this all day, any day, all day, vape. This this shit was was hot. I loved it. I had a great time. Yeah, I bitched a lot about it. I made a lot of fun about it. But damn, I could watch shit like this all the time and I'd be happy. Turn your brain off. Watch some stupid ninjas. Watch Steve James tear a shirt off within five seconds and kick people in the face. It's all I fucking need. And it delivered. So, folks, that's American Ninja 3. Everybody agrees that it was amazing. So we're going to move on to <laughs> American Ninja 4, The Annihilation, made in 1990. We only have a few days before the media gets a hold of this. Then all hell will break loose. Michael Dudikoff. David Bradley. Together, for the first time, American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. When the enemy is ruthless. This is not a game. Those were ninja. Merciless. Cut the slime down like Doug, you understand? And holds the world hostage. It has enough power to blow New York off the face of the earth. It takes more than courage. I got a bad feeling about this, Sean. You need the power of an American ninja. If you can get us to the Dragon Fort, you may have a chance. Twice the speed. Twice the skill. Four times as deadly. Michael Dudikoff, David Bradley, American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. Again, directed by Cedric Sundstrom, we attempt to reconcile all of the American ninjas now into one film. Unfortunately, we did not have Steve James in this one, but the pull in the gimmick to this one was Michael Dudikoff is back and he's going to team up with David Bradley. Or is he? <laughs> well, the synopsis would tell you that this is about two American ninjas, Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson, that team up to do battle against a terrorist and his band of ninjas. But I don't want to piss on your parade. What is the one thing I'm going to ask this question before we, we start into the breakdown, before we do anything, I'm going to ask this question of every one of my panelists right now. When you see the cover of this movie, you read the synopsis, what is the one thing you want in this movie, Seth Paulin? I want to see Joe Armstrong, Sean Davidson, back-to-back, spin-kicking the fuck out of some ninjas. <laughs> okay. Daniel. I want to see Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson, whatever, back-to-back, spin-kicking the fuck out of some ninjas. <laughs> Glenn. I want to see uh, Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson deflecting ninja lasers back into ninjas and cutting them into pieces. Mark the movie man. I want to see Joe Armstrong and Sean back to back kicking ninja ass for like 90 minutes. 
Scott Davis. I want to see Joe Armstrong and Sean Davidson back-to-back fighting ninjas, fighting Kith Lou, shooting lasers, starting a dance tour, doing everything. But I want to see them working together for the whole movie and kicking ass. Fuck yeah. Yes. And and you want to see him doing it with Steve James. Yes. yes. That would oh be amazing. But yes. Yes. Unfortunately, yes. we don't have that. And unfortunately, not to piss on the parade, we don't have them fighting together at all in this fucking movie. We get one sequence toward the end where it is a switcheroo where somebody is dressed up like David Bradley fighting Dudikoff. And we find out it's not really him. So it's it's like evil bootleg David Bradley in a throwaway fight scene. And then they never are on screen together. And that was the best scene in the whole movie, in my opinion. I I mean, just to, just not to poo-poo all the, all like right off the bat here, but the one thing this movie is selling you never happens. Never happens. This movie is literally like two movies that were mashed together and sold as something else. <laughs> so when I watched this entire thing, which I, I mean, I'll say for what it is, it's a stupid action movie. I enjoyed it somewhat. But when you have Michael Dudikoff and David Bradley in the same movie and you show them on the goddamn cover with fucking katanas looking like they're going to fucking destroy everything and it never <laughs> happens, you could go eat a bag of dicks <laughs> because that is some fucking grade A bullshit. <laughs> So, okay, let's move on. Let's go ahead and start talking about this movie. Now that I've already pissed on the entire parade. I mean, by the time this movie was done and the last 10 minutes, when you, when that knowledge sinks in, you're just like checking your watch the entire fucking time. When is this thing going to end? When is this thing going to end? And the only time they ever exchange dialogue is the last fucking shot when duty just tells him Sean you can find me at the school and that's it that's the only fucking interaction they have in the whole goddamn movie <laughs> and you're thinking like okay so is American Ninja 5 about him like checking him out at the school and like <laughs> taking some classes <laughs> I don't know but let's let before we uh, we get to the end of this movie I just needed to get that out. I needed to get the real bullshit out because that is like, that is some grade A switcheroo bait and switch bullshit as some nonsense. You sell this thing as a team up of all the American ninjas and it never fucking happens. Some nonsense. Anyways, so we start this movie off with a bunch of army dudes running around a fucking desert. <laughs> and of course they, they encounter ninjas and we find out finally something everyone on earth knew already ninjas aren't good against bullets <laughs> <laughs> they fucking die all over the place with these army dudes with the machine guns and uh these army dudes end up coming across all these ninjas and one of the ninjas is dressed up like a reject banshee from x-men let's talk about this opening sequence which is essentially just a bunch of dudes running around and occasionally fighting ninjas mark when this started 
did you feel like we were in an American Ninja movie? No, I was thinking we were in like another Deadly Prey film or something. Uh, (laughs) The way it was, I did get the I, I did enjoy the fact that, you know, they didn't actually have the ninjas completely dodging bullets constantly. Um, that comes, I think that comes later in this, or was that in three? Anyway, it's all a blur. Um, but they didn't have the ninjas dodging all the bullets, but it does not open. This does not feel like an American ninja opening. Cause yeah, we, we don't see duty, you, you know, it's like, well, where is he? And then Sean, for some reason in between all these action sequences of guys running around and AC ninjas until they make a dumb mistake. Suddenly we find out that Sean is in the military. Thank you. <laughs> just just like wait, he was just a karate champion, but somehow he's in uh special forces with some random guy we've never met getting married, and you're like, I should know who these people are, but I don't. <laughs> Let's talk about this wedding sequence where Sean is with his buddy, Carl, who is his partner, and Carl is getting married. And Sean, who's standing up as his best man, is getting calls from the army because because and the army wants him to quickly go to a meeting that easily could have waited an hour or two. (laughs) (laughs) It needed to happen right then. And Carl and and Sean leave this wedding. Carl's about to get married. Let me tell you, Carl is not going to have a good marriage. (laughs) It's just not in the cards for him. I mean, I was watching this going, are they seriously going to leave? this wedding oh there they go and they go to a scene where it's just a bunch of dudes having coffee kind of lightly talking about some shit they could have talked about in the next day (laughs) armies are fucking heels that army could go fucking take a long hike off a short fucking pier because they're dicks that was real fucking dick move there uh dan what'd you think of this dick move by the army I, i gotta admire the dude's dedication (laughs) this guy has forsaken his wedding to be in this film and i mean that's just that's dedication man hoorah simplifying all of it (laughs) uh, yeah they just they leave to go essentially watch the ninja version of cannibal holocaust on a fucking vhs yeah yeah basically it that's like i'm sitting there trying to think of i mean name your poison is it revenge of shinobi or is it the game shadow dancer i mean whatever it is we have completely set up a video game just off of the world's worst mercenaries and ninjas throw them all together and just have them run around the desert at each other then we'll just we'll let nature sort itself out but then dude's getting married and just i gotta go honey they duty calls I, I have to save the world. It's like, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> and then at this meeting, it's just like, eh, just another day. I just didn't just day. totally skip out on my own fucking wedding. Well, they didn't have Steve James there to tell them about ninjas and the ancient art of assassination and stuff. This is just, and thank God we found out David Bradley's in the army. I mean, good God, I didn't know that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, just how that just happens. But okay, I, again, I'm here. <laughs> no. You know, that's what kills me. First of all, two things about this. One, wouldn't have made more sense 
to have Michael Dudikoff be the guy in the army since it's the guy that we've already established is in the army instead of the guy who's not in the army, who we've established is Sean, David Bradley. Would it make sense to have Dudikoff as the guy in the army, David Garofelli as the guy not in the army, as we said in the last film? Yes. That's question one. Question two. The conceit of this movie is that we have apparently run out of soldiers. <laughs> we just have none. There's, there's just none. There's no, like, basic training doesn't exist. Those barracks, deserted. Ghost towns. <laughs> we have nobody in the military anymore. No, it has to be this guy. <laughs> it has to be these two random dudes at the wedding. And not just David Bradley, but the other guy who we establish has no experience fighting these people. It has to be them. Yeah, well, if you got David Bradley, you don't need soldiers. Okay. Well, but but why do you need the dude who's getting married? It's like like it can't be just like, oh dude, here's the ring. I gotta go. Bye. No, it's both of them. It's both of them. You have to get both of them. Somebody has to be the red shirt in this movie. Scott, Jeez, the explanation to bring him along is complete BS too. Oh, he, he's an excellent linguist and special marksman. Who he doesn't talk, talk to anybody? He doesn't talk, and the only time he shoots a gun, he misses every damn shot. Ninja gun. <laughs> the worst ninjas in the world can all of a sudden dodge bullets from point blank range. Oh, that was this movie then, where he they dodged the bullets. Oh, yeah. Nin- ninjas just, are chumps, man! In these movies, ninjas are just chumps. Yeah, I don't care if this guy's wedding falls apart. He sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they wrote this probably with Steve James in mind because it would have made sense. Yes. Kind yeah. of. Yes. Yeah. At least as Steve James getting married. And it, it still would have made sense with David Bradley's character being in the army. But that's OK. You could buy into it that maybe Steve James got him into it or whatever. But, but you're not going to buy that Steve James was getting married. Well, I could say I could buy it. I mean, not in any of the other the other American Ninja movies. The dude he, was a walking hard on. He yeah, got like, giddy anytime he was going to get like some pussy. Here's the weird thing, though. Didn't it just seem like in this movie, even though this movie only came out like a year after American Ninja three. Didn't it just seem when you were watching this movie like, oh, this is supposed to take place years later. I got that feeling. I got that feeling that we are now four, five years later, and that's what we're dealing with right now, and that's why the, we're dealing with this. Doesn't explain why David Bradley is a decorated uh, military officer. No, fuck that. But <laughs> it does. But it it did seem like everybody is a different person now than they used to be. So I would have totally bought it if, like, you know, you know. Four or five years, yeah. Someone meets somebody, they settle down. That happens. You know, we're middle aged now. <laughs> it happens. I don't know. You, you just get the feeling, though, that that not Steve James was supposed to be Steve James. Of you, course, you really get that feeling. And since they get this guy, he gets even more shorted than Steve James has throughout this whole series. I mean, this guy, I felt really bad for him because they. <laughs> You know, he's like a hanger on something fierce. <laughs> oh, my God, Mark. Let's talk about this, because so what ends up happening is the army dudes at the beginning get captured by the ninjas and are held ransom, essentially. So uh, Sean and Carl are taken out of this wedding to have this stupid meeting where they watch 
the ninja version of Cannibal Holocaust, and they're told the, they're the only two people that can go and rescue the POWs. So they end up getting thrown out of a plane, and we watch stock footage of random people jumping out of an airplane, and uh, <laughs> they, they come down to the ground in the on this island, and underneath their jumpsuit, Carl has a button-up shirt. <laughs> And Sean has a full leather jacket on under it. Yep. I fucking died. I I I just like no matter what was gonna happen, I'm like, this is some fucking ridiculous bullshit. Seth, what do you think when fucking Sean takes off his jumpsuit and he's in a full leather jacket? I don't understand where, where they were prepared to be at. Like, where are we landing that? We have no gear. We're dressed for the mall or the nightclub. And we have literally no no plans. There is nothing nothing happened in that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm giving uh, the other dude a hard time when he, I say he sucked. They just didn't have a damn chance in hell. <laughs> it's the dumbest fucking sequence. And they're out in the middle of this field. And some random kid comes and holds him up with a shotgun. And <laughs> we are treated to the weirdest pronunciation of the word nervous that I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's far enough. Move like it was trending on eggs. Because this thing is likely to go off if I get nervous. Capish? <laughs> Did you notice that too, Dan? Yeah, that listen to that and I don't I don't want to pick on people for the way they talk or nothing, but this kid, I just wanted to wrap his mouth in duct tape and tell him to breathe out of his nose as hard as he fucking could because it sounded like he just had like a shoe shoved in his epiglottis the entire time he tried to talk. But it wasn't that he was mentally handicapped his voice pissed me off well he was trying to do like a, a Italian gangster and shit. he was failing miserably he oh, might yeah. have been the awesome. dumb horse ninja that we saw at the beginning but i mean i understand but yeah, yeah his voice just really annoyed I mean, me i don't know why he was trying to do it the only other time that's even brought up is that short bus scene when him and uh the other dude are arguing about cagney and brando I mean, now I admit I would be acting a little weird too if I were face to face with David Bradley. I would be. <laughs> I would probably have, would my have an awkward boner. That's what you're trying to allude to. Okay, and then you getting like all that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would. But yeah, just that. No, the voice just annoyed me. That's all I have to contribute to the poor kid. <laughs> so. These guys are dropped off in the middle of a foreign land to rescue POWs. So I, I come to present you folks with one of the two movies that this goddamn movie ripped off. Mark the Movie Man, did you think this was uh, an obvious ripoff of Rambo First Blood Part 2? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get to, you're like, wow, they aren't even hiding it. Yeah, you know, it's like, why don't you just give give him the bandana and the rocket launcher? 
yes. you know, and a big machine gun and have him go stand on a hill and annihilate all the, the ninjas, <laughs> you know, and just go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you can see the influence. You're just like sitting there going, OK, I don't know what you guys are doing, but it was done a lot better in the other film. And uh, it's just not working here. Uh, I think they just ran out of ideas. I I mean, this is obviously they they took a couple movies and we'll get to what the second movie is, because the second half of this movie turns into something I was not expecting whatsoever. But this first half, the movie is a blatant like they saw Rambo was big. They're like, okay, let's write off of this. We don't really have to write too much. (laughs) Let's just take the basic outline of what the beginning of Rambo was and let's do this. And, you know. Sean and Carl eventually get dropped down and they try to infiltrate and rescue these guys. And um, they get captured essentially eventually by this big bad who is this complete fucking creep that likes little boys. I mean, of all of the bad guys so far in the American Ninja series, he is the biggest piece of shit. And you believe that this guy is willing to do just about anything. I actually thought for the first time, I kind of liked how dark that the movie got with the bad guy. And uh, even though it was not even remotely mildly racist against uh, Arabs, <laughs> no, <laughs> but, no. but, but it, the bad guy actually felt like, Oh, he, he's a fucking crazy son of a bitch. Scott, what'd you think of this guy? Uh, no, it was not, not, not at all. Uh, not at all. Uh, racist against the uh, Arabs. It's not, it's not completely, even slightly that they took every single single jingoistic horrible stereotype and then slathered it by piling on every single perversion they could imagine yep. and cartoon gi joe villainy on top of it no not at all in a canon film what whatever would you make you think that <laughs> no <laughs> I, I like Reflecto Patch, though. I, I thought he was a cool villain. And though I will say um, their production designers, they really need to talk to their colorful ninjas, their rented ninjas, because when we get to see them on the hill, uh, they're all performing in front of the wrong flag. And and that disturbed me. The OCD got to me. I was like, the why are the yellows fighting in front of the blue flags? and you're not alone. <laughs> okay, I wasn't the only one that noticed that. You come up and you're like, okay, you spent all this time organizing these flags and nobody's standing in front of the proper one. What the fuck kind of presentation is this? Ark, they're evil. They're trying to get to you, man. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, you're right. They are evil. <laughs> they're evil. They're like, you know what? We're not even only going to try to fight the American Ninja. We're going to fuck with Mark the Movie Man, too. All you guys that that need order and symmetry, we're going to completely fuck with you. Uh, The scene, Mark, that's funny. You know, there's this sequence where, of course, we stumble upon Godfrey Ho's ninja training grounds on the top of a cliff. And the, the main ninja has an eye patch. Looks like he's straight out of goddamn Mortal Kombat. And um, we just have lackey ninjas dying all over the place. Before this, we have Sean trying to infiltrate this before he gets captured. And we have this entire sequence where he's running around in what looks to be some forest in the middle of rural Wisconsin. He, he This whole sequence, he 
constructs like Rambo out of nothing. This and it's just it goes on forever. This bow and arrow <laughs> that he shoots one bow, one arrow, and fucking promptly throws the, <laughs> the fucking bow away. <laughs> that was totally worth it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm glad I had a two minute scene where he oh, we watched him put this thing together piece by piece to shoot one fucking arrow. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> Wait till we get to Mad Max. Oh, which is the second half of the movie where after Sean gets captured and Carl get captured and get chained up in greasy no shirted basements like a dave dakota movie <laughs> i'm surprised they weren't in white tidy whities um all of a sudden we switch to duty who's teaching a class in the uh, peace corps this is 45 minutes into this movie folks 45 minutes into the movie that is sold as a buddy team-up movie you see if you look at the cover fucking duties right there 45 minutes in he is basically guilt tripped into trying to rescue Sean and the POWs and in a sequence in which is essentially just a car ride. We learn the entire history and exposition of the bad guys while duty just rides in a car and then for some reason stumbles across an outlander group of uh, renegades that are not unlike all of the post-apocalyptic wastelanders in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And he, <laughs> Dudikoff, has to prove himself by fighting uh, Roundy's Master Blaster. And uh, this movie, again, turns into a ripoff of something else. Seth, when this movie turned into Great Eagle uh, Mad Max, what did you think of this? completely taken off guard but hell at this point i'm for it <laughs> it's pretty obvious at this point we're not going to get much dudikoff and michael bradley teaming up if any it turns out it wasn't any let's just throw some shit at the wall and have rebels with pots and pans and pitchforks and battle axes why the hell not so <laughs> i'm for it at this point i was just breathing a sigh of relief that colored ninjas came back because we didn't see anything but black ninjas until over half an hour into the movie. So it was all, you know, all good from here on out. Let's just fucking go crazy. Oh yeah. It definitely goes crazy from this point on all bets were off. And I remember Mark, the movie man texting me because I didn't watch this movie yet and he was watching it. And then grand Astro radio Z tradition during the franchise episodes, Mark, the movie man's got to give me a live text stream of the movies he's watching he was he was blown away by the fact that this all of a sudden became a mad max movie i'll bet a fucking roundies version of a goddamn max mad max movie now due to cough i i want to put this out there i'd love to have this discussion because we kind of talked um in the last movie about the fact that you know duty versus david bradley and who we thought was better and in that movie i thought you know what he actually brought something to the table i gotta admit when duty shows up in this movie, he's a fucking badass. Like yep. he's got presence. When he when he actually fights, he must have been training. He's kicking people's fucking asses all over the place. 
And I was just like, holy shit, I'm swallowing my words here. Goddamn dude, he's fucking getting it on in this motherfucker. Dan, what'd you think about Dudikoff coming back? I think it was a great return to form. I wish it had been returned 45 minutes previously. Like I, <laughs> We had gotten this from the beginning of the film. But I mean, I make it no mystery. I mean, I love them both. The both characters are freaking awesome. But yeah, it was nice. This was, again, I know I keep saying it over and over. It's a video game. It's a video game. This, it's a freaking video game. Now, it takes a little longer to get into it with this one, but it's pretty much like the basis of Metal Gear. What have you got? A compound of a sadistic or a compound of a sadist who's trying to build a weapon to hold the world hostage. And his little miscreant guards are what ninjas and other, you know, soldiers of fortune or whatnot. And so what do you do? You have to send one guy in to take him out. Now, this is a solid snake. It's Michael Dudikoff. But I mean, it is what it is. But yeah, he just he came in there and he's just he. Yeah, as as you said it best, it just he looks like he's worked. He has practiced for the role. He actually it's almost like he was ready for this role. It just is a very nice return to form and and a welcome breath of fresh air for the movie honestly (laughs) yeah because up until this point i mean they really didn't give david bradley much to do in that whole first 45 minutes it is uh, the worst rehash of rambo 2 and then he just gets kidnapped and the movie should have started with dudikoff in the peace corps i i agree with scott that they should have switched the characters yeah they they really should have but unfortunately this is how it is and uh event what ends up happening is dudikoff ends up infiltrating um the bad guy's compound during a dinner party he dresses a priest and gives a, a policeman the vulcan neck pinch and <laughs> steals the plans makes his own ninja weapons and he turns into a ninja and finally unlike the last movie where David Bradley was not a ninja. He was just some karate dude kicking people in the face, which I was fine with. We're back to actual ninja shit. Fucking Dudikoff dons the ninja outfit and just starts fucking people up. He's catching a... He caught a fucking arrow with his teeth. (laughs) How fucking badass is that, Seth? That's fucking badass, right? It is badass, and I'm glad that it was Dudikoff coming to save uh davidson and not the other way around even though from a character standpoint it would have made more sense but if i was one of these other guys chained up being burned at the fucking stake let's talk about how dark this movie gets with some of the stuff compared to the other ones it's violent oh yeah yeah there's a there's a man on fire just running around burned to shit but if i'm one of these guys further down the line chained at the stake i want to see dudikoff come strutting in with the blonde and the steely blue eyes piercing out of the little ninja mask, just handing out roundhouses and catching arrows with his teeth, throwing grenades onto people who's already fucked up. I, I know I'm getting saved at that point. <laughs> that was one of the best things. I had that in my notes. Duty blows up a bad ninja with a fucking grenade. He already kicked his ass. It was done. He just pulls out a grenade and fucking backhands that thing right on top of him. At first, I didn't know what it was. I was like, is this like one of the the disappearing gases? You know, the smoke bombs? No, that motherfucker blew up. And I was like, oh, shit. It's like the 
the WCW ECW invasion angle with Judas <laughs> and Stone Cold coming in and handing out stars all over the place to save WWF. Good God, man. Yeah. <laughs> man. You were fucked around. And then in that same sequence, Carl blows up a toy helicopter with a bazooka. <laughs> I love, I love how distinctly obvious that thing is about a $50 model helicopter. <laughs> oh, my God. It's uh, this movie, literally uh, the last half of it, and it's too bad. It goes off the rails. Yeah. But when it goes off the rails, it does so in this really horribly shot, bland way where you have I mean, it is an extravagant sequence where we're talking at least 50 extras running around. There's explosions. The Wastelanders are coming to fight the ninjas. And there's this huge mashup when Duty finally gets in to rescue Sean because they're they've uh, the bad guys have like strung them up like it's a scene from Mark of the Devil and it's a witch burning execution. And uh, it just culminates into this huge fucking battle that is just so horribly shot and yeah and and just like you don't get uh any sort of connection with the action that's going on it's just wide shots of people running around into each other that it renders it all so pointless i mean scott did you just think the whole final battle was a bunch of bullshit i just at this point i just thought okay this is just more random shit and it just really felt like, okay, we've shown all of our set pieces. Now let's show random shit. Even though this is the point where we should be showing people teaming up, we should be showing people the climax, we should show people what we promised from the get-go, it's just more random shit. And, it, you know, you kind of get the clue that this is going to happen when Dudikov kind of just slowly saunters out. Forget the fact that there is a guy that was just set on fire <laughs> who's just like flailing around Joe Dudikoff just kind of slowly saunters out and then the sequence starts and it's more random shit this movie is a lot more serious yeah uh, Seth was starting to touch on it like how dark and violent it is it's also it doesn't have its tongue in cheek like the other ones did at least the other ones you kind of look like they, where they said like yeah we know it's kind of silly but come along for the ride this one thinks like, no, we're dead serious about this. Oh, my God. Look at these horrible ninja warriors. Aren't they just a terrible threat? And they were really dead serious about this. And it kind of takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails, to be completely honest with you. It's just a little bit too much. That's a problem I had with this movie. It was just a little it promised us all this stuff. Uh, you guys mentioned it was Mad Max. I thought it was if the first part was Rambo two. I thought the yeah. first second part was Rambo three. I mean, I could see com- that. Yeah. I mean, completely where they get him at the at the school and they and they have to convince him to go back into his war fighting ways. And he has to go in there and he finds the group of uh, rebels that he inspires, you know, and it's probably a bad idea to inspire those rebels knowing how, you know, history worked out, but still we're going to do it, you know, and they still do this, you know, and all of this stuff, you know, it's it. I thought it was like a bunch of Rambo ripoff, and I thought that man, you know, by this point, I think I was used to Cannon screwing me over. So it's kind of like, okay, they're doing it. And I enjoyed it a little bit more than part three. 
just because I thought, well, it started out as something that they tried to do, but they just didn't get that go- that ball over the goal line. So, no. Can I can I just point out something during this whole fight sequence? Yes, please. What 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 Sean's plan was by getting all of the hostages he freed into a jail cell <laughs> and closes the door and stands there while shit's going down. And then like after stuff starts happening, he opens the door and the girl is behind him and he gets out and he goes, no, no, stay there. And she closes the barred door behind. I'm like, what is this? What kind of escape plan is this? Stay in the jail cell. You'll be safer there. I couldn't get that. I'm like, no, why are you hiding behind bars? Go help duty who is actually kicking ass. And yeah, the fight sequences though, in this film, in general, when you got like Dudikoff versus some ninjas, some of those were actually really good for the series. I think in all honesty, out of the four films that we've watched so far, this probably has some of the best choreographed and, and, and best fight scenes. But I think it goes along with what Scott was saying is that it felt like they were trying to change the tone of the series to be a more serious action film. And in doing so, those fight scenes were handled a lot differently than the first three films. Yeah. there. Well, there's not all the posturing. There's not the one-liners. Um, it's pretty much just like these dudes are fucking kicking each other's asses. And I appreciated that. Um, in the end, I still found stuff that I enjoyed about this movie. I mean, it's still a movie about dudes kicking ninjas in the face. So (laughs) I can't get too pissed about it, but it obviously it is my least favorite up until this point because it's essentially just ripoffs of other movies. So let's go into final thoughts about this thing. Seth, when it all is said and done, people duty throwing ninja uh, grenades at fucking dead ninjas and shit like this. What would you think of this thing? I think it's messy. Uh, It doesn't totally know what it wants to be, but the change in tone and attitude really worked for me just on a personal level, I love sleazy, grimy exploitation films, and it really feels like they, it's what they were going for, a lot of this one. Uh, as soon as Dudikoff comes in, I think from that point on, it's my favorite part of the series up till now. Just yeah. madness happening. I like the lightheartedness of the first three, but the kind of you know, dark, grimy violence in this one was a nice change. It's not, none of them are all that well put together, but I'd say it's probably the least well put together, but I still have a really good time with it. Thumbs up. Yeah, I I agree with you on just about every count there. Dan? It's American Ninja 4. By this point, you've kind of, well, I would say you know what to expect, but you you honestly don't. Still, it's in the vein of the movies that have come before us. So many just, it's a precursor of that gonzo video game culture i hate to keep harping on that but that has such an impact on my childhood and this movie is the same as like those games you have i mean you can take metal gear and mix it with the first ninja gaiden you know on the nes and there you have this movie now yeah it does it's just as you've said it best two two different movies and i wish it could have been 
more. I wish I would have been given what the cover looked the cover looked like a hardcore hard boiled double dragon. It looked like what was going on in my head when I played double dragon. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I wanted. Unfortunately, it's not what we got, but for what it did right, it did right. I guess if I'm saying that properly, like the parts that it got right, it got right and it did it well. And it made me want more. But yeah, Dudikoff was back and we see why he is American Ninja. I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah. His introduction is just fucking legendarily badass. Mark the movie, man. Yeah. Everybody here pretty much uh, said what I was thinking as well. I enjoyed this. I actually enjoyed it a little bit better than three. Uh, the change in tone was. Uh, interesting change and then i actually enjoyed that a little more uh it is still a mess (laughs) by any means but dudikoff definitely you can tell he put some thought and time before he came back into this role because this is american ninja i wish we would have seen this dudikoff in the first two films holy crap You know, because the, what he did with this character, I was just like, hell yeah, give me give me more of that. So, yeah, the, the stuff they do right, they do very well. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't work. Like during the proving scene, we get a random car, but the car misses its mind. <laughs> I'm like, why is there a car? And it just random and no one says anything. The car goes and crashes and Dudikoff is suddenly a part of the tribe. You know, it's like there's a lot of random stuff like that. But then you get awesome fights. You get dark scenes where you get guys set on fire and our hero is not rushing to save people. (laughs) He's like, oh, that's just an army guy. I don't need to save him. Uh, You know, you got a darker villain. So there's a lot of elements in here I enjoyed. And it did make me enjoy it better than three in a lot of ways. This is my least favorite of the series, but I still enjoy it. I can I can see what you guys are all saying. Scott, the movie man, finish it out. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> taking I'm taking your thunder, Mark. <laughs> oh, we're just taking everything from Mark tonight. That's... I now have ended this whole night with nothing. Uh, This is, this is, we're at 1130. I am. My brain is shutting completely fucking off at this point. I'm glad we're near the end of this episode. That was totally unintentional. No, it's okay. It worked. I liked it. Scott, go ahead. Let's finish. Uh, You know, I do like it a little bit better than three, but I'm going to disagree with a lot of you guys and say that, yeah, okay. He may have been really cool in the action sequences, but as much as I accuse David Bradley of not having any charisma in part three, I thought it was completely reversed here. I thought David Bradley had all the charisma. Michael Dudikoff was just this blank slate who was just going through action sequence after action sequence and with no real purpose, no real character. I thought that the film was... uh, slightly more enjoyable but it was too damn serious and it because it felt it felt so sluggish it actually felt really convoluted and complicated even though it wasn't it really wasn't any more complicated than any of the others in the series but it felt like it was because it was just so uneven so on un, so sluggish 
So I'll give it a slight edge over part three, but I still don't recommend it. I'm sorry. I just don't I just don't dig it at all. I thought they had a really great opportunity, but they fumbled the ball here. I like cheese pizza. I like pepperoni pizza. I, I like pizza. I'll even I'll even eat a goddamn pizza with olives on it. And I hate those little sons of bitches. <laughs> That's what this movie is. I still dig it. I still had a lot of fun. They're still ninjas. They're getting they're dodging bullets. They're in ridiculous looking outfits and they're getting kicked in the face. Can't ask for much more. And then at the end of the day, so far, this fucking Amer- American Ninja gimmick is a goddamn wild success in my book. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Astro Radio Z. And we have reached the finish line. What does that mean? That means we're finally finishing up the American Ninja movies for 2018 with American Ninja 5 made in 1993. In the battle between good and evil, the magic power of the ninja is about to reveal itself. David Bradley returns as the next generation of ninja warrior. He's a boy. He's my grandnephew. He's your last ninja. He's about to discover the mystic art of his ancestors. Think back, hero. Teach me ninjutsu. Now, a reluctant teacher will lead an impatient student. Astro Radio Z Family American Ninja 5. John is your average American martial arts teacher slash ninja just trying to get through life. His life soon takes a crazy turn when he is put in charge of his sensei's not-so-ninja nephew, Hero. But soon, John and Hero find themselves on a hilarious high-kicking adventure as they travel to Venezuela to rescue John's would-be girlfriend, who he thought was a man. Join them as they enter a live-action video game where they take on level after level of colorful ninjas, dodge random ninja traps, and Hero learns to unlock the ninja from within, all to fight the final boss, Viper, and save the world. Starring David, I'm Not Sean Bradley, and this is my only movie, DuPont, Ben Kingsley's porno stand-in, Mark Fiorini, Pat, give me my damn check, Morita, a Game Gear, and introducing Not Ernie Jr., Reyes. American Ninja 5, this week, 
on Astro Radio Z Family. No, you have not tuned in to the wrong podcast, folks. Astro Radio Z is going into kitty film territory tonight with the last episode of American Ninja. And uh, because Mark the Movie Man, who you all know and love, was so goddamn excited about this movie, which may be his favorite movie of all time. I'm not sure. We'll find that out. Uh, he decided to re- to record that little blurb you guys just heard. And little did I know, he's a complete fucking racist. Mark the Movie Man, what do you have to say for yourself? Calling him the movie. What? <laughs> I can't even say it. What? Not Ernie Reyes Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm glad he said it because I was thinking it. <laughs> I, was it. I was like, this guy was in turn. Oh, no, he wasn't. In no. <laughs> Wait, are you trying to say they all look the same, Scott? No, you no, fucking no, white. No, this looks racist. Is, his last name is Reyes. <laughs> all I'm saying is when I saw him at first, I'm like, I didn't know he was in this film. He's got the same last name and he's playing a Kung Fu kid. I mean, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, they got, the- oh, he did this after. Oh, no, no, this is, this can't be, is this like a cousin or it's like, <laughs> okay, we got to stop. This conversation is becoming very problematic more and more by the second. So let me introduce the folks that are on, on my show tonight. If you've listened to the other American Ninja episodes, you know who they are. I have Mr. Dan Edenfield from the Night Keep. Hello, Hello. sir. Hi there. <laughs> I have the BFD Glenn Bittner is back. Hello. Hey there, Derek. You absolutely know the sultry tones of Mark the Movie Man. Oh, yeah. As racist as they are, Mr. Mark the Movie Man. <laughs> Say hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm trying not to paint you in a corner, Mark. I really love it's not you. Too late for that. Geez. Yeah. You can clean your, your sheets, your white sheets, while we do the podcast. Here. <laughs> um, Scott Davis. Say hello. Hello. And last but not least, Mr. Baltimore himself, Seth Pollard. Say hello. Hi. So, American Ninja 5 was originally shot as a completely different movie originally titled American Dragons by Canon Pictures and um before this movie was released on cable and uh they decided to retitle this as an American Ninja movie now people that have been following our episodes and have been watching along with us which of course you all are will notice something different about this movie David Bradley is back but he is not the character we've come to know (laughs) at all. So it's a little off-putting at first because you see David Bradley in the opening sequence of this film, which is a classic trope of martial arts films, the training montage and the training sequence. Now, most training sequences start with maybe some Tai Chi poses and some energy pulls and stuff like this. No, this movie starts off with full bore up the crotch splits. <laughs> some trapeze gimmick. They just like they just throw you right in. <laughs> I mean, you are balls deep, and I mean literally balls deep. We call that move a Carolina pile driver. <laughs> 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 I 
but it can only be attended by professionals. So if you're not David Bradley or from Carolina, I do not recommend that. <laughs> Have your stirrups and, you know, stretching and stuff is so crucial and important for that. So I'm sorry. <laughs> you get your stirrups and you just drop it straight on down. It's Carolina. <laughs> Drop it straight on down. <laughs> so, anyways, it is David Bradley and his sensei. I'm guessing his sensei or just a buddy of his. No, it's a dude, buddy. It's of some dude. It's some rando dude who's Asian, of course. Uh, punching bu- uh, like bunches of of bamboo sticks and uh, slicing apples on a katana blade. And uh, doing the splits over and over and over again. Uh, Mark the Movie Man, what were your um, non-erotic thoughts about this opening training sequence? <laughs> like, I'm like, why is he dodging his head? That bundle of bamboo is like a foot above him. He could have just stood still and and it would still not have hit him. I don't know what he was dodging for, but I, it was your standard <laughs> opening seeing a lot more of david bradley than you expect i mean you know he does what i love is the fact is he got his buddy there who's who's doing okay but then bradley would do the same you know the same moves and he'd do a a lot better like he could hit the little ping pong ball in the circle a lot better than than his buddy and then you get that finishing montage where he just hits all apples on the katana like And his buddy was like, had to do them one at a time, you know, so that showing that he's like the better, better, whatever martial artist, but the better sous chef. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, they did grab just some random Asian guy from a a karate dojo down the street to to play beside David Bradley. Seriously. Who is, yeah, okay. I want to just. I guess I should have looked this up before I like just opened my mouth, but there's like a guy um, who is like a who's the dude who actually like plays himself. Uh-huh. Was that was that one of the ninjas later on or what? Because they actually have a thing like a Tadashi Yamashita oh, yeah. as himself. Yeah, maybe that's I, that guy. I think I it's that guy. It's gotta be. Well, he plays two roles in this movie, according to IMDb. Oh, no, no, they both oh. named Tadashi, so so it's one dude. But I don't know. I thought like I, I always, I so I kind of not knowing, you know, about like his full thing because he's always like the, uh, you know, he's always like in like like a stunt garb or something like that. For instance, he was in the first American Ninja as like one of the main ninjas. Oh, it is that guy. That's totally that's the the main bad guy from. American Ninja One. So that it was, was like, it was like it, it was like basically like the guy like doing a cameo as himself. Yes. All right. See. I'm- that was the Black Star Ninja. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was him. Like whenever I saw him, I was like, dude, is that? No. No, it's not. Uh, well, no. <laughs> what? He wouldn't have. It would have looked like they, you know they all look the same. But whenever <laughs> I looked, I was like, nah, because well, he look- is doing okay. his. And that dude's evil, and he could fight with lasers and shit. So not nah. it, it, it totally foils Dan's whole illusion that these are actually true stories. Because <laughs> that guy would be dead; he wouldn't be alive. We'll be getting to that. Oh, he turned over a new leaf, and now he's teaching him to teaching David Bradley, who now has teaching, a new name. He's teaching <laughs> David Bradley to love again. That's right. 
<laughs> it's got to happen before he becomes a cyborg. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's let's calm this down. So now we we get through this opening credit sequence, which is just a training montage, and we get to the movie proper, and we obviously notice that David Bradley is not the same character. His name is totally different. The tone in general is just really goofy with this. So his character is kind of aloof in kind of a, a dough head. And so we're supposed to believe that he's been trained in the ninja arts. <laughs> they let anybody in nowadays. <laughs> I, I, I didn't I, honestly, I didn't buy a single second of his character. Glenn, this version of David Bradley, you like this version of David Bradley, or you like the one we got used to in the rest of the series. Oh, what's not the love about karate kid, Miami vice version that they got here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the first time I watched it, you know, I, I paid so much attention. I didn't even know it wasn't the same guy because I just didn't fucking care. <laughs> and then on the second time, like, I was like, oh, shit, he's not the same character. I still don't care. <laughs> it's it's kind of jarring between the last couple movies that were really super serious and kind of dark. And then you get to this one. And it totally has the vibe of the movies that were coming out around that time, like Surf Ninjas or Three Ninjas, where it it just casually lifts certain elements that uh, the mouth breathers of America would associate with Asian culture. And uh, this casual racism is very pervasive through the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that it is most apparent is the fact that um in one of the million and a half chase sequences in this movie the movie <laughs> is lousy with chase sequences there is this stock pan flute playing <laughs> so obnoxiously through the entire movie <laughs> it is the most jarring fucking thing because these are sequences where you're supposed to feel tension and you hear this pan flute, which I'll probably more than likely play underneath this section while we talk about it. <laughs> and it totally is supposed to remind you of the culture of the people involved. And it is obnoxious. Uh, Seth, the pan flute soundtrack, which is almost the entire soundtrack. What do you think of this? Uh, well, I think my most important note that I took was what in the blue hell is this pan flute music doing? <laughs> because I I guess saying that they were in South America wasn't enough. Also, South American ninjas doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but the pan flute music, it started and it just didn't stop. <laughs> it, it comes on and then th- that scene ends and it's still going. And then a few more scenes in, you're like, okay, this is going to get back to like some other music at some point, right? It doesn't. No, it just doesn't. It's so, great reggae stuff, too. <laughs> so I, I guess you either take it or leave it because it's there for the duration. That, that guy was, you know, and that guy was really dedicated. You know, he was like <laughs> nailing every take on that soundtrack. And like after they said, yeah, well, that's a keeper. He'd be like, you know, grabbing his crotch and blowing a kiss to Zam. <laughs> you know, he'd be doing the whole thing like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. 
You don't want to blow up your ass. All those years studying at the conservatory. Jethro Tall shrine up in his corner that he would sit there and rub himself around the face, <laughs> dance around like the lower half of him naked. A and then lot of people do that. <laughs> Oh, speaking of completely uncomfortable sexuality, <laughs> we have our lead child actor, Hero, who the main thrust of the plot of American Ninja 5 is that while uh, David Bradley is training at some local dojo, Pat Morita walks in oh, with God. Hero in a completely off-putting sequence in which Pat Morita doesn't speak broken English. It talks with the most plain Jane white boy accent ever. I was convinced first time I watched this that it was an overdub. I'm like, that's not Pat Morita. Well, I, I've heard him speak uh, in a regular, regular, you know, no accent plenty of times. What got me wasn't that he was walking in with a regular accent. It was what, that he was walking in without a mustache. That messed me up. <laughs> that messed me up. I'm like, I'm like, God, I thought I was really taken off guard when Tom Selleck dropped his mustache. This just feels wrong. Well, later <laughs> he pops back in in this ridiculous conjuring scene that we'll get to later <laughs> with a with a fucking Lemmy styled handlebar mustache. <laughs> it's like a it's so poorly put on him that it's ridiculous. The Turbo Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly the Turbo Hogan fucking mustache. <laughs> But anyway, so Pat Morita walks into this joint and drops off Hero for uh, David Bradley to watch because David Bradley was supposedly supposed to house sit for Pat Morita while he went on a trip. And in real classy style, Pat Morita ups the ante last minute before David Bradley can walk out. Oh, yeah, by the way, watch this snot nosed kid that does nothing but play Sega Game Gear all day. See ya later. <laughs> and he vanishes into smoke with, with a, a sound effect taken straight out of a super the Super Mario Brothers fucking cartoon. <laughs> and we from. are we are treated to this child actor <laughs> who does nothing but play. Well, the movie straight up gives us the hardest fucking shill for a Sega Game Gear you've ever seen this side of the wizard. <laughs> and that's for Nintendo. But this is like this movie is dedicated to shilling that goddamn Game Gear. Nobody wants that fucking thing. Almost to the point where later in the movie, Hero is walking around a Venezuelan street trying to pawn it off on just give it away to people and nobody wants it. I know. This is exactly how I felt when I owned a Sega Master System. <laughs> nobody wants a Game Gear. But anyways, Hero, uh, uh, he's a very troubled boy because he his dad is dead and multiple other uh, things have happened to him in which he just kind of bops between houses now. So he's kind of lost, but he's also coming into his own sexuality at the very moment he happens upon David Bradley, because every time he goes around a girl, he uncomfortably talks about the fact he's getting boners. <laughs> <laughs> this is a children's movie. Might I remind everyone, Mark, Talk to me about Hero and the fact every 15 minutes, it looks like he's about to come in his pants. <laughs> Talk to me about child boners. 
<laughs> Why'd you pick me? <laughs> Bad enough you paid me a racist now. You're and now I'm just sitting back here. He's just liking the fact that the heat is off me for a change. Scott's going to kick his feet up. Uh, unbuckle his pants a little bit. So this is what vacation feels like. Totally Al Bundying it, putting his hand in his waistband. I don't know if putting your hand in your waistband well, in this conversation is the best. I will wait to put my hand on my waist until there's something less incriminating than Thank you very much. Oh, damn it. Anyway, you are right, though, that he's just a walking hormone because we meet the girl who David Bradley thought was a guy, which just makes him even more of a doughhead. I'm like, how even when she was in her overalls and covered head to toe in, tar- in varnish, how did you think that was a guy? But so they're on that date. And he, he, he's wondering, hey, is she pretty? Is she pretty? And then he sees her. He's like, whoa, she is pretty. And David Bradley's like, yeah. Because <laughs> you know, David Bradley, who plays American Ninja, he he sits there and, and you know he he's got the girl there, and of course the camera angle too, and she, the way she's just everything about this is wrong, um, and she's just like, oh sure, he can be on the board, and I'm like, what the hell is this? What this is awkward? You've got him on a date with these two. You know, you got Chowderhead played playing American Ninja. He's sitting there and and oogling her. And this kid, you know, it's the only thing that makes him look up from his game gear. So the whole that whole date scene thing is awkward. Um, you know, and then it's like they're having dinner, and she goes and she drops that flirty line. If you liked dinner, wait till you see my dessert. And David Bradley, who plays American Ninja, he goes over to, uh, you know, his kid. He goes, <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's like, well, let me play Game Gear first. He's like, okay, I'm gonna go check on her dessert. <laughs> Poor, I know this is like introducing him. You know, he's trying to be get his break or whatnot. But and we'll get to the scene later with the with the van. But he's got to learn to not react until something actually happens on screen because there's one scene later on in the film where uh, he's hanging in the air and Bradley goes, I'll be back. And before he's off screen, the kids got this expression like, Oh, Hey, Oh, look at him go. Oh, look at him fight. But nothing's happening. I noticed that too. That was funny. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And it happens in a couple other spots too, where he's reacting to nothing. I'm like, dude, Dude, go back to your acting coach, man. He's got a ninja five. I mean, there's not much to react with. No, that's true. Maybe he was trying to make something out of nothing. I don't know. Well, let's remember this was not shot as an American ninja movie. No, it was not. And you could tell completely. And just with this, with him and his forced humor as well. Oh, my God. Where they're driving the truck. Well, life isn't a game. Well, apparently it is. This kid, I'm like, could they write you a worst part for you, dude? Really? (laughs) Oh man. Well, the the kid. I mean, to get back to the creep factor, the the kid literally at that date 
that you were talking about, she offers him his, her hand. Yeah. And he basically tongues her hand. Yes. In front of everybody. It's like, dude, slow your fucking roll. Yeah, he's he's like seriously kissing the amount of skin off of the back of her hand, like literally sucking it like a leech. This like, kid. This is a kid's movie, and we have the rapiest kid this side of the pit. Involved. Well, it also, it doesn't help in that scene that she's, you know, bent over to help him up on the ladder. So, you know, he's got a direct eye line to things, and it's just, oh, man. Yeah. Yes, I stuffed it myself. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the the vast majority of this movie is essentially Jill, who's the love interest, gets kidnapped because her dad is a yet again we have a major bad guy attempting to make some biological wimp- weapon and sell it to people for reasons. And her dad is the scientist developing this. She gets kidnapped by ninjas. Purple ninjas, teal ninjas, white ninjas, black ninjas, white ninjas, all sorts of uh, very diverse, very (laughs) racially diverse ninjas in this movie. (laughs) Well, these are still leftovers from the American Ninja films. Yeah, they had to to pay these guys. Well, (laughs) they have to have those colors so that Joe knows what level opponent he's fighting. Yeah, yep. So the whole rest of the movie is um, Hero and David Bradley stowing away very improbably on many different <laughs> vehicles and breaking out of jail and all this other shit and just running from one place to the next the entire fucking movie. Well, I would I would Until- really argue that the bad guy was had this big plot to do general basically. What I got from this was the big bad guy's plot was that they were really, really, really dedicated to killing a puppy. Yeah, they so, were! <laughs> because, like, every is like, okay, the, the, the virus is working. Kill this puppy. Like, I'm not bring in the puppy. puppy. They <laughs> always got to bring the puppy in when they're about to test it. Every, every scene, every scene, it was always the same puppy. They <laughs> just like, like, this puppy's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cutest little thing. Oh my! I'm such a dog person. So thank God they are so inept at what they're doing, because otherwise I would never forgive this movie. Because oh my God, adorbs! But uh, <laughs> <laughs> sweetest little thing. But yeah, they just keep on like pushing this puppy on people. Like, like even when they're ready to like kill. You know, and gas our heroes towards the end of the movie, of course, because if there's ever, ever like a thing, there's got to be a scene where the heroes are in danger of getting gassed. That's the whole thing. Uh, even that, they shove the puppy in there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Just out of nowhere, the, bring the puppy in. Are we beyond the puppy? <laughs> I said, this is a movie about some bad guys who just really, really, really want to kill a puppy. And they can't. <laughs> and, 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 and they're such lousy villains. They can't get it. They can't seal the deal. <laughs> you, got, you got that right. It's almost like this circumstantial idiocy. <laughs> when you've got uh, Walter, not Walter, damn it, uh, Pat Morita dropping his kid off with David Bradley to just do whatever, and then just happen to have this evil criminal organization in Venezuela that the dude is trying to cook up 
reserve gas for the evil criminal mastermind who has his own criminal company. And so they kidnap the daughter of the nerve gas maker who happens to be trying really hard to bang David Bradley. David Bradley in this movie should be walking around with a snorkel because he's drowning in pussy, apparently. It's like 10 minutes. I was trying to get you the other day. I was trying to. He's like, I said varnish, not varnish. And she's like, yeah, but I was trying to get your attention. because yeah, She might as well have been naked uh, on her knees the entire movie. And it's like, good Lord. Meanwhile, the little kid's like, he got a bone. <laughs> Venezuela just because she just happens to get kidnapped and David Bradley for some reason feels the need to pursue this chick and it's just the entire thing is so implausible and yet it happened <laughs> it's David Bradley's biography so we just gotta roll with it story <laughs> have some respect god damn it it's American ninja alright not American <laughs> <laughs> Well, David Bradley, much like Steve James in the rest of the series, has a real problem with keeping his shirt on in this movie. (laughs) It gets torn off left and right, and he breaks free thanks to, you know, the little hand symbol. You know, they put their hands together in some cockamamie position, and then they, they think real hard, and it's mostly David Bradley on top of a building with his shirt off, totally yoked beyond fucking belief. The guy is so goddamn ripped that I don't know how he even moves his arms, to be honest. Can, can and, I talk? and he's able, with the power of his mind, to make handcuffs fall off and do a whole bunch of a, other improbable shit. Now, Dan, I know this entire series of episodes, you have been so rock hard over this shit. What did you think about the goddamn like? What, what the Koronetsu or whatever the fuck it's called? He's using his fucking hand hand jobber symbol, whatever the fuck it is. Did this make you excited? In a way, yes. Um, and it felt about six or seven hours into the movie whenever that finally happened. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's only an hour and forty five minutes, folks. Bullshit! I was there. Okay. <laughs> I was there. God damn it! I was there for all eight hours i was there for season one okay this <laughs> motherfucker was no no it wasn't an hour and a half it, look it's american ninjas it does what i said was kind of cool with it like from the 10 year old kid when you watch it they just tease magic is there but they don't like come out and shove it in your face wiggle it around like you know mark showing his dangling to people what? It's, wait it's- <laughs> Wow, Mark is under attack this episode. They just hint at it. Yeah, and again, it was not- <laughs> I've only heard we've only heard stories, Mark. <laughs> There's only been hints. No, it just they briefly <laughs> hint about the ninja magic, but they never really come out and say it so that whenever they do the little things, it's just cool. It's kind of endearing. That is better than listening to that goddamn pan flute and the stock reggae music and that fucking bike chase sequence when the kids in the bike trying to get away from the ambulance. That was like two hours of the film right there. I swear I wanted to carve my eyeballs out, but regardless, he has ninja magic. David Bradley knows magic. We've seen this. His haircut, while I can't say it was better in this film, it was still stylish. Can we talk about that for a minute? He caught fire 
His yeah. pants burned, his jacket burned, everything. He Did you, you jump oh. off the pier? He was jumping like this shit. Was just like, God damn! <laughs> forgot to give him the protective coating for the fire for David Bradley because he ran off that pier like he was on fire. He's like, oh shit! He was yeah. totally on fire. I mean, that was something where I'm like, they didn't they didn't take any kind of like safety precautions or anything. He is actually on fire. I take back anything I may have said about his, uh, what, whether like how good of, uh, he was in the stunt scenes, uh, in previous movies, dude, he was like kicking ass in these action sequences. It's great. And then it, it's like, yeah, okay. They're still not the same as those, you know, really, you know, life endangering Hong Kong films. And Oh, never mind, David Bradley is on fire. <laughs> Legitimately on fire. Shit in his pants. Jumping off a goddamn pier. He's like, goddamn micro budget. Ah, no. <laughs> watching it. <laughs> he burst into flames because he was nowhere near that explosion to where he should have caught fire. But in any case, the next seed, we got the kid trying to hock his game gear, which nobody wants because they're like, dude, that's not compatible with anything I got at home. And next thing, he's on a roof with his pants perfectly and his shirt off. And I'm like, wait, what? And then the next scene we see him later on, he stopped by a surf shop and bought himself some... uh spiffy clothes because he suddenly shows up in this like button down pink shirt and, and stylish t-shirt i'm like what the hell he stopped by you know freaking freaking the gap bought himself some clothes <laughs> talking about kicking ass we did get the homage to the other american ninjas david bradley caught another motherfucking arrow yes <laughs> i mentioned that a flaming arrow this time yeah that was set fire by n- nothing i don't matter doesn't matter it's fired, fired by pan flu good god <laughs> you gotta focus the magic if you want to use it. that's what causes the pan flute you know the magic's working when the pan flute happens well you know you're about to watch a 10 minute long sequence of two people chasing each other when you hear that goddamn pan flute <laughs> every single time that's the cue you can fast forward. Just hit the the thirty second button on your player. It fast forward because all it's going to be is two people chasing each other. Now, other things that he does that is rather strange. For some reason, about half hour into this movie, he starts trying to do an Elvis impression for some unknown reason multiple times. He's escaping from the various colored ninjas and look. Hey, at hey, him. hey! Ninja American. Ninja Americans. Please, please. Be sensitive. <laughs> Look at what I've started, folks. Um, <laughs> please continue. He looks, at, he looks at Hero and goes, Les Wang. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Where did that come from? Or he's, he just gets done... He gets swung at by some random fucking mercenary, and he looks at him and goes, if you're going to hit me, hit me hard. What? Yeah. <laughs> See, David Bradley is not funny. <laughs> Newsflash! Ding, 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 no, ding, ding. no. I mean, not, there is no humor with him. He is a killing machine. And that's why <laughs> the first half of this movie, he's just kicking ass. And then all of a sudden... Basically, whenever he stops by Waves and gets those new clothes and rescues the kid, 
when the other ninjas come out, the ninja Americans start attacking him because they're all diverse ninjas. He takes a sword and starts killing these motherfuckers. Like before, he was just kicking them and like staring at them with his Bradley face, and they would back off. They're like, <laughs> but then he grabs the sword, and now he's starting to cut motherfuckers up. And then well, Dan, he they were throwing, they were tr- attempting to kill Hero. Now let's mind mind you, he's a twelve year old boy, and they're throwing grenades at this kid <laughs> he didn't share his doritos and that's right it was a, a very blatant doritos. disregard for D- doritos in that opening scene da- yeah so i mean he hey he signed his own death warrant we've been trying to kill that kid all movie he's just happened to be around david bradley and nobody kills you except for david bradley so i mean he wasn't going to let anybody else kill the kid he wanted to do regardless he didn't start killing people until about halfway through it. And then all of a sudden, David Bradley just becomes like this walking goddamn mortuary. He's going to take a sword and just start hacking motherfuckers up with it. And then it goes from, oh, I'm just going to kick, you know, kick some people and roundhouse stuff. Now the body count is just stacking up like cordwood with these people. But that's because David Bradley has no humor. He killed. That's what he does. I, I, I think it was that he had to desensitize the kid because it's like your brand to kill on on a killing spree. You don't want to start in just killing twenty guys. You want to beat them up first so we can acclimate it to the violence. <laughs> That's right. Very good. See, finally, the voice of reason. <laughs> he does kill a small small nation of. <laughs> it, it so, and uh, Seth, I want to talk about the fact that. David Bradley eventually, after getting whittled down the entire movie by Hero, asking him to train him as a ninja, trains him in one fucking day. Oh, yeah. And the kid becomes a full-fledged ninja. Thoughts? You don't you don't get the uh, the title of American Ninja by taking your time. (laughs) You don't become you don't become a little ninja man by taking your time. (laughs) <laughs> David Bradley spent 20 minutes teaching him the finger thing and then a few Tai Chi poses on the beach. Got a little visit from uh from grandpa and boom, put on that black cloak and let's kick some ass what? until you get backhanded by the viper. And then he then he thinks he thinks ninja rules are bogus. Oh, ninja totally rules bogus. Are bogus. You don't want to listen to your sensei. Why would you do that? <laughs> when have movies and adventure. I do like that he did not drop the horn dog attitude, though, even though he became a ninja. <laughs> First yeah. fight, sees a girl in a bikini. Don't look at that. It's going to make you sweat. <laughs> <laughs> he totally comes in his pants. Oh, yeah. I'm sweating. <laughs> I don't know how that kid uh, managed to kept like kicking when... Look, okay. I once uh, tried to exercise. This is about to get the- very uncomfortable. I have a feeling. <laughs> I, I once tried to exercise on a treadmill while watching um, a, some stuff from the Something Weird video catalog. You know, <laughs> and uh, no, I don't know. I lasted, Scott, five, I, I lasted five minutes, and man, that was painful. So I don't know how this kid was kicking. Uh, if he was constantly talking about the voters he was getting, <laughs> because wow, I mean what that, that would just make me. Oh no! no. <laughs> Jesus! All I'm hearing is it's like you ever seen Richard Simmons on Vicodin and cocaine? <laughs> Try stand on a treadmill watching something weird. <laughs> 
that's a sweating to the oldies that I'm not aware of. Next thing he's gonna come out wearing a Turlo Hogan and a headband. See <laughs> David coming out at him from all the corners. <laughs> so uh, Hero, after after he trains for one fucking day and becomes a full fledged ninja. Him and David Bradley break into the main bad guy's facility and rescues Jill, the love interest, using broken English. Her, her name's Lisa. Lisa, whatever. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> random, <laughs> random chick in this movie. She and has one movie. Give her credit. Come on. <laughs> no, she's barely a character. She, we're supposed to believe that her dad is her dad when they're the exact same age. He's got an accent too, because all scientists need an accent, apparently. No. <laughs> so, so they break in and they have to fight the main bad ninja that we haven't talked about the entire movie yet. Viper. Named the Viper, who is a ninja mercenary wizard that appears with the same Super Mario Brothers, the cartoon sound effect and smoke, and wears a gold chain like Flava Flav. <laughs> and red winter gloves and a ponytail. And a he looks cape. like Doctor Strange. <laughs> he, he looks, looks like looks... Budget Strange. <laughs> Budget Strange. <laughs> Dude, you would look like that too if you survived a stick fight with Rambo. He was Rambo's opponent in Rambo 3 when they were stick fighting. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's like yeah. a martial arts badass. But anyway, I mean, I'd be walking around in a goofy ass outfit like that too. If Rambo went a couple of rounds with me, hitting me in the face with some sticks, I'd be lucky to be walking around at all. So, I mean, we just take it easy on that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, this guy is literally the reason to watch this movie. Every time he comes in, the movie gets instantly hilarious. <laughs> are fucking stupid. So fucking stupid. He cannot fight worth a pinch of shit. Him and uh, David Bradley, all of a sudden, they like forget what choreography is and editing takes over. And you do not like the final battle of this entire movie takes place in a cardboard box factory. And (laughs) I could not tell you who hit anybody because you never see the impact of any punch because the editing is so fucking bad. It is embarrassing, but it's really enjoyable. Like those are the best parts of the movie besides the intro training montage. So <laughs> I don't really, I can't really get too down on it. Glenn, compared to the other bad guys of this movie, what do you, of this movie series, what do you think about the the Viper? What, there's a villain in this one? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. You summed it up earlier, man, where it's just, it's a dude who really hates dogs. <laughs> that's all it is i mean it's 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 nothing new not even not even close it is i i'd say it's a cardboard cutout villain but i mean they couldn't spring for cardboard they spent all their money on pan flutes and pan flutes in those boxes they had to pile up in that completely white warehouse yeah well that's because they had white ninjas because you hit the final level those were like the mini bosses before the main boss so they were camouflaged because they were white in the white room. That's why they were white, you see. 
All I can think about is you guys oh. keep talking about the uh, is, is you guys keep talking about the way they would appear and disappear and the smoke and the uh, light and the like laser the Super Mario sound effect and whenever you say Super Mario sound effect I think that this movie missed its calling the movie should have been uh, the kid running around uh, this is a kid who uh, incidentally uh, played by Lee Reyes son of Ernie Reyes senior ha told you we're in the clear now anyway um, <laughs> this kid so this kid's running around and then every now and then the kid eats Eats a eats a mushroom puff of smoke. He's David Bradley, <laughs> and that should be like how the movie goes. <laughs> oh man, I wish that was this movie. Dude, that oh. was... See, <laughs> I was thinking the other angle to where this kid was, you know, because he was hooked on the Game Gear, so he was like caught in a video game, you know, like this is a live action because he got the colored ninjas going. No, on. don't do that. They'll do that for American Ninja Six. <laughs> well, it would it would make sense because there's multiple scenes in this movie where it just cuts like a video game would cut into a level. Like at the end of the movie, supposedly they defeat Viper, and then all of a sudden they chase down a plane that he's in the Viper's in. Yes, and. All of a sudden, they're just in the air. It just takes <laughs> itself off. Yes. They're fighting, and the plane takes itself off. Yeah, it, it, I love that. They were fighting. It's called autopilot. Yeah, well, yeah, I, you don't, I don't auto- think that's how it works, Glenn. <laughs> you hit the autopilot before they were in the air, but suddenly, cut, we're in the air. We're like, well, well okay. We're I like in some that. stock footage of a plane flying over a city. I like how he was flying with his cape on, too. <laughs> I also like how he, he zapped himself, transported himself from the cardboard box facility in an all red outfit. And when he turned up on the plane, he had while, during teleportation changed his pants to the black ones. Yeah. Well, can, can I ask some, if he could teleport that quickly when he caught fire? And fit, why, why didn't he just teleport? Then, because they seem to teleport reasons, at will. Mark, and reasons. Well, <laughs> can't teleport while you're on fire. Well, who says? You can know. only run scared. I did. You're about to shit yourself. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. This end, quote unquote, battle with the Viper. Viper goes out like a bitch, too, because here he is, this <laughs> badass guy. And, you know, suddenly... They're in the plane, and the kid pulls out the medallion, which is his dad's medallion. Which oh Viper my god, that <laughs> when Viper killed him, and, and Bradley is on the ropes. Viper is about to make him feel the venom, which apparently the spikes have poison on him. But Bradley got scratched earlier, but he wasn't hurt. But then again, in the previous American Ninjas, we know that uh, Brett David Bradley playing American Ninja. Uh, doesn't get hurt by poison. But in any case, he, the kid hits him in the head with this medallion. Now, the problem is the medallion's plastic, it's even though so it's supposed hard. to be metal. So <laughs> it, it hits the guy, the main bad guy in the head, and he has to act like this thing hurt. But he's also like, thank God, this is my final scene. So he just kind of wobbles. Well, it's in slow motion. And it just barely, the reaction between him getting the impact of this plastic flavor flavor medallion hitting his forehead is like 
in slow motion an eternity until he finally reacts to it hitting his head. Dude, I died laughing watching this because the kid pulls it and there wasn't sound, but I could hear it. You could hear it go, and he fires it and it bounces off of his forehead and he looks surprised because he didn't move. It was just, and, then, and all I can think of is you remember the tennis ball machine in Seinfeld when it hits Kramer in the face that was that ending because he up his forehead and he just stared at nothing and didn't move for like a second and then he finally was like oh and then he reacts he like remembered he had to react to it but they shot it in slow motion so we did there's like a solid second of it just bouncing off his fucking face. And he's just I think Dan's dead. I think yeah. he's the end of American Ninja Five broke Dan. Holy <laughs> that isn't even the funniest scene. That isn't it's there's one part that's even funnier than that. So they defeat fucking Viper and they cut to later when they're back on uh Lisa. Or whoever, whatever her name's, boat. Back on Lisa. <laughs> Becky. <laughs> Becky. They're back on Becky's boat. Hero is playing his game gear because he's the only one in America that has a goddamn game gear. <laughs> and Pat Marita whoop, shows up on the dock, and Hero jumps off the boat and flips, and they cut away to a a grown ass man flipping in the air. <laughs> <laughs> they cut back to Hero jumping on the dock. A fucking grown ass. <laughs> well, it's the same grown ass man who was driving the truck earlier. So <laughs> I fucking died laughing. <laughs> they might as well put a shitty dummy. They might as well throw a shitty dummy in the. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost as bad as that scene in American Ninja 2 where fucking duty turns around and it's a totally different stand-in uh, and the guy looks at the fucking camera while he's walking. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so I it fucking broke me. It goddamn <laughs> broke me. Um so American Ninja 5 in general. It was worth it's something else. Seth Pauling, give give your general thoughts. We broke this thing down. Give your general thoughts on on this entire movie and your experience. Talking with you guys about this movie was far more enjoyable than watching this movie. (laughs) I am with Dan that this thing was eight hours long. (laughs) It took me the course of three or four days to get through this thing. Even at a hundred, what is it? Uh, hour and forty-five minutes. It's twenty minutes too long. There's some silly shit that'll make you laugh. Uh, Hero does get backhanded once, which was appreciated. <laughs> Other than that, uh, skip the pan flute. Skip the twenty-minute chase scene. Skip Pat Morita. Just skip all of this. Pat Morita is barely in this gimmick. I mean, I, he I, he collected a day rate and was fucking out of there. Oh yeah, I like him better when he's like in Andy Sedaris movies and like like being a, like a badass villain and like like with surrounded like by like big titted pl- 
Claymite boy Claymites and like talking about the erotic properties of Shiatsu massage and then he'd like kill a guy. You know, that movie exists, guys. That movie exists. It's a wonderful thing. But yeah, this is uh this is him. Uh they got him uh on both di- on both times he was coming and going from the set on this exact same lunch break, I think. <laughs> would, you recommend anyone, would you recommend anyone seeing this? Oh, me? Yes, you. Oh, well, here's the deal with this movie. Um, I, you know, as soon as this came out, I, I skipped it for years. I skipped it for years because I saw the trailer. I said, oh, that's bullshit. That's not even American Ninja. And I looked at the box and said, that's not even American Ninja. And I put it back. And I knew we were going to get to this. And I'm like, okay, here we go. The kid movie. Hate kid movie. Hate it when they bring kids into a show. Hate it when they bring them into a movie. It always makes it so much more annoying. Here's the thing, though. I liked this movie. I thought I thought this was a fun, simple little, uh, probably uh, not a very family appropriate adventure, but I thought it was a fun little adventure movie that was goofy as hell. I laughed at all the parts that they wanted me to laugh at. I laughed at a lot of the parts they didn't want me to laugh at. Uh, I thought the action was surprisingly good. Uh, I th- thought the film was moving pretty well until they brought on all this backstory and then it became like about 15 minutes too long. But uh, yeah, I actually kind of dug this. It's, I would like this, recommend this movie. I think that it would be, is a fun movie, but here's the thing. I recommend it as a normal movie, but it's not American Ninja. I don't recommend it as an American Ninja movie as its own thing, as its own silly little side thing. Absolutely. But as part of the series, no. But uh, no, I, I did not think this was a bad movie at all. <laughs> I think everyone's going to be very surprised by this. But I actually kind of agree with Scott. Thank on you, this. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Dan. This movie is about 20 minutes far too long. Mm-hmm. But as a movie that's not an American Ninja movie that's for kids, this is fine. It's goofy. I've okay. Full disclosure, I watched this thing three times for this episode. Because, like Glenn had stated before, the first time I watched this, I didn't even realize David Bradley was not the same character. I was so like not even barely paying attention to this thing. I was like, oh God, that was, I'm going to have to watch this again because I didn't take any notes. What the fuck? So I watched it again. I'm like, oh, that was okay. I still didn't take any notes for some unknown reason. And I watched it again today and took all the notes. And I'm like, you know what? That wasn't too bad. It's okay. It's better than any of the Vice Academy movies. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) but I I tend to agree with with Scott on this one. It's it's fine for what it is. It's fine for what it is. Glenn, what are your thoughts? My thoughts is that this movie proves to me again that Scott Davis and Derek Carey are fucking crazy. <laughs> um, I no arguments. <laughs> I, I'm not going to fight that one. Yeah, I just oh man, the fact that I watched this one twice is is testament that I make poor life choices and I <laughs> don't care about my own well being. So I would not recommend this to anyone that I have an ounce of care about in the world. 
um yeah it's uh wow i mean it's just no where do you rank this in the series uh in the series boy i don't know let's see number three was like the flat earthers of american Ninja movies this would be like the anti-vaxxers of uh, of, uh <laughs> what happened to vaccinate your kids they uh they talk about their boners all the time <laughs> Oh my God. That's uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Mark, the movie man, your final thoughts on this damn thing. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. As not an American Ninja film, if this was just a, any other film, they would have given it a title and just marketed it for young adults maybe teenagers you know it's little palatable but barely even for 90s family film but yeah it's it's there i think it's so it, they should have never put american ninja on it i mean for one david bradley he freaking lost weight between this one and the previous ones because i didn't even recognize him i'm like wait like that's David Bradley because you know he had he just looked different in the other American Ninja films um, but yeah the old kids can learn some things they learn just how tough uh, uh, some characters can be like take for instance the Lisa Beth Jill whatever character that you guys called her uh, Rebecca Rebecca we'll call her I'm sorry I missed that name too uh, she can slide down six a story of ah, I'm glad you're bringing this up. It's in my notes too. She, she could slide down rope with her bare hands <laughs> on this very rough, like nautical rope down six flights, six floors of a hotel and not have a single scratch on her hands. So there's that when she's being held hostage, she's not really being held hostage because she's eating grapes and reading her magazine. Even when Ben Kingsley's porno stand-in comes in uh, to try to, you know, get with her, she's just like, yeah, she's, you know, so, you know, she's actually a pretty tough character in this, so you gotta pay attention to that, okay? And, and give credit where credit's due, because uh, she's got hands of steel, apparently. Um, overall, though, it's 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 light fair that they were trying to cash in on a title and as long as you go in not expecting an American Ninja film you, you may get some enjoyment out of it but it does have some of those awkward early 90s moments in it that today people will go wow okay <laughs> definitely from a different time period when you know those types of things were just looked past so yeah, like child boners. Like child. <laughs> Making you sweat. Yeah. Yeah, endless child boners. So I wanted to leave the last thoughts on American Ninja 5 to Mr. Daniel Edenfield, who's been the champion of the American Ninja movies this entire run this year. So, Mr. Dan, it's up to you. Oh, yeah. I mean... This damn thing is eight hours long. It is a full season. It is a marathon. This is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Whatever. 
you have had four ninjas of ninja master training. You've had four movies to get you through this. So if your training can't help you, then you're done. On the whole, this is a cool movie, I guess. Let me see if I can think of a good way to explain this without pissing too many people off. We all have that one friend who he's not retarded. He's just, Jesus how, yeah, how are you going to do this without pissing people off? <laughs> I can say it. I have I have a relative who is well, okay. <laughs> this is getting worse by the second. Just listen, okay? This movie. I'm not. I'm not insensitive, but <laughs> you know how. All right, you know how we all have that friend that makes something that just wants to be so sincere, and makes this thing that's the best that they could do. And it's, they just poured their heart and soul in and they did, they tried. You can tell that they have tried their best to make this thing. That is the best of their ability. And it sucks, but you can't tell them that because it would just completely destroy them. So you just have to be like, yeah, this is great. This is fantastic. Yeah. That's kind of what this movie is. It uh, it was made. I'm sure you just you watch it. Somebody tried really hard to make it. Was it excellent? Not really, but it oozes the '90s, and it's. I mean, it's for what it is. It's fun. It's not horrible. I mean, it's not great. David Bradley is a beast, and whenever it's again, it's kind of like the American Ninja. Oh, hell, I forgot which one we were talking about. What was the one with the piano loop over and over again? Wasn't that part three? Yeah. yeah the one with him and Steve James, like where they you could see them consciously trying not to kill the people that they were fighting. It's kind of like that in this movie. Like David Bradley, I mean, he seriously kicks ass. And it's like he has to be careful to not kill people that he is fighting with. Not to mention this movie actually gives us a slow-mo aerial spin kick. From yeah, David, total JV, total JV, uh, JCVD shit. You're damn right, and uh, that because when I saw it, I was like, "Oh hell yeah, he can do that shit." That and when the training montage, whenever it's like the little silhouette of them and David Bradley just standing there with his leg cocked up in the air, and she was like, you know, a half Carolina pile driver. You know, this is <laughs> sort of this is like the Mississippi leg hook here, and he's showing the kid how to use the boner effectively. <laughs> lessons in this movie it's just <laughs> I, i'm i'm good at training not ninja training boner training I, I, oh i'm sorry no, i was just gonna say i gotta go with you daniel on this that i will say the martial arts fighting in this um at least by david bradley is probably some of the best we've seen throughout the series in all honesty i mean the director what is a stunt coordinator yes mm-hmm. oh, well, oh okay well then that explains a lot there and I'm, I'm sure his parents put this up on their fridge <laughs> <laughs> thank you somebody gets it somebody got my reference then <laughs> that might explain a lot of like the boring chase scenes and stuff. If the stunt, if the guy that directed the movie obviously is more into stunt fighting and stunt coordination, then that would, that probably, that explains a lot actually. But then the movie, it also, we have Ninja magic. Now, again, this is hokey. I know and it's fucking stupid, but 
I like it, just like Puppet Master, when they just barely mention things like the old ones and old gods and just toying with, you know, incantations and the Puppet Master movies. It's the same with this. You just get one little scene. They do the goofy little finger shit or they'll even spout out some Japanese words that you have no clue what it means. But it's magic. It establishes magic in the movie's universe. So that opens up all these possibilities. Unfortunately, it's not the same. It was his name, Sean, Joe Cunningham. It's not the same Cunningham from the other American ninjas. So even though he's an American ninja, it's kind of American ninja. They shouldn't have just called it American Ninja 5. That's the ultimate thing about it. They could have called it not Surf and Turf Ninja or something like that. Just it, as an American Ninja movie, no. But as a fun movie, sure, why not? Ultimately, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you not to watch it. That's a disservice. I mean, you find out. You dive into the abyss. You tell me what it looks like. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I won't tell you to not watch it. I'll just listen to this, and you've been warned <laughs> that I will tell you. <laughs> what a glowing recommendation. That <laughs> so, folks, that's it for American Ninja 5. We're Hold on going- a second. What? Is there seriously a guy in this movie named Frankenstein? <laughs> Where are you seeing this? Oh yeah, An yeah, actor, the actor. The actor yeah, who the played actor. Glock. His name is Clement von Frankenstein. <laughs> How did I miss this? Oh my god! You guys oh. missed it? Oh, I I just thought you didn't want to talk about. It. Yeah, that's. Oh my god! And it's not like a, it's not like made up. He's the son of a Frankenstein. He's the son of Frankenstein. And look at and look at the... what you Clement George Fritter von Unzu Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. George Fritter von Frankenstein. You, you know you can't use all the letters in your name. I mean, sometimes you're just being greedy. <laughs> I mean, Dude, his scantrons had to be a bitch to fill out. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be up there. Oh, excuse me, but can I get another scantron? <laughs> My name don't fit on one. And uh, just a, a little fact. He's been announced in a movie called Sherlock Holmes vs. Frankenstein as Baron Carl von Frankenstein. <laughs> this is going to be Frankenstein as himself. Now, this is this just showed me that this was a giant misopportunity. The, the villain in this one should have been him, and he should have been piecing together parts of different ninjas to create the ultimate ninja. <laughs> I like this. Oh, my this. God. Badass. I would watch that. Yeah. American <laughs> ninja watch the hell out of that. Yourself. American Ninja 6. We bring Dudikoff and David Bradley. He oh. was just in a Coen Brothers movie. What the hell? Oh, <laughs> Even better is they piece this ninja together and David Bradley and and Joe Armster, they, they're killed so they piece together. Oh my God! Yes. Oh yeah. Dudikoff and oh, Bradley man. together. But they give, but they give them huge breasts, and Hero is so confused and has a boner, and he has to try and fight them. The breasts. Why you got to make it weird, Derek? <laughs> I'm trying to tie it into this movie. <laughs> Look, this this dude was in a command performance with Dolph Lundgren. That has the classic line: "Die and ZZ, rock and roll is hard." Just before Rock Dolph Lundgren like kills a bunch of evil. Yep. <laughs> yep. And to tie it in the movie, rock and roll is hard. Oh. So we're gonna end things there, folks. This was American Ninja Five. Uh, we're going to go off to hear a little bit about some more bottom shelf movies. 
And when we get back, we're going to talk about this entire franchise experience for 2018 and about the American Ninja movies as a whole. So stick around and let's listen to Dan talk about some shitty movies. me Daniel with another episode of the rack or the bottom rack you know what we just get instead of top shelf entertainment it's bottom shelf entertainment but that doesn't mean that it's bad it just means it is off the bottom shelf I've got a special one in store for us today uh, this is one of those and I'm gonna kind of bend the rules and kind of bring it back around where it came from there was a movie whenever I was younger that I've seen the cover all over the place. And it was one of those that I could have swore I had seen, but I guess I never did. It's a movie called Nemesis. Uh, it's one of those, if you look at the cover, you would recognize it. This is one of those video store ones that you would generally find probably on the bottom shelf. And um, I realized that, you know, I have never seen this film, so I happened to catch it. Nemesis from 1992. This is a movie directed by Albert Pune, or I guess I'm pronouncing it wrong. I'll probably just butcher a whole lot of these people's names, but you know what? <laughs> That's half the fun. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's directed by Albert Pune from, um, of course, Cyborg fame, and you can you can just see that. So I'll get to that in just a second. Anyway, Nemesis, which came out in 1992, it stars, I guess it's Oliver Gruner. It's There's an eye like, in there. So it looks like Olivier Gruner, or maybe it's Grunet, or whatever. I don't know, just Oliver Gruner. Uh, sounds good to me. Anyway, it's got Oliver Gruner, Tim Thomerson, Kerry Hudayuki, Tagawa, uh, Shang Tsung. You know that cool guy, the cool Asian guy that's in a lot of stuff? That All right, he's in it. So anyway, you got Oliver Gruner, who's a kickboxer or whatever, and Tim Thomerson. So let me lay it out for you. Here's a synopsis for Nemesis. Alex, a burned-out L.A. cyborg cop, is forced by Commissioner Farnsworth to find his former cyborg partner and lover, Jared, who's about to deliver sensitive data to cyborg terrorists who wish to wage war against humans. Is he being played? That's the synopsis from the IMDb page. This movie was rad, okay? <laughs> this movie was so awesome. Is let me just a. I just gave you the story, basically what it boils down to, and this is coming from. I mean, you're seeing. It's almost you're seeing Albert Pune, how, not really a one trick pony, but you're seeing where a lot of this inspiration comes from with his movies, with his you know, uh, using the use of cyborgs and stuff. Hell, there's even a like a little extendable eye gag, like in Cyborg, uh, with that cyborg chick. It's the same way in this movie, Nemesis. It actually does that with uh, Oliver Gruner's character. Anyway, what you have is basically a grander scale of the whole humans versus cyborgs, humans versus synthetics. We've seen this from Blade Runner to Fallout 4. It's the same concept. There apparently is a war going on between cyborgs and humans. And this is trying to, this is taking it kind of like a, a neo-noir type approach. Now... 
well, let me get to that. Right, so let me just finish this up. It's a neo-noir type approach. The effects is kind of give or take. It's kind of big. Oh, and oh, just real quick, just jumping. I saw his picture. Brian James is in here. He was. A, he's like a character actor. You you recognize him when you see him. You're like, dude, I know that guy from somewhere. That's Brian James. Anyway, he's in here, and I think unfortunately he passed. But regardless, he's in here. There is a lot of gunplay in this movie. And there's a lot of explosions. Actually, there was a, a quite a bit of action and gore and like really cool cyborg effects. That was it was kind of stunning and kind of is just one of those. Wow, I never saw this movie. This thing was so cool. You can tell the set pieces where it was filmed. You know your basic. You know, the California desert backdrop type area. You know the one that we've all seen that we all know about that area. It was filmed in that. It is not as, as uh, the proper term, ham-fisted. It's not where it's like pandering to you with that whole hard-boiled noir thing, you know, with a gravelly monologue that helps carry the narrative. You know, it is nothing like that. It's just a really cool setup about a dude, a cop who's fighting cybernetic people. And as you, and this is like no spoiler, almost near the beginning, you find out that he actually has cybernetic parts too. So it actually subtly goes into that into the whole philosophical thing that you know always pops up if you've played the games Deus Ex, or uh, if you reading any of these you know uh, dystopians, futuristic neo noir books like uh, Electric Sheep, you know just that whole thing. Do humans and do androids have a soul? That kind of thing. So uh, it. it a lot of this, but again, it never gets preachy. And this is me just kind of waxing nerdy about it because on the whole, this movie is pretty cut and dry. <laughs> it's just dudes hunting cyborgs and trying to kill cyborgs. But then he finds out that maybe there's more going on behind the scenes than he first realized. Maybe cyborgs are everywhere. And then Tim Thomerson, his former partner, ends up trying to kill him. So, you know, where he starts out as a good guy, he ends up being the bad guy on the run. And everybody's shooting everybody. Everybody's killing everybody. And there's a lot of killing. And uh, But, I mean, is it killing because most of the people that die are cyborgs? Anyway, that's a debate for another day. This movie was so cool. And yeah, it's bottom shelf entertainment because you would find, I'm, this, like I said, this is on the bottom shelf of video stores everywhere. Brace yourself. <laughs> Let me see if I can paint this picture properly because I know, oh dear God, I can feel it now. You know, got everybody's attention now. So screw it. I'm going to say it. All right. You know how Blade Runner set the bar? for what especially us 80s nerds is is set the bar for the neo-noir futurism it set the synth wave the synth wave bar with the synth wave revival now it is what we thought it's it kind of a bittersweet way to look at it is that the synth wave movement and the retro futurism type stuff with the blade runner is the cyberpunk is basically the future that never was <laughs> damn that's so sad anyway Blade Runner, just in the tone, in the look, the aesthetic was absolutely brilliant. Everything about that movie was brilliant, but it is so goddamn boring. That movie is so boring. Is first of all the name Blade Runner? What the hell? It makes it sound like there's going to be cybernetic kickboxers with satanic powers or something. Yet, nope. Blade Runner. There's no. There's no blades in it. I don't. I can't remember anyway. And there damn sure ain't any running. It just is a misleading anyway. If this movie Nemesis and Blade Runner got together 
Let me put this. If Nemesis were put in Blade Runner setting, like at nighttime with flying cars and lots of rain and lots of neon and some badass synthwave, Nemesis would probably be like the coolest movie ever. Like it would be the cyberpunk dream of all time. It just, that's the unfortunate thing that holds Nemesis back other than some dodgy uh climactic battle special effects and stuff but the only thing holding this back quite honestly is it's too damn bright the movie takes place mostly in daytime and that really hinders it and of course budget you know so we don't have flying cars things like that ultimately that's what holds nemesis back because i'm telling you i'm telling you to watch the movie because it's freaking cool if you like that movie cyborg with yes, the Van Damme movie, the Canon film, yes, Cyborg, that movie, that freaking awesome movie, which is one of my favorites. If you like that movie, you're gonna like this movie. If you like Blade Runner, but you kind of wanted to see more guns being fired, <laughs> watch this movie. If you like that whole cyberpunk android type Deus Ex feel, you know, the video game Deus Ex, watch this film. Uh, if you're bored and just need a cool movie to watch, I I mean, I'm saying, dude, this movie was awesome. Nemesis. I mean, you can, it's directed by Albert Pune, so you've got shades of his cybernetic thing, this fascination he has with that. Totally cool movie. I totally recommend it. Nemesis came out in 1992, and yeah, so there's my bottom shelf entertainment. <laughs> so y'all take it easy. As my longtime listeners know, we pick a long-running series of films, and we watch them all, and then after we're all done, we sit and have a therapy session where we vent all of our frustrations, (laughs) yell and scream and point fingers at each other, and get it all out so we never have to talk about them again. Even though I talk about Vice Academy very badly every year. So we are done with American Ninja and let's start with Seth Paulin. Let's let's hear your final general thoughts about the American Ninja movies and your experience this year in Astro Radio Z with the franchise. When I saw when I saw that the uh, the fans and listeners had picked American Ninja, I knew it was going to be smooth sailing. Cheesy ninja action flicks from the late 80s, early 90s. Who, who would say no? It's been a blast. Uh, I didn't even know there was a part five until this whole uh, franchise series episodes. So it ended a little rocky for me, but I'm not going to complain about that. The first four are awesome. It gave me a reason to revisit a couple of them and see the other ones for the first time. It's Canon Films doing what Canon Films does or did. Uh, God rest their soul. Had a blast can't complain how would you rank the franchises so far that we've done would this be the top of the shelf uh it didn't have the best movies but i think it was the most consistent i uh the ones i've done i think the howling had the best movies but also had dirt in the chili 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the penis dirt in the chili. Uh, Puppet Master uh, had some good stuff, but that took a real sharp dive off a cliff. I don't think American Ninja went long enough to really have that sharp decline and just stay there. So it ended before it got crappy. So, Glenn, let's hear it. If these are the best ninjas, then it's no surprise Japan lost World War II. <laughs> um, I mean, the first one, I remember watching the first one back in the 80s, you know, when I was uh, a dumb kid. And now that I'm a dumb adult, I can realize what a dumb kid I was. Um, I still enjoyed it. I mean, revisiting them, this is, man, the, the first couple especially are the definitely a sign of, of not just the 80s, but Hollywood in general, where the uh, better skilled and talented black man is the sidekick to the white dude who really can't even do anything for the most part in the first movie. Um <laughs> And then just so much, it's so dated 80s where there's just so many racial stereotypes. And I just, I mean, as far as overall, was this, this was probably the best series we've watched because it was the shortest. And yeah, as uh, Seth pointed out, it didn't have that, you know, giant drop because, you know, you can only fall so far from the fifth floor as you can from like, you know, what is Puppet Master, the 78th floor or how many episodes of that? Uh, shit fest there are now so um it just it just gets so redundant <laughs> it's like dude has ninja army dude wants to rule the destroy the world in some way or selling them to some bad guys who want to destroy the world and white dude's gonna stop it all that's just it's the same thing over and over and over again except the last one we get to have uh the poor man's version of short round so i just uh you know these are these are slowly wearing away at my life. <laughs> or are you saying the franchise episodes? <laughs> Just everything in general, but yes, the franchise episodes. But I will keep doing it because what have I got to live for? Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, I I can at least say I, I didn't like watch these and be like, oh my god, claw my eyes out like I did for you know Puppet <laughs> Masters four through sixty two, um, or all of vice Academy. <laughs> so um i mean there's at least that i mean these these are actually you know they're all at least watchable movies you're not gonna walk out of watching these and be like oh dear god these people should be rounded up and killed um you might say don't let you know some of these people be in movies again like <laughs> hero but it is what it is and you know I've said I've said my piece for American Ninja. Okay, uh, Scott there, Davis there's not a six. Uh, oh, yeah. well, I don't know. I mean, I guess by default it would be towards the top. I because... know where this is going. Oh fuck! No, I guess no. I'm really not. <laughs> I really don't have anything planned. Honestly, uh, I guess by default it would be towards the top because it there's like you know. There's really not the super highs and super lows. For instance, Howling, you had super highs, super lows. Uh, oh, shit. Uh, what else did we do? Um, 
Puppet Wait, Master. Yeah. You Wait, had sure Hooper, Hooper, Super Highs. Super, no, I'm, I'm talking about Super Highs. Come back down to Earth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are no Super Highs when concerned with the witchcraft. Witchcraft movies. series has. Witchcraft series has has. I'm glad I didn't slip my wrist in the last 90 minutes. To oh, I wish I had. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, so I guess you know there are entries I liked and there's entries I didn't like. Uh, part five would probably be like right smack dab in the middle of the series, honestly. Um, really, I'm sorry. The only ones, the ones that uh, are kind of similar in quality are the Voice Academy movies. Um, but, uh, you know, they have, because uh, they are all kind of rather consistent in quality, even if those did dip a little bit down towards the end. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, I guess this would be towards the, I mean, American Ninja is weird. Like you think about American Ninja and you're like, oh my God, those movies were so amazing. I loved them so much. And you watch the first one and you're like, yes, this is incredible. And then you watch the rest of them. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you know? You're like, I guess, you know, you, you can't go home again, huh? <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like that. But uh, uh, so I guess they would be kind of towards the top. It was a, uh, a fun experience. I'm glad we had it, but I mean, like, yeah, this is like, um, this, 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 I feel like, you know, this is pretty good. You know, 2000, the last couple of years have beaten us all down pretty freaking hard. So uh, I kind of like that, you know, Astro Radio Z played with kid gloves this time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I got to agree with you on that one. Uh, Mark the movie man. Out of the franchises, this was one of the less painful um as as scott said the other ones had super highs and and super lows this one yeah i have to agree it 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 stayed consistent um even when it jumped actors uh you know you you knew what you were getting with the formula the first one was just you're just like oh man you know the second one okay you know and then you're like wait who's this guy and then you got oh yay dudikoff and who's this guy oh that guy you know, and then this one, completely different movie. But overall, compared to some of the other franchises, never would did I watch these and feel like I was completely in pain. Like I wanted to rake myself over hot coals and go, you know, I want to do that again. Uh, <laughs> so in that sense, even the movie that wasn't supposed to be an American Ninja film, uh, there's a little charm in here. It is dated it is from a different period but out of the franchises this was fun also it was short so those two things together uh put it above a number of the other ones like the witchcraft series though derek you do mention puppet master and i didn't make I, one reference to fucking puppet master <laughs> well you fucking son of a bitch i know where it says going i don't appreciate it you fucking son of a bitch i thought we were buddies i thought we were pals i thought we were compatriots this is a bullshit <laughs> well, what but that series isn't complete there you fucking son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> so yeah american ninja not a bad franchise <laughs> i'm building this um I, i'm building something here but i'm gonna let daniel edenfield talk first before 
I say my piece now that it's tinged with anger. <laughs> Dan, you've been so jacked and ready for this uh, this series, and uh, I'm gonna let you round this out before I uh, sit and speak my piece. So, final thoughts. Uh, uh, this has been a hoot. I can't really think of anything cool to say. It's like, well, this is magical. This is badass. This is the one. I mean, this is just <laughs> it was fun from the beginning. I haven't. I wasn't on the episodes of witchcraft and the howling, but I was there in spirit. I have lived through those movies myself. And then of course we all remember the puppet masters and that, uh, hmm, it's been great. American Ninja, just the fact that it even ended up on the list. I had to do it is just fun. The fact that these movies for people like me, you guess, even though my name's Dan, you would call me a Mark the playground mark the advertising, the word of mouth advertising that these films get, you can't buy this shit. Okay. Hollywood has racked its brain and sold its soul to any elder God that it can find for this kind of publicity. And it just, you can't do it. Money cannot buy this word of mouth franchise building the advertising that this franchise has gotten ever since we were kids on the fucking playground at school, because that's what these movies are watching them back then. They were cool as hell. At least the first one, because I was young and didn't care, you know, usually watching them it'd be spending the night with a friend's house. And so I'm trying to divide my attention between watching American Ninja, the popcorn bed farts and playing Nintendo. So, I mean, you know, you got all this excitement going on hindsight. Whenever I look at it through nostalgia glasses, they're fucking wonderful watching them now, (laughs) maybe not so much, but they were still fun. It was enjoyable. Not the greatest movies, but I mean, come on, not the worst movies. Dudikov didn't know martial arts, but he had a good screen presence in the films. He just, he was cool from a little kid standpoint, watching the movies. You want to be like him. It's cool as shit. Steve James talks, you laugh. He's got a wonderful personality. So whenever you pair them together, the chemistry between Dudikov and Steve James is, I mean, that's, that shit was excellent. I wish we would have gotten some more screen time with them. Just, Take the franchise and keep going. Give us like lethal weapon, but do it with American Ninja. I think that shit would have been killer. Regardless, I appreciate what we got. David Bradley is an ass kicker and a half. Maybe not necessarily the best actor in the world. And I think that's the problem. Kind of my regret with him is just he never really got like the chance to do what he does other than kicking ass. But regardless, on the whole, the movie's not the greatest, but fun. And I think ultimately that's just the main thing. Just as a kid, watching them, they were fun. Watching them now, it never felt like a chore. (laughs) With the Puppet Master movies, I love y'all. But a couple of them, it felt like a chore, press and play, because I knew what I was in for. I I didn't know how horrible they were. I had forgotten that. I guess I'd block those (laughs) painful memories out of my brain. But, uh. These movies never felt like a chore. And thank you for letting me watch them, dude. <laughs> thank you. It's been badass. Well, I appreciate you guys wanting to do this again. Let's take a walk down memory lane, shall we? We have 
done this since the inception of my run of this podcast. I mean, uh, longtime listeners will know that my dear friend Corey J. Udler started Astro Radio Z. And the, the show wasn't necessarily what it is now. It was more of an open forum where people would come on and we would just bullshit for the most part. And eventually it started becoming more focused on individuals that were in the industry and specific movies that were coming out. And then when Corey left, I transitioned it strictly to talking about films. Central focus of the podcast became that. And one of the things I always wanted to do was deep dive franchises because as growing up, as fans, we all sat and feverishly watched franchises that we loved. And the first franchise that we covered here on this podcast was the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It's, I think it was episode three, three or four. And we did that in one episode. It's like a three and a half hour episode, I think. It's, it's a really long episode. And uh, after that, I kind of came up with the idea that we were going to try and do multi-part episodes to cover long-running series of films. And we started with the Witchcraft series because as if you had listened to any of the old, like the first season of Astro Radio Z, the first year that we did this, um, I had these movies sitting around and I had never rented them and wanted to dive into them. And this was a reason to do it that actually I would gain something out of watching these movies. There would be something out there in the world that I had actually accomplished and made. (laughs) It's supposed to just wasting my time. But ultimately I did just waste my time (laughs) because those movies were awful. And that first series of the franchise uh, episodes that we did was such a chore that I almost didn't want to do it again. And as we know, the second year that we did this, um, actually, if you want to count it, the third year we did this, um, we did the Vice Academy series. And I even with Scott, I championed us to do those. <laughs> and if you remember, folks, we did the first episode in January. <laughs> we did not do the second episode until October of that year. That's how much I was looking forward to watching more of those movies. <laughs> that sucked. And I wanted to start putting it out there for the listeners to start voting. And, um, the rest of the ones that we've done so far weren't as bad as though the, the second and third series that we did. Witchcraft and Vice Academy were rough, really rough, mostly because back then I used to watch the movies multiple times. And in the case of the Witchcraft movies, way too many times. <laughs> I'll never have to watch those movies ever again in my entire life. Oh, once? <laughs> Ugh, I'm crying. Um... <laughs> But when it comes to this year and this series of films, this was an absolute joy to watch every last one of these movies. I was excited and happy every single time I turned one of these on. 
I cannot say that outside of Howling New Moon Rising. I cannot say that about any of the other episodes that we've done for these. And um, even though it, it sounded like for a long time on these episodes that I was kind of dogging them down, I was having fun with them because action movies make me laugh because they're usually so serious that they just scream for unironic humor. And these movies being when they were made, just there's just so much of it because they're time capsules of when they were made. So it's hard not to kind of giggle at them because they're just so serious and so earnest about what they're trying to present. And they're just goofy inherently. And um, I love them. Uh, this, this easily was my favorite franchise we've done so far. By, by far, absolutely the best franchise we've done so far. Uh, the worst is still Vice Academy. It will always be because, as I've said on this podcast many times, comedies that aren't funny are the worst kind of movies. So those are the worst with witchcraft running right behind. So um, I'm I'm happy we did these. Really happy, and I'm happy you guys decided to do these with me. And uh, if this podcast is still around next year, we'll do another set. <laughs> so look forward to that next year, folks. Uh, as you noticed, and I keep saying this on all the episodes, the, the podcast is kind of slowing down. And uh, when the next episode will be, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I know we have some stuff planned in the future, so stay subscribed. We'll still be here as always as in the early years of this podcast. It's not going anywhere. It'll still be around. It just has to fit around my life, which is rather hectic all the fucking time. So thanks for listening. The mega cut of this will be out fairly soon where I stitch together all of the episodes into one torturously long listening experience for you masochists out there. So wait for that. And then until then, Let's round this out with the portion of the show where my guests shamelessly show the fuck out of you, Mr. Daniel Edenfield. Show away to my audience. I'm Dan, and you can find me here on the Astro Radio Z podcast, or you can find me at nightkeep.com, or just go to Bandcamp and check out the Nightkeep. Uh, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Uh, you can find me with the BWE Bunker and Guy in the Bunker Productions on both Facebook and YouTube, as well as on my website, guyinthebunker.com. Find me in my gaming podcast at gmcast.com with the Adventure Party, or just follow me on Twitter at Guy in the Bunker. My dear, dear friend, Mr. Mark the Movie Man. Specialmarkproductions.com. You can go there, catch the podcast episodes, have a link to my YouTube channel, and uh, you can also follow me on the Twitters, Special Mark Pro, on Instagram, Special Mark Prod. And yeah, but specialmarkproductions.com is the one you can go to to find everything else. Scott Davis. Uh, yes, you can find me at moviocrity.com where I'm writing all sorts of new stuff someday, maybe, <laughs> I think, eventually, <laughs> probably not, but hopefully. <laughs> but you can read all the old stuff there and uh, also catch uh, episodes of my web series, Moviocrity, at vimeo.com slash channels slash moviocrity. Last but not least, Mr. Seth. The monster, mania, sadist, and masochist. 
Uh, maybe if you're a patron, you'll hear little stories about this <laughs> adventure that he had last weekend. But uh, go ahead and show, my friend. Uh, you can find me at celluloidterror.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those fine social media outlets for all sorts of horror and exploitation film reviews and uh, home video reviews. And as always, I'm your host, Derek Carey. Thanks for listening to another episode of Astro Radio Z. See you later. Find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, YouTube, and anywhere podcasts are found. Please, help us by subscribing, rating the show, and giving us a review. It helps us get the show out to more listeners. Also... If you would like to hear more of the show and be a more active participant, join the Astro Radio Z Facebook group and page, and join the Patreon. For only $1 a month, you get bonus episodes. Thank you for listening. See you next week, Astro Zombies. Protection at night from the wolves that bite.
the tragedy of man.